this episode is really long. Yeah, it is. So, we had a choice. Uh, it ended up being about four times as long as last week's episode. And almost twice as long as our longest episode up to this point. Which is, it means it's four hours and 15 minutes long. I know. Get excited. That's four hours of content for you to listen to. Uh, the thing about that is, uh, we had originally thought we were going to split the episode in two, but upon editing it, I discovered that's a terrible idea because, well, to split it into two is to leave you guys hanging for a week, so we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to give you all of it now. All of it. Uh, this week. Four hours for you. Uh, but that's also going to... We're also going to have to ask you to be a little bit patient with us because we're. That's gonna. that means we're going to not release an episode next week. And I know what you're thinking. Don't break the schedule, man. I need my Wednesday fix. Well, I'm not promising anything, but more than likely, there will be at least a little something for you uh, next Wednesday. Just not a complete episode, because these things take forever. This one took, I think, a week to research, and... I mean, obviously, at least four hours to record, so about four and a half hours, I would say, total behind the mic. Uh, yeah, crazy. You're probably wondering why James isn't here. Uh, that's because he's dead. I killed him. And I'm not sorry. Alright, let's do the yep. clap. You count. Three, two, what? Yeah, you count. <laughs> you, I can't clap? No, what? <laughs> you do the countdown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright. Alright, that's the way it's gonna yeah. be. I'm gonna do the countdown. Here we go. Three, two, one. So, the law also required journalists to basically write nothing but Nazi propaganda. Um, so, so, something went wrong. It was like, praise the state! Thanks to Hitler, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, something go right, praise Hitler. He's the best, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if someone's going to take praise Hitler out of context and get me brigaded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a Nazi! Yes. Um, Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend. Well, not here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're across the country now. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of here in spirit with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. You know, we should go whaling sometime. We really should. Do you know how they do whaling nowadays? Isn't it with, like, explosives? <laughs> yeah. They have grenade launchers. Oh. It's the worst thing imaginable. That's horrible. Wow. Um, yeah, don't look up videos. You will not right. be pleased. Uh, anyway, so we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Joseph Goebbels and Tim LaHaye. What was the... <laughs> You're supposed to pronounce it Goebbels. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that fucks up my job. So, who do we have this week, James? <laughs> Joseph Goebbels and Tim LaHaye. What was that about gerbils? You you made that joke, like, forever ago. Varus! Two men. One, literally a Nazi. The other, literally not a Nazi, but pretty similar in a lot of ways. Joseph Goebbels and Tim LaHaye, two idealists with foggy visions of the future and hopes for a utopian tomorrow. Also, one was way worse than the other. Obviously, he was a Nazi. So, James, mm -hmm. tell me, 
Yeah. If you had to choose, you could only wear one t-shirt for the rest of your life. Oh, shit. If you had to choose what was on it, what would you pick? Okay, you probably already know, but <laughs> it would just be a plain white t-shirt with a hole in it. <laughs> Actually, well, many a, many holes. Like, uh, to give some context to yeah. our listeners, <laughs> for like three months, James wore the same shirt every day. Uh, no. That's an exaggeration. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. I had like three shirts, but they all had massive holes in them for all sorts of different reasons. <laughs> because you're homeless? Pretty much, yeah. But not holeless. Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, anyway, so what would your t-shirt be? Uh, if I had to pick what would be on the t-shirt that I had to wear for the rest of my life, I think it would be either, not uh, unironically, that we talk about dead people logo, mm. uh, or something that says, read your history, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. That's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. So, uh, computer, please bring up Joseph Goebbels and Tim LaHaye. So, tell me, Aaron, what was Joseph Goebbels best known for? Joseph Goebbels is best known for being a Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. He was oh. the Reich... Yeah. <laughs> 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 a real big Nazi, man. So, he yeah. was the Reich Minister of Propaganda in Nazi Germany from 1933 to 1930... Or, 45, my mistake. 12 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. a long time. A long time for being yeah. a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well... Mm. So... You do what... Well, okay, yeah. What, so you're what, gonna make a joke? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say just like, unironically, you do what you gotta do, but that's not what you should be doing, no. so forget that. <laughs> I don't care if you gotta do Nazi things, you should not do Nazi things. You, you should not do Nazi things, no. ever. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is already up to a great start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so what did uh, Joseph Goebbels look like? Joseph, physical yes, yes. Joseph Goebbels was five foot five. Hold your applause. Mm -hmm. Oh. He's a tiny, tiny man. <laughs> but he looks like Skeletor eloped with a tortoise. He has oh. very deep eye sockets, giving a bit, uh, bit of a chilling and creepy look, like Skeletor. Uh -huh. uh, he has fairly giant ears that stick way the hell out, like he's trying to catch a strong breeze so he can sail as far away from reality as possible. <laughs> and when he speaks, he opens his mouth all the way like a hungry baby robin demanding sustenance. Uh, That's what I got. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> if you go look uh, at pictures of him, he looks one of two things. One, hilarious, and two, scary as hell. Ah. Uh, yeah, hmm. depending on which picture you look at. Oh, dear. <laughs> I have more questions than I have answers, but uh, okay. Yes. So, uh, tell me, what is uh, Tim LaHaye best known for? Tim LaHaye is best known for being one of the most influential, uh, influential, influential uh, most influential American evangelical Christian pastors, leaders, and authors ever. Oh! And if you don't know what the term evangelical means, don't worry, you'll find out. <laughs> oh, you'll find out. Okay, I guess we got some learning to do about some evangelicals. Good stuff. Or at least the, stuff. uh, the ancient version of evangelical or whatever. What era yeah, was the... Tim LaHaye in... Like, well, he he recently died, very oh, recently. Okay. Uh, he died two years ago at the age of 90. Jeez. So, that era, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, uh, from, like, the 60s on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's old as hell. Um, yeah. And what does he look like, old as hell? Uh, well, Tim LaHaye looks like your classic, well-dressed, friendly, white American pastor. Ready to greet you with a smile. <laughs> oh, yay. Unless you're gay, or you're a feminist, <laughs> oh, or you supported Jimmy Carter, oh, wow. or you're an atheist, or you're Roman Catholic, or you're Russian. If hell? you're any of those things, you can go burn in hell forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, 
Well, that sounds about right. It'll be I'm... fun. Yeah. <laughs> Who did he write those books with again? Did he? Was, there were two authors, right? Yeah, there were. I what can't the other remember one? the other guy. Uh, okay. we'll, come, well, we'll, we'll get to him. Yeah. Not important. Well, so what do you say? Do we want to take a break? Do we want to move right over into Joseph Goebbels' early life? Uh, I don't, but I think we should. Think, should take a break or move on? Move on. I think we should move on to Joseph Goebbels. I'm just... Uh, this this stuff is going to be really heavy, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be heavy as hell. And I'll tell you what, I've written oh. more for this guy than I even wrote for Mouse. So there you go. Yeah, so this will probably be a really long episode, listeners. Which is fine. Which is fine. Which is great. Because yeah. Actually, I, from what I understand, people prefer podcasts that are like over two hours long. So, mm. We're gonna and win. from yeah, for sure. And from our experience, I I think I enjoy the longer episodes more. Yeah, same, same. Let's so, just get into deep issues. Without yeah. further ado, whatever we... ado is, <laughs> it's a hairstyle. I don't know. A <laughs> uh, do. Anyway, that, that's a something we would okay. chant at scout camp. Uh, yeah. Go, go on. <laughs> All right, so Joseph Goebbels was born in late October 1897, and right out of the gate, we start out with lies. Oh, no. Kind of. <laughs> and the first lie is his actual name was Paul. Uh, Paul oh. Joseph Goebbels. So he started going by his middle name like some people I know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. getting that, uh, but anyway, so he's got that biblical name checklist sorted because he's got Paul and Joseph and, you know, the classic Goebbels from, from uh, the Bible. Bethlehem. Right, yes, yeah. The Goebbels of Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so anyway, he, was, he was born in a town called Wright, uh, which is hilarious. Um, it was an industrial town south of, and I'm going to fuck this up, but Mönchengladbach. <laughs> Mönchengladbach. Yep. Good, that's in German. Yeah. yeah, it's German sounding enough. It, this, it may not mean anything to us, but it sounds German, and that's all it takes, right? right? Anyway, mm. so on his birth, he was baptized into the Roman Catholic Church, which is, again, ironic. His father mm. was a clerk at a factory, and his mother was a stay-at-home mom, and she kind of had to be, because she had six kids! Oh, shit. Yeah, which is wow. really not that many for back then, but a lot for now. Seven more than I had, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You had negative one kid? Yep. You don't want to know. <laughs> you killed your inner child? That's what oh. happened. <laughs> yeah. Murderer. Anyway. <laughs> now, uh, little Joseph Goebbels had a hard early life. Okay? Mm. So he was born small, grew up Ooh. small, and stayed small to the very end. Oh. <laughs> uh, and thinking about this gives me pause. Uh. Uh, because the moment I envisioned Joseph fucking Goebbels as a sickly child probably bullied for his side, or for his size... I felt a tinge of pity. Right. But not for long. Um, oh, dear. But the point is, he was bullied for his side a little bit like... Or for his si- I keep saying side. Bullied for mm. his size a little bit like Mao was bullied for being a peasant. So, there yeah. you go. He also had a deformed foot from birth, which gave him trouble when walking. Oh. Uh, yeah. And they tried to correct it with surgery, but it failed. Um, so, he oh. went to grade school wearing a leg brace and some kind of a special shoe. <laughs> yeah. <Hey. laughs> uh, he also walked with a limp, obviously. And I didn't mm-hmm. find too much on whether or not he was bullied for this, but I kind of have no doubt he was. I mean, yeah. There you go. So, anyway, <clears throat> Goebbels grew up with these, uh, with this condition, and, you know. Um, oh my god, do you know what time it is, James? Uh, no, it's what? It's time for uh, World War One. What? Oh Already. my god. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he was rejected for service. Oh. <laughs> Go figure, because yeah. he was tiny and he had a limp. Yeah. Um, and rejected by the German military, no less, so there's that. Yeah. Um, so he didn't get to go fight. Um, instead, he went to a high school, uh, which was a Christian gymnasium, uh, which is okay. like, 
It's kind of like a school for boys. They're like, yeah, you gotta do sports and all this kind of shit. And sure. Classic, you know. Uh, so he was one of the best students in his class, which is good. Good for him. Um, and then after graduating, mm -hmm. he got a lot of pressure from his parents to become a Catholic priest, which he really oh. considered rather deeply. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, because priests had a tradition of being rather intellectual, and you know, Joseph Goebbels was. So, sure. Yeah. The obvious choice is if you're smart and you're a Catholic, is you go after the priesthood. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, but Goebbels didn't want to do that, so he went to college instead. Yeah. So, ah. Yeah. And while there, he studied literature and history, woo, and found himself drifting away oh, from right. his Christian faith. Um, oh. So, yeah. He's becoming less Christian now, probably because he's really thinking hard about issues and... Oh, ouch, yeah. wow. No, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't... I know, I know. I didn't mean I, it I'm like that. Mm, yeah. No, but anyway, so, um... Anyway, he started looking for a girlfriend, which is the other... Might be another reason why he didn't go to the priesthood, because he was... Mm. He was really into the ladies, uh, to say the least, so... Yes. Anyway, he met this girl named Anka Stahlherm, uh, oh. which was a girl who was three years older than, than him, and yeah. the two basically were buddies throughout college, uh... Kind of. She dumped okay. him in 1920. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so this breakup really hurt him and actually put him at risk for suicide. Jeez. <laughs> I know. So, bad breakup, not fun, poor Goebbels. Yeah. I, I can't even believe I just said that, poor Goebbels. Jesus. Uh, he's not the, He's not the bad Goebbels yet. He's very close, no. though. Get I ready. mean, no, no kid should have to go through this. Like, no. this is just rough. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not really a kid at this point. Uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, no are kid. Hard. I didn't say he was a kid. I just said no kid should go through breakups in college. <laughs> Never mind. Go on. <laughs> well, you're technically right. <laughs> so but anyway, wrong. <laughs> so very wrong. Uh, so anyway, in 1921, Goebbels wrote a novel which was basically uh -huh. about him. <laughs> which is why it wasn't published for like eight years. Oh, shit. Uh, and it had to be published under special circumstances, which we will talk about soon. Ooh, anyway, here. so he went to college at the University of Heidelberg, uh, hmm. and here he earned his PhD under the instruction of several Jewish fellows, interestingly enough. Um, okay. Well, but that's going to matter. Say, that's going to matter. Sure. <laughs> oh, I, I bet, um, if I know anything about Nazis. Yeah. But, uh, so he earned his PhD. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, like, that, so they call that them, that's why they call them the, the doctor. Oh, from here okay. On. They call him, you know, the doctor. Or Dr. Gerbil. Yeah. Dr. Gerbil. <laughs> Anyway, so okay. he, he's got his PhD, all right? So okay. um, he didn't seem to mind at the time, though, that most of his professors were Jewish, right? He didn't take Good. issue with it. In fact, um, he actually kind of liked them, which is mm. also very interesting. But uh, <laughs> yes. anyway, so now he's a doctor. And what's a doctor to do? Um, Heal people? <laughs> heal people? I thought, you, I thought you said peel people. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well. So this is... This is the new restriction of being mobile. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yes. so what's a doctor to do? Go home, of course. Oh, so okay. So, <laughs> Goebbels goes home and starts working as a private instructor. He also worked as a newspaper man, writing a lot about how he didn't like modern culture, which is interesting. Sure. Um, so, because, you know, modernists typically, or anti-modernists typically aren't... Uh, into I don't know what I'm saying, whatever the hell. Um, but anyway, so he didn't like yeah. modern culture, which is kind of odd. But uh, he mm. also started writing about how he had some problems with Jews. Oh, yeah, 
There it is. So mm. I'm not exactly sure when his transition began with all of this. It's certainly possible it was something he learned at home, but I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, it can yeah. also be, and this is actually more more likely, it was cultural. Um, anti-Semitism got a nice big boost in Germany during the age of scientific racism, which, if mm. you don't know, was a period of time where people all over the world, but especially Germany, were experimenting on people of various races to find out what made them all different. And this yes. included, like, the infamous skull measuring bullshit and also paved the way for people to have a great excuse to be racist. Hooray! <laughs> Not hooray! <laughs> uh. So anyway, in 1922, Goebbels met another woman named Elsa Yanka. They started mm. hanging out, um, and I wrote hanging out and shit, but that's kind of lame, so anyway. They started hanging out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yep. she tells, and imagine how horrifying this is in retro- retrospect, uh, she tells Goebbels that she's half Jewish. <laughs> I know. And I mean... <laughs> Like, this is Goebbels, so, like, that's like telling a millennial you're half Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so this apparently really bothered Goebbels, uh, but not enough to keep him from dating her for about five years. Oh, okay. Even though later on he would be not exactly, well, he's not exactly practicing what he would be preaching later on, which was, you know, racial purity and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, So he's just sleeping around with this girl and for five years who's half Jewish, so he's not exactly. Okay, so under the laws that he would later put into play, he would be put to death for this. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, and we'll talk about that, but like, if you're in the Nazi party, you don't date interracial people. Yeah. Um, and because they will, they will literally kill you. So Goebbels, yeah. under his own rule of law. Oh, would, oh and, yes? and so these interracial uh, relationships, mm-hmm. just remember that, listeners, because that's actually going to come up later. Um, oh! W- yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I won't <laughs> give it away, but... Yes. Uh, sorry sorry to totally derail this. No, but, it was fine. No. Uh, I gotta say, like, we usually pick our characters just whoever we want to we wanna cover, we want to study, and then they... In weird ways, they we can draw connections between the yeah. two. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so continue with the gerbil man. Well, <laughs> the gerbil man. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, I think that's just that's just gonna happen. It's like I started drawing connections between yeah. everyone and Mao after a while, and I know I can't <laughs> right. shut the fuck yeah. up about Mao, but you know. nope. Very interesting to me. So anyway, uh, he's dating this girl for five years. He's at home. Whatever. And he's writing and he's trying to get things published, like that novel. Um, and he wrote plays, novels, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, none of it sold, like, at all. Um, until he became, like, the Reich Minister of Propaganda later on when he could, like, shill this stuff and people would be like, hell yeah, that's, you know, that's the, the propaganda minister or whatever. I'm gonna read that. And, you know, yeah. even if it sucked, it was like, hey, look who wrote it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so were the Nazis just a bunch of failed artists? <laughs> Is that, uh, is that the moral of the story? <laughs> that might be the moral of the story. Um, well, actually, there's another crossover we'll get to with art. Um, oh, okay. The Nazis had a, had a really deep hatred of art, which, again, we'll get right. to that. Um, okay. So anyway, he's trying to get all this shit published. He starts working multiple jobs mm-hmm. just to pay the bills. Um, and he's mm-hmm. doing a lot of reading. Um, and mm-hmm. he reads a few things, like uh, Dostoevsky, who I love. That's good. Read yeah. Dostoevsky. Great. <laughs> uh, reads Spengler, which Spengler, you know... Uh, be uh, be on the lookout. Then Houston Chamberlain. Oh fuck! Oh. <laughs> and then Marx and Engels. Uh, oh wait. dear. <laughs> Rosa Luxemburg. Uh, uh-huh. And he's reading like far left and far right material. Those authors are okay. all of various um, various persuasions, which is interesting. Um, good. And yeah. I wrote. Good I wrote me. here in my 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 uh, 
early morning stupor, I wrote, it's almost like those things are pretty much exactly the same thing. Which, whoa. Which, whoa, that's revolutionary, but we're talking about <laughs> revolutionary writing. And right. revolutionary writing of the far left and far right are very, very similar. Go read them. Yep. You, will, you will be surprised. In fact, we're going to read some later. Uh, <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> anyway, so at this point, Goebbels' diaries show that he's really preoccupied with all this stuff. Uh, he's getting more and more isolated mm. and more and more stressed out over all this deep philosophical stuff. Um, which I can mm -hmm. understand that. I withdrew and got isolated when I started reading tough stuff. Um, right. And in the era where imperialism was dead and nationalism was the new order of the day, Goebbels declares himself... A... Pancake? <laughs> <laughs> he declares himself a nationalist, you dolt. <laughs> oh, same thing. Yeah. Just cover it with syrup, they taste the same. Yeah, so, anyway, that's where we'll leave him for now. And when we come back to him, we'll okay. be talking about his adult life for fucking ever. And I hope you're ready. Okay, well... Yeah, so, uh, how about... Do, do you want to take a break, or should we talk about Tim LaHaye's adult life? Or early life? Or early life? Oh, there's not much on him, so we could just breeze through this. Alright, alright. If you uh, want. I think, I think we should. So, take it away, James. Alright. So, Timothy Francis LaHaye was born on April 27th, 1926, in the lovely, classic American city of Detroit, <laughs> First <Michigan>. mistake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and life for little Timmy was quite fine until tragedy oh, no! struck, unfortunately. Yeah, and this is, it's not no. great. Uh, Tim's father, Frank LaHaye, died in 1936 from a heart attack when Tim was only nine oh, years Jesus. old. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it had a huge impact on Tim, and he was mad with grief until the funeral, actually. Really? Uh, and, uh, yeah. Well, that's what, kind of when it all changed, and it, it said that he he had trouble talking to people beforehand. Uh, he, he was just overcome by grief. Right. Uh, which is understandable when you're nine years old and your dad dies. <laughs> right, right. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so at the funeral, Tim listened as the preacher said... This is not the end of Frank LaHaye, because he accepted Jesus Christ. The day will come when the Lord will shout from heaven and descend, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then will be caught up together to meet him in the air. Okay, so, <clears throat> I got a question, though. I, you know, I, mm -hmm. I spent a little time, just a little bit of time as a Christian, and I, I don't remember sure. anything about Jesus shouting from heaven before he descends, like, Yo! I'm coming! <laughs> <laughs> Watch the fuck out! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, it all depends on your denomination. Oh, that's true. I believe that's the Shoutiscopal <laughs> denomination. Okay, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I think that's in Revelation. I, I guess it's just an interpretation of Revelation when Jesus will come back. Anyway, end sure. time shit, which we'll get into oh, in depth <laughs> later on. Uh, anyway, so basically, upon hearing this, Tim LaHaye decided, all of a sudden, there was hope in my heart I'd see my father again. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, I know. Yeah. And he's, he's like nine years old. So, anyway, if any of you listeners do not know who Tim LaHaye was, well, just get ready for a whole lot of Jesus. And burning hellfire. And fundamentalism. Oh, good. And the end times. Okay. This should be a fun time. Oh, oh, oh my god! It, it can't no. be! Aaron, do you know what time it is? It's time for World War II! <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Yeah. One of the World so, Wars. Here we go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, in the year 1944, when Tim was 18 years old, he finished night school and enlisted with the United States Army Air Forces. Uh, okay. And he was sent to... 
<laughs> yeah, I, don't, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> it's like the army and the air force yeah. had a deformed child oh with my God. guns. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> uh, Tim was sent to the European theater as a machine gunner aboard a bomber. Okay. And that is literally all I could find out about his wartime service. Okay. Uh, like, that's all I found, okay. which is unfortunate. I was hoping some for some good old uh, Nazi-kicking war stories. Oh, good. <laughs> but that's all I found. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that's we'll, where we'll leave Timothy Francis LaHaye for now. Okay. And if I am correct, I think it's time for some Nazism. Oh, yeah. You better dig in. And I think we better take a break. Um, because yes. if we don't, uh, well, I'll just tell you right now. We're gonna want one about halfway You're through. A baby. We may. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay. Well, time for a vape break. <coughs> oh my god! All right, and we are back. Do we talk about dead people? And when we Whoa. left off, we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I love this delay. It's just, it's just so slight that I say. Welcome back, and you, like, two seconds later, woo! <laughs> no, but that actually was a delay. Like, I I had this thought of, should I respond? I should respond, and by that time, there was a delay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, well, if we ever have it, we'll just pretend it was intentional every time. Exactly. Okay, well, so... Uh, <laughs> we sh we Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, listeners, this is our first episode, um, via satellite. <laughs> Is that how the internet works? I believe so. Uh, anyway, so yes, we are not in the same room for the first time recording, and yep. it's going pretty well. But just hang in there it's okay. with us. Yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. do. Yeah. It'll do. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. feel like there's that much of a delay. I feel. Good. I mean, I can flip you off, and you have no idea. So that's all I've been doing. That's <laughs> just what you've been doing the whole time. Yep. <laughs> well, I got you beat. I've been using both hands. So there you oh, go. Oh shit. <laughs> so we're not exactly. We're, I'm. I'm like in a history lab in exile. I mean. Uh, Right now, I'm literally in a closet because it's the quietest place in the house. <laughs> uh, which, make of that what you will. Um, yes. <laughs> and when this is over, I will come out of the closet. I will come out as a podcaster. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like that'll uh, ever happen. All right, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, when we left off, we were talking about uh, Timothy LaHaye, or Tim LaHaye. Is it Timothy? Yeah, of course it is. Timothy LaHaye's. Tim uh, Yes. Yeah, Early yeah. life, and now we're going to be talking about Joseph Goebbels' adult life, and I, I ask you listeners, uh, please, to bear with me, uh, because I didn't know a damn thing about this man when I started it, mm. um, and I also didn't know, uh, I didn't, I hardly knew anything about National Socialism, I did, I didn't, it's not like I go and read that shit, you know what I'm saying, like, right, <laughs> I yeah. didn't, I've never read Mein Kampf, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have it on my shelf, um, uh, but no, yeah, I've never good. looked into this. I've just sort of taken the narrative from what I understand. Ah, they're bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, and let me tell you something kind of funny. So like, um, after I finished researching this episode, I felt so gross. Um, and the, on yeah, the only thing that helped uh, was that I oh, went no. and played Wolfenstein The New Order from <laughs> beginning to end. And, you know, I used to, <laughs> really, because I had to kill Nazis. Like, that's, I just yeah. needed to shoot a bunch of Nazis, and it felt so good. It was like, oh, oh dear. my god. <laughs> yes. Um, which is funny, because before I was just kind of like, eh, Nazis kind of like indifferent. Like, I have no real 
feelings except for, you know, same thing with the communists. They're, like, vaguely bad, like, something really bad yeah. happened over there. But at the end of right. this, I was so viscerally pissed off, I just had to go blow mm. up some Nazis. So that's that's where I got went to emotionally with this. So um, I guess oh, that's a bit, good. A, it's a bit of a trigger warning. Um, if you don't want to hear about this shit, um, one, I encourage yeah. you to hear about it even more if you don't want to hear about it because it will wake you the mm, hell up. Yes. Um, but also, uh, this is, again, this is not me going to, this is me going to, like, verified historical sources. Okay, so this is not, mm -hmm. it's like the Mao episode and the Trotsky episode. I just went to the good sources. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, a bit of a, uh, Facebook bit forums. Of a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I just pulled Twitter, we're Nazis bad, and I got, like, an incredibly positive response that, that nobody thought Nazis were bad at all. No. Oh, no, wow. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Try Tumblr next time. Yeah, I'll try Tumblr next time. <laughs> okay, All right, so... so Joseph Goebbels' adult life. And mm -hmm. so when we left Joseph Goebbels, he was in the midst of becoming a nationalist. Ah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and you know what year it is? I do not. It's 1924. Wow. And you know what's happening in 1924? <laughs> the end of 1923? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so in 1924, Adolf Hitler is on trial. Good. Uh, what for, you ask? Oh, yeah, so... He's on trial for that beer hall putch, which we covered in our Maurice Bavad and Johan Elser episode. Uh, and if you didn't listen to that episode, here's basically what happened. All right, so Adolf Hitler was really... Uh, well, actually, he really hated the leadership in Germany post-World War One. The old uh, Weimar Republic. He hated it Republic. so much, in fact, that he got together... Yeah, the Weimar Republic was not popular at all. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so he hated it so much, in fact, that he got together a bunch of his Nazi friends and held the leadership hostage in a beer hall. Oh. And then he tried to march himself out to take over the rest of the country, got in a short gun battle, and was arrested and put on trial. Oh, dear. Yeah, and there oh. were, like, there were several... Sorry, there was a battleship that just oh, went past me if you heard <laughs> <them> rumbling. <laughs> I did, I did actually yeah, hear that. Well, it's wartime um, in London. <laughs> <laughs> the River Thames is just full of the royal... Navy, so, anyway, sorry. Life imitating art, I suppose, since we're talking <gasps> about World mm -hmm. War II, or not yet, but, oh, World War, there's a tank, yeah, so, uh, anyway, so he's on trial, uh, for basically trying to take over the country, and he goes to prison, where he writes Mein Kampf, uh, -huh. uh which, you know, this made him something like a martyr, culturally speaking, because, sure. uh, he was presenting himself as kind of an underdog, uh, yeah. So when the people see an underdog being sent to prison, they're like, "Oh, you know, maybe he had a point. Maybe we were we were too hard <laughs> on the boy." You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that's kind of what it was like. He was a martyr, mm -hmm. um, which is why uh, he only got like five years in prison, mm. uh, which doesn't seem like enough if you try to take over a country via <laughs> violent up, uh, you know, yeah. revolt. <laughs> um, but he only serves one out of five years. What? <laughs> Yeah, okay. so, like, hmm. literally Hitler went to prison. They had him in jail, <laughs> and they're like, we're going to let him out on good behavior. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, huh. wow, not good. Okay, so, um, get well, this. I, I gotta say, really we're attracted to Hitler. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, kind of just with how people were interested in him being a martyr. I, I mean, ever, a lot of people hated the Weimar Republic because they, mm -hmm. it was a terrible system and huge inflation. Yeah. So I can see why if this guy says, hey, I've got another solution, people would listen. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I was lucky enough, I had a history professor um, who was amazing, and he he approached this all with, like, a very fine-tooth comb. Like, how did mm -hmm. this actually fucking happen? Right. Like, and why did most people go along with it? Because, you know, like, now it seems obvious. Like, we look back and we're like... <laughs> 
why would you become a Nazi? Why would you follow Hitler? Mm -hmm. And if you look at the historical context, it becomes not not doesn't even become justified, but it at least becomes clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've got a lot of anger built up, just sort sort of like with the the you know Russian Revolution in particular. You know, they were pissed off with the Tsar because. Well, one, a lot of things, like the Industrial Revolution wasn't going so well for yeah. the common man. And also the Tsar was waging a world war and yeah. wasn't feeding his troops and couldn't <laughs> feed his troops. And so people were pissed off and they revolted, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it makes sense. Maybe yeah. it's not justified, but it makes sense. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so Goebbels is really attracted to Hitler. <laughs> not in that way, before oh you make that joke. Um, oh. and maybe in that way. I really don't know. Except Who Goebbels knows? is like very clearly, very clearly straight. Except for maybe Hitler. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I don't know. I don't okay. know. Uh, anyway, so he tra he, uh, Goebbels saw Hitler as like a really dedicated guy who cared about his country. That's the nationalist side of him being yes. played to, right? Okay. Unfortunately, you know, he's Hitler. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, literally Hitler. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so Goebbels being the nationalist that he is, uh, spots mm -hmm. the NSDAP, uh, which is the closest thing to a nationalist party in Germany. Okay. At the time. And the NSDAP is short for, and I'm going to fuck this up, so bear with me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's short for the National Socialistische Deutsche Arbeiterparty. Cool. Arbeiterpartei. Arbeiterpartei. And these are literally Nazis. Um, okay. These, yeah, the actual Nazis. Like, you know, yeah. you get pissed off at somebody, ah, you're a Nazi. Well, you don't really mean it. These are the real guys, right? Oh, so, shit. <laughs> um, and this is worth, worth talking about, uh, mm -hmm. because like I said earlier, when people hear the word Nazi, they have a visceral reaction, and that's to be expected. Um, it's yeah. hard to think of a more chilling group of people than the Nazis in World War II. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, because they were... Nazis. <laughs> what is it? Yes. What is it? Godwin's law. When you're in an argument, it like they call it what uh, reductio ad nazi or something <laughs> like that. Or uh, I don't remember. It's like a logical fallacy where if you get to talking about how bad somebody is and start comparing them to Nazis, you basically lose. Oh no, that's something the like Doppler that. effect. <laughs> yes, that's the Doppler effect. Um, but anyway, so like I know it's like kind of gross to think about Nazis, but like. We we're, we're the whole goal of this game is to make ourselves into less ignorant people. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about where this movement actually came from. Yeah. Okay. So the etymology first off, uh, the word national socialistische, uh, which I fucked up, translates to national socialism. Mm. And now I know what you're thinking. Yes. Socialism? <gasps> Are you saying Bernie Sanders is literally Hitler? <laughs> No. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, Bernie good. Sanders is not Hitler. Uh, and they're not even that similar. Uh, well, they are pretty similar, but not that similar um, in sure. a lot of ways. Particularly the socialist way. Because, I mean, they're both socialists. But, you know, it's different. Uh, and the fact yeah. that the word socialist uh, was dropped from the original title... Um, like, it used to be called the German Socialist Workers' Party before it was changed mm. to the German Workers' Party. Sort of indicates that they were kind of moving away from classical socialism, right? Oh, okay. Um, so, this Workers' Party thing, to me, sounds a bit like uh, like the People's Army or whatever. the Right. Um, the communist kind of stuff. And that's yeah. because it's basically communism with a few screws loose. Um, oh, okay. Which nobody really... Well, I didn't know this until I started reading it. Right. Like, because I, I was like... <laughs> What do you mean, like national social liars? And then I go and I read read the actual stuff they were passing out, the pamphlets and things. And no, they're actually socialists, and mm -hmm. a lot of what they do is based in Marxism. And we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, which 
which when I figured that out, it scared the hell out of me because I was like, oh man, I already went through this with Mao, you know, the, yeah. the existential dread of reading all of that. And now I got to read it. Well, it ended up making me feel worse when I read mm. about the mm -hmm. Nazis because I think in a lot of ways they were worse in a lot of ways. Um, so here's here's the difference between national socialism and and the socialism that's in communism. Okay, so communism okay. is like bread for everyone, uh, and the German uh -huh. Workers Party is like there's not enough bread, bread for everyone. But since there's not enough bread, bread for only true Germans, Aryans, the master race. We're racist as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dear. exactly how it comes across. Um, uh, wow. So basically, their motto, that's what, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, that's where the national part of National Socialism comes in. Mm -hmm. um, it's essentially Marxism, but only for certain people. Um, everyone else outside of the little party can either fuck off or literally die. Oh, no. Um, so pretty similar. But uh, as far as, like, the cult-like elements of the Nazis, there's an absolute vortex of crazy cult shit, um, which is interesting. And, of course, grabs me like a magnet because I fucking love reading about cults, that's right? That's true, yeah. Uh, so that's what's uh, interesting is that um, most people don't think of Nazism as, like, a cult. They think of it as hmm. an ideology, which it is, but there's actually not much difference between between being ideologically minded and cult minded if you go and look at it, which was sure, which to me is why I, I think I'm so interested in one religious religious people and cult leaders like L. Ron Hubbard um, yeah. and David Koresh is because they're 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 and also interested in people like Mao is because they're so similar, like philosophically speaking. Um, hmm. I said that like a Canadian, philosophically. I meant to say philosophically hey. speaking, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a? <laughs> uh, so, anyway, in the speaking of cults, in the interest of horror, uh, let's enter a section of the show I like to call Fun Facts About Nazis. Oh, shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, brace yourself. Oh. <laughs> uh, two. Uh, one, I should say, uh, they didn't like being called Nazis. Oh. Yeah, it was a pejorative bastardization of National Socialists that became something like an insult abroad during the war. Okay. Um, uh, so like, so uh, use the term Nazi. <laughs> right. So use the term Nazi if you want to piss them off, um, because they're it really draws attention away from the fact that they're nationalists. You know, it's just Nazi. Sure. Nah. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah. So they 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 had a lot of names for Nazis uh, during World War II, and Nazi was one of them. That was the first insult, uh, and then it went to the Huns. Mm. Which is interesting. And um, there were a couple others I just can't remember. I was looking at propaganda for a good hour yesterday. Mainly Canadian propaganda. <laughs> um, which, it's great. It's good stuff. Like, it's it's actually really good art. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of symbology you can grab from just looking at it, which is really interesting. See how people can be manipulated. Like, for example, if you want people to... And I learned this in history class and then, you know, relearned it yesterday. If you want mm -hmm. people to get, like, really sentimental and patriotic and protective of their country... Um, you use women in your propaganda in particular. Oh, interesting. Um, and they're usually dressed in white, and they have these flowing garments and flowers all around them, and they're, they're very innocent, very childlike faces. Yeah. Um, and basically that drums up something like, oh, we got to protect the girls, you know, the little girls. You know? Sure. In fact, there are pieces of propaganda that literally say that. Huh. Um, wow. Protect the girls. You know, this girl, you don't want her to become a Nazi. And, you know, it, it's not strictly related to girls. There was one that I saw that was like... Um, it was like this two-year-old with a Nazi cap on, and it said, huh. you know, you don't want this to be your kid. Something. Right. Uh, and I'm like, damn, that's motivating, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, the other the other fun fact uh, about Nazi, I have four of them. Uh, okay. Two, they weren't popular at first. Oh. Um, so it's not like they came in and started winning election seats. Like, in 1928, they only won about 3% three uh, of the seats in the Reichstag, which is the uh, equivalent to parliament or whatever. So, and are um, you saying that they went through the election process? 
They went through the election process. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. And only one. What are you saying? Well, no, that's. I, I, a lot of people I've talked to don't understand that it was, you know, through the election that Nazis got their power. No, actually, that's close. At first, it was elections. And right. We'll see something interesting. Here's the okay. next thing. In 1930, they won 20% of the seats. Hmm. Which. You know, that's big, right? That's a huge And then in 1932, growth. two years later, they had 37% of the seats. Yeah. In 1933, they won all of them. Wow. All of Wait, them. They had... Com- that's a jump. Yeah, they won... <laughs> yeah, from 37% to all of them, right? Wow. That's... Like, wow, that's crazy. And yeah. that's why I think people think they didn't go through the election process, is because you just don't do that. That just doesn't happen. Yeah, there's a little um, bit of things on the side. Yeah, and we there's uh, there's some interesting shit that goes with this, and we'll cover that. There are a couple of events around this time that make it look like uh, it was basically something like a coup. Um, hmm. So after that, 1936, 1938, they held all the seats, um, and eventually the eventually it was it turned into you know well it changed it wasn't exactly a, a democracy anymore or whatever the, a republic anyway. Yeah. Um, so basically, once they got a little control, they turned Germany into a playground for Nazis. Right, uh, the Reichstag was theirs. It, it was absolutely crazy, fucked up. Everybody was a Nazi. Everybody. Yeah. Um, except, I mean, there was there was some minor resistance. Right. There was a little bit of resistance, um, but those people mm-hmm. were very, very rare. Um, and God well, bless them. Just for like it. A, that must be so hard. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. yeah. What were you gonna say? But uh, I, well, kind of like the crowd mentality of peer pressure. Like, I, I'm sure so many people were coerced uh, into being Nazis just because of the fear of. Like, being an outsider. Yeah, one uh, way or another. Yeah. People don't want to um, be left out, especially if it's dangerous. No, and especially if you've got a family member or a friend who, like, comes up to you and says, Hey, man, you know, there's this movement going on, and it would be... You're not thinking of your neighbors, and you're not thinking about your family. Mm. You have to think about your neighbors and your family, and the only person that's doing that right now, I don't care how much you dislike him, is Adolf Hitler. Right. Just join the party. Just join it. It'll be so much easier for you. And, you know, you could actually be banned from stores, uh, certain stores. You couldn't you couldn't drive certain places. You couldn't be certain places if you weren't in the Nazi party. Wow. Um, and, of course, you couldn't be in the Nazi party unless you met these ridiculous racial criteria. Oh, dear. Um, which we'll get to that later. But yeah. anyway, so uh, three, uh, three fun, the third fun fact about Nazis uh, is that the German Workers' Party made their money early on by selling a cigarette bl- brand. And what was this called? Uh, Nazi sticks. <laughs> cancer sticks uh, no difference yep. um, but anyway so the cigarette bland, brand was literally called anti-semite oh dear oh, no. yeah I know oh, I couldn't believe it when I read it I'm like Jesus Christ it. yeah um, and we'll get to that later because no, no. and that's that's a difficult topic to cover and I of course read all of it because I was I wanted to give you know the best account I could of what actually fucking happened here yeah um because, well, I got lucky, and again, college, you know, I got a really good history professor who broke this down for us in a way that made sense. Yeah. Um, and before, like, I didn't even enjoy history until someone made it like a story of people. Mm, right? Yep. It used to be, most history classes are like, memorize this date. And you're like, that's connected to nothing. Yep. Um, but my history professor, like, connected all of these events together, hmm. which was uh, any, it really, really good for me because it actually made it interesting. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, the Nazis, the fourth thing that the Nazis, or the fun fact about Nazis, uh, is that they did the exact same thing to art that Mao did in China. 
Which oh, okay. This <laughs> is me off. Uh, this, yeah. is, this is from the Nazi Party Handbook. And yes, I tracked it down online just for you. Uh, listeners, oh, no. here's a quote. Yes, I'm reading directly from the Nazi Party Handbook. Uh, wow. Give that what you will. Um, to criticize it, by the way. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. in the same way that I, I, you know, criticized Mao's philosophy about art. So, yeah. here's a quote <clears throat> Art in particular, its encouragement and use, is the responsibility of propaganda. Ugh. Within the party, this means the appropriate use of art for meetings and ceremonies of every variety. The party, and thus the local group propaganda leader, must also supervise culture. <laughs> After cleansing German art, literature, visual arts, theater, music from the poison of the liberal Jewish Marxist era, it has become the most important and purest thing that we could do and can use our strength, uh, can use to strengthen our own inner lives, to lift us above the ordinary, to build and inspire national socialist community, but also to promote understanding for the German spirit and attitude among other peoples. That is scary. <laughs> Isn't that scary? Yeah. Uh, doesn't that sound like frightening, sim frighteningly similar to Mao? It does. It yeah. was, it's, it's, we've got to get uh, rid of the past. Yeah. Right? Also, yeah. so like, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, do you hear um, a bunch of industrial machines working on my end? Uh, <laughs> not really, but I, okay. I, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm just gonna pretend like it doesn't matter. I'm sure listeners will understand. We, I'm we're, I'm do. I'm recording in a factory in London. Uh, there's smoke <laughs> everywhere, and I can't see. But okay, oh, yeah. God. So let's well let's let's talk about this a bit. So he uses the liberal Jewish Marxist era. Yes. Jeez. So that's yeah. just kind of. Well, I, it's everyone. It's it's all these groups that everyone feared. Oh my god! Sorry, there's so <laughs> many construction vehicles in my front yard. Just just carry on. We'll all right. Be fine. Yeah. Well, so after World War One, the Germans lose, and they're gonna and they're angry. Uh, a lot of people right. are angry because these soldiers are coming back, and they see Marxists and liberals and even Jews kind of in control of certain areas of, of government or, or right. the social right. structure. They see them in control. That's yes. the point. Well, right? I, it's not... They'll come up with any rationalization to leverage that control away from them. Including yeah, racism. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, because they want the power, right? Yeah. You know, um, but I, I did some reading about this, and we'll get to this, because I've, I've never been able to understand um, anti-Semitism. It doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, and, I mean, I, I looked up, I read several rabbis who wrote reasons like why people might be anti-Semitic, and I wasn't convinced entirely by any of them. They made good points. Sure. Um, but, and we'll get to this later, I think, um, the, thing that, the thing that made most sense to me um, was this more universal thing. It wasn't about, it wasn't about that group in particular. Mm. It was about a power dynamic. Okay. <clears throat> right? And so when you're, when you've been neutered after World War One and you see these people in power, um, and you're going, you know, you're pissed off because your country is basically made a fool of itself, mm. um, mm -hmm. in the biggest conflict in human history. Yep. Um, there's two things you can do. One, you can swallow your pride and do the best you can with what you have. Yep. And apologize. Or you can become angry and you can let that control you until you literally start committing genocide. Right. I mean, that that's what happened in that's what happened in Mao's China. Well, is, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And it, it it also reminds me of the uh, the American South after the Civil War. Um, yes. Like the South was just it was destroyed. I mean, they went from being one of the most economic regions in the world, thanks to slavery, to just being completely robbed by by the North and and 
you know, they lost hundreds of thousands of men and everything. Mm -hmm. And so they had this anger of being humiliated. And who do they take it out on? Well, it's black Americans. And well, that's why Mm -hmm. you have all these Jim Crow laws and the Ku Klux Klan just erupt after the Civil War is they have to blame someone Mm -hmm. uh, because they suffer, which is terrible. But it's, you see it again and again and again. And it kind of makes sense as awful as it is. Yeah, well, and then you see, even now, okay, I just moved back to Texas, even now there's a real contempt for Northerners. Really? Um, yeah, but it's it's not overt, and it's certainly not everyone, but it's sure. a small group. Yeah. They call you a Yankee, <laughs> yeah. and they sneer at you, right? Mm. Um, because it's, oh, we're just so much better down south. And, you know, that may be true in some ways. I mean, I moved here to get a job because the North wasn't hiring. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, like... You know that that exists, and it's a really subtle and I would say subdued form of, um, you know, something like moral like moral superiority based on where you were born, which is, yeah. you know, makes no fucking sense. But I want to go back to unless you're born um, in Wisconsin, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> I want to go back to the thing about art. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because it's easy to get caught up on these terms like liberal Jewish Marxist or whatever, mm-hmm. um, because like. In Mao's China, he decided in the Cultural Revolution that all art had to serve the state. Got rid of everything that wasn't propaganda, right? Right. The Nazis are doing the exact same thing. Hmm. In fact, they had they had a um like displays of degenerate art, right? Where they would oh, put I've mostly seen, yeah yeah they would put mostly like modernist paintings and abstract paintings and that sort of thing there. Hmm. Um, and well, say what you want about abstract art, there's a place for it. Um, sure. In my opinion, because like I have, I have a pretty strong background in art, and I used to despise modern art and abstract art until I learned mm-hmm. what it was all about. In which case, you know, I was like, oh, I get it. It's about creating something like um, something like music that doesn't sa- it doesn't sound like the ocean mm-hmm. exactly, but it suggests the ocean. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and that's what that's kind of what some modern art does. Now, I think most modern artists are hack frauds, but <laughs> but there's a place for real abstract art that you know, has to be adopted and nurtured. Um, yeah. And also, you know, I would say in some form, regulated. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. And by that, I mean, like, you can't just have every hack who just thinks to do something different as being trumped up as... Oops, I'm in a closet. I just hit a hanger. As being trumped <laughs> up as, uh, as equivalent to other, you know, I would say... Uh, more skilled modernists, right? Sure. So, I don't know. I don't think you can put them all on the same level. Some are better than others, and some of them are obviously hacks. But the German, uh, the Nazi idea was that all of them were hacks, and mm. all of them were degenerate. And so they would have these displays, and then they would burn the paintings. Wow. Um, and it wasn't always modernism. Sometimes it was just paintings that even suggested, like, a victimize- victimhood of a, of a German-looking person. That sure. sort of thing. Right, so anything that was that was that could be conceived as counter to the movement would be gotten rid of. Hmm. Um, so I want to talk about this actually because it's a repeating phenomenon in world history. It's called iconoclasm, okay. um, uh-huh. and it really began. In, it didn't really begin in the Byzantine Empire, but that's like the first large scale version. Takes of off, it. yeah. Right, um, in the Byzantine Empire, a bunch of people got pissed off uh, that people had drawings of Jesus and the saints and whatnot because they dis- you know disagreed with the idea that Jesus should ever be portrayed because it would never be quite right because Jesus yeah. is perfect. So well, and it's idolatry in a way. Uh, some people, yeah, saw it. yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's the it's the same reason that you know that um, that Islam is a, is opposed to having a, you know any drawings of Muhammad or God. It's the same reason. It's sure. it's 
this should never be reduced to an art form, which is an under it's an understandable position to hold. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. an understandable position. I mean, do doesn't mean you support it if you understand it, right? Right. Um, so anyway, so it happened. This iconoclasm occurred again in the Protestant Reformation, um, mm -hmm. and they went out of their way to destroy medieval and Renaissance art because it was degenerate. Right. right? Yeah. Especially in Germany. Mm -hmm. So it, you know that comes back again. Yeah. Um, it actually also happened again in the French Revolution. Huh. Um, the whole country became anti-religious and anti-monarchist and started burning anything that even barely suggested like religious or monarchist themes. So portraits of kings and portraits right. of queens yeah, and, uh, you know, portraits of, of saints and that sort of thing. They got rid hmm. of it because th that was the, I, you know, the order of the day. Yeah. And of course, as we know, it happened again in communist China and communist Russia during their cultural revolution. Uh, yeah. And now the Nazis are doing the same thing. So... Yeah. You know, to me, they look rather similar in, in a certain way. It's, it's interesting that in all these changes, art is like the first thing to be attacked. It's almost like a, a red flag for mm -hmm. big, bad changes. Art like, and language. Yes, yeah. And, and and because we'll get to the book burnings. We'll talk about that. Good. But, um, art and language, the, the communists got rid of both, and the Nazis got rid of both. Hmm. And they got rid of history and tradition, and, and you know, in a, in a completely, like wholesale way it, it would and, and if you held out anything you would be killed yeah in any of these regimes if you held out anything um and if you drew anything you would definitely be killed yeah. uh, possibly exiled um yeah. if you were if you were lucky um so they're destroying anything that deemed to be degenerate which include again mostly cubist and surrealist forms but this also included cartoons oh um that cartoons that weren't propaganda because mm -hmm. they you know they it's possible that they might be making fun of the revolution or whatever yeah um so I, I kept reading about this because i was so fascinated which is why i'm talking so damn much about it um but again this is the most i've ever written for an episode so <laughs> yeah. what i discovered is that they also got rid of expressionistic forms of art so even stylized things like zelda or wind waker um hmm. they attributed that to signs of mental or ideological disease wow yeah, they would put you in an asylum if you painted expressionist art. Wow. <laughs> and possibly okay. sterilize you. Not a, not a joke. That actually happened. Oh, jeez. Um, so I just want to touch on this again, because horseshoe effect. Yeah. Um, and this is, I don't mean to wax away and, you know, repeat this, but the communists destroyed art because its mere existence, they thought, was regressive. Mm. And they replaced it with pure propaganda. The Nazis destroyed modern art because they thought it was also regressive and then replaced it with pure propaganda. Um, they're like ideological germaphobes. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Like, they can't, there can't exist anything they don't agree with or that they mm. can, and, and they're completely totalitarian about it, which is bizarre. But anyway, so this is already happening, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and at a certain point where it's like, we're not even talking about communists and Nazis anymore because they end up being so d indistinguishable from one another that they're pretty much the same people. Yeah. It's just evil. It, yeah. You know, it, it's totalitarian um, it's, evil. Right. And it's not, it's not even like it's left or right. Yeah. Um, because it's like, if you were on a flat surface, for example, I wrote this as a metaphor, if you're on a flat surface, like hovering over an abyss, mm -hmm. you can go far left or far right, but both lead to the same edge that leads to the same abyss, right? Yep. Well, different edges that leads to the same abyss. It's yep. absolute madness, right? Yeah. Um, so, just to, one more note, is like, I really, when I was reading all this, I got the same, same sensation reading about Goebbels as I got reading about Mao. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt dirty. Mm -hmm. Um ideology like enacted in the story of that yeah. uh, in a, on a radical level makes me feel gross like mm. I'm interacting with an old demonic zombie of some kind like I don't know how to explain it and I don't mean to be hyperbolic yeah um, and I, I don't feel like I'm being hyperbolic but I do feel like I'm it's like I'm digging through a flooded trash heap in a basement miles underground <laughs> and like I have this sense of dread like I know there's something underneath the flooded trash heap 
like millions of rotting corpses or something that might pull me under. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It, actually, I got it. I got it. It's exactly like that scene in The Lord of the Rings where Frodo and Sam are going through the dead marshes. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like <laughs> something long dead is going to reach up and pull you under, right? Except instead of don't go, don't go toward the lights, it's don't go toward the rights. <laughs> because the Nazis... <laughs> Dear God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. it, it feels like hearing about Jim Jones or David Koresh, like you made that cult analogy earlier on, and mm -hmm. it's it's the same thing. It's just you see how this ideology so quickly and so calculated turns into the spiral of death. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying it's inevitable. I mean, I think no. I think it's possible to hold certain, to have an ideology and not become an extremist. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. think it's possible to have strong opinions about things without, you know, killing people who disagree with you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fine. But you have to be able to talk about it. And it's like, you know, um, not be so obsessed with it that you have to destroy it. Otherwise, you can't exist. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, so anyway, that's this is all my impression of this whole thing. And I, I'm saying this because, like, reading history has become a bit of a personal journey for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, it's 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 like I've changed so much by having some sort of some sort of historical context for where I am now. Yeah. Um, and I would say over the last eight, seven or eight months um, when I've been studying since we've been releasing episodes, but even longer than that, um, I've literally morphed into a different person just because I, I have a better understanding of what happened recently. Yep. Um, but anyway, so let's well, get back to girls. Just real quick um, on that. Yeah, I had a I had a professor who said that. If you've heard that history is the the history of us, you're you're kind of right, but you're mostly wrong. It's really the history of you. Yeah, and he exactly. made it so personal, and mm -hmm. it was like, oh shit, I I am here in this situation because of everyone else's story. And as soon as you understand where you fit in in, in history, it makes life well, it explains so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so exactly what you were saying. Well, here's here's a good picture of what what that change looked like for me. Mm -hmm. So like last year. I think if you if I think if you would have put me in the middle of a communist revolution, yeah, I probably would have joined up, hmm. because I was I was very weak. I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah, um, I didn't understand what had happened and the effects of those things. I think if somebody said, done the same thing, Aaron, you know, there's this movement going on and it's really in favor of you know this certain group or whatever. And if you don't join, you know, you're directly opposing us. Yeah, like can't have that. You know, do better. It's 2018. Right? Yeah. Somebody, well, last year was 2017, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, like, if somebody had said that to me, I was a very weak person. I didn't understand this historical context. I probably would have been like, all right, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like, I'll get on board, right? But yeah. after I after I start reading about this shit, it's just, like, impossible to maintain the same point of view. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we should go back to Goebbels. Okay, yeah. Um, Otherwise, we're and, never going to get through this. Yeah, exactly. And I'm gonna, we're going to have to take a... Take a mm, mm, I would say we've got to till about noon. Yes. Um, but anyway, so Goebbels is joining the Nazi party in 1924. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, he becomes member number 8,762. Oh. He, he contacts what's called contacts. It's like I'm turning into a Canadian. What you the hell? are. He yeah. contacts the... What? I went south and I turned more north? <laughs> Maybe I'm just noticing it because I'm, I'm more south. I don't oh, know. Oh, sure. So anyway, he contacts the, the, the Gauleiter, uh, mm. which is a district leader of the Nazi party. And his name is Karl Kaufmann, and he was the first of the Nazis to non-violently purge Jews from the city of Hamburg and send them, send them to Poland. Okay. Um, so Hamburg is, is basically 
you know, already, like, not purified. I don't, I don't like using that word in that context, but I would say purged. <laughs> yeah, purged. Geez, uh, uh, that's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's much better. Um, but the reason that happened is because the Allies bombed Hamburg and there wasn't enough housing for both Jews and non-Jews mm, okay. after World War I. Um, so the logic follows, get rid of the Jews, seize the property, and move in the non-Jews. Uh, very similar to the logic okay. we saw in communist China and Russia, where the so-called bourgeoisie, or the kulaks, were either exterminated or gulagged so that the working class could take property they felt they were entitled to based solely on their political identity and their class right. identity. Yeah. Right. So it's the same thing. And mm-hmm. if you haven't listened to the Mao episode yet, um, I would be very surprised, but also go listen to the Mao episode so you can get some nice contrast here. Yeah, um, it's either class or, or race, but either yeah, way, there's an us versus them. Yeah, it's an us versus them, and that's that's the, well, that's what I discovered when, about reading reading about this. Mm. Because I didn't know anything about communism when I studied Trotsky. I know, right. I, I've said that before, I didn't know a damn thing. And mm. then when I read about it, I was like, okay, I get it, but what the fuck, don't do that, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, anyway, let's keep going. Uh, so the first thing that Goebbels did as a Nazi uh, was work as a secretary for a weekly newspaper, which was sponsored by the Nazi party, mm-hmm. uh, under a man named Gregor Strasser, uh, who, we'll find out, was basically something like the Trotsky of the Nazi party. Um, okay. And he was also arrest- arrested in the Beer Hall Putsch, um, also found himself released early, and then revived the movement. So he's not exactly hmm. like, um, he's not exactly like running the movement, but he brought it partially sure. back to life, right? Yeah. Um, so he's he's like Trotsky in more ways than one. So we'll get to that. Uh, so remember, like one of the things I liked about Trotsky was that he was really loyal to the ideology. Like he he took it seriously. Yeah. And when he saw like Stalinism starting to become a thing, you know, it devolving into like factionalism and that sort of thing. Yep. Um, he really had a problem with it. So mm-hmm. I had a little bit of respect for Trotsky on that on that front. Anyway. He sure. Was, yeah. At, at least, least he was he consistent. Was consistent. Consistent. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, he ended up, Trotsky, if you don't know, ended up being on Stalin's hit list and was assassinated because he refused to become a Stalinist. Spoiler well, alert. So Gregor Strasser did the same thing in 1934. Mm-hmm. Um, he hated the idea of Hitler becoming an absolute dictator. Interesting. Like, really hated it. Because, again, it's at its core, it's socialism. Yes. Um, because it's a socialist movement with a with a nationalist edge, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so having an absolute dictator is kind of counter to national socialism's principles. So Strasser, mm. being a principled guy, is like, hey, we don't need to be having a dictator here. Yeah. This is about the state. This is about the people, right? Yeah. Uh, the nation. Um, but he was actually ended up being killed for this in wow. a political purge known as the Night of the Long Knives, uh, which is essentially exactly what happened in Stalinist Russia, hmm. where anyone who and Mao, uh, Mao's China, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, so, like, anyone opposed to those guys was rounded up and shot, uh, just as anyone who was opposed to Hitler was also rounded up and shot. Um, anyway, that's another rabbit trail. The yep. point is that Goebbels <laughs> is working for a true believing Nazi here, not a Hitlerist. Huh. Right? Yeah. Um, so, and that's going to change, so you got to keep an eye out for that. Sure, okay. So, this is, so before Strasser was murdered by the Schutzstaffel, which is the SS, mm-hmm. uh, Hitler summoned him to Bamberg. Uh, and railed on him for about two hours, basically because he was pissed that Strasser thought differently than him. Hmm. Um, he's like, "You're you're not you're not uh, you're not uh, nationalist enough. You're more yeah. socialist. Like it's it's both things, you idiot." Uh. Um, and so he, it wasn't really too different from like the counter revolutionary bullshit we covered with Mao, right? Yeah. Where Mao, even Mao was like thrown out for not being harsh enough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going far enough. Like you, you know, get out of here. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Goebbels went with Strasser uh, to this meeting wherein Hitler basically said that Strasser's policies were helping him qu- create a quote, and I quote, mm-hmm. he said this of Strasser, he said, you're helping create a Jewish system of exploitation. Ugh. 
Right. Which is not surprising because he's Hitler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what is surprising is that Goebbels actually hated this. Whoa. Yeah. Didn't expect that, did no. you? No. No, no, no. So, yeah, especially after we already knew that he had a problem with it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so when Hitler said this, Goebbels wrote in his diary, quote, I no longer fully believe in Hitler. That's the terrible thing. My inner support has been taken away. Wow. Um, did not expect that. <laughs> now, yeah, this is surprising for a lot of reasons, not least of which is that Goebbels did blame Jews for a lot of Germany's problems, right? Sure. He still, he still was anti-Semitic, right? Yeah. Uh, but remember, he's aligned with Strasser, who believes uh, in national socialism, and the core of national socialism is socialism. Mm. So when Hitler starts attacking his and Strasser's view, uh, socialist views, he's not going to like it. Yeah. Um, and because Hitler's allegedly a Nazi, which I know is hilarious to say, allegedly, um, mm. but remember, Hitler became an authoritarian fascist dictator, not a champion of socialism. Right. Right? Sort of like Stalin didn't become an actual champion of communism. It just became Stalinism and was in completely... Um, like, not all that different from fascism. Right, right. yeah. Um, authoritarian dictator, right? Totalitarian state, either way you look right. at it. Masquerading to its slaves or its people um, as something that's good for them. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a tyranny that's like saying, hey, you know, I'm on your side, you really need me, and make me chairman, or make me, you know, the president, or whatever, yep. I don't know. So anyway, uh, Goebbels gives this speech uh, called Lenin or Hitler, in which he basically said that communism doesn't work, which, mm. you know, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we remember, like we discovered earlier, National Socialism is pretty much communism with a different set of political enemies and classes. Yes. Right? And then a couple of modifications as far as nationalism goes, right? Mm. It's, it's um, like, the, Russia didn't want to just have Russia, right? Yeah. They were interested in, 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 in uh, corrupting the whole world with it. They wanted, sure. you know, it was the perpetual revolution, right? Yep. Um, you're never done having the revolution until the whole world is conquered. And even then, you know, you'll have to get rid of the new class of elites that inevitably ride up, rise yes. up, right? Yeah. Um, so constant warfare. But anyway, so Goebbels, like, realizes that Nazism and communism are actually really close neighbors. Um, hmm. And he doesn't like that because he sees communism failing. And in fact, like, the whole party motivation or base is largely based on um we're gonna crush the communists in germany right? yeah so he writes this little pamphlet uh <laughs> which i read uh <laughs> called nazi sozi uh in which he explains uh, attempts to explain i should say <laughs> how national socialism actually differs from marxism okay um okay. i hunted this down completely out of curiosity and i found some bits i read the whole thing it's like 38 pages nice um and uh in the interest of trying to figure out what they actually were saying yes um and this pamphlet blew me away for so many reasons um but we'll get to them in due time so anyway so the pamphlet starts off with Goebbels saying ironically enough uh that there are 10 commandments of national socialism <laughs> <laughs> okay which is a theme that we'll cover um oh, no but anyway so number one germany is your fatherland love it above all and more in deeds than in words huh. right so just don't take just don't pay don't just pay lip service to mm -hmm. germany you have to serve germany as your father uh two germany's enemies are your enemies hate them with all your heart wow yeah, so it's it's fundamentally, here we go, in National Socialism, there are people you should hate, right? Yes. There are people you are completely justified to hate. Yeah. Right? Um, so, number three, every national comrade, even the lowliest, is part of Germany. Love him as you love yourself. Okay. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, so there's a, there's a slight difference there between Marxism. Yeah. Um, he uses the word comrade, which mm -hmm. is indicative of, well, what he's been reading, um, but every, uh, you know, the German word is Kameraden, 
you'll hear it in you'll hear it in video games. They'll say it a lot because yeah. <laughs> that's what they were saying. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, every national comrade, even the lowliest, is part of Germany, hmm. right? Now that's the difference. Um, yeah. They have a something like a hierarchy. At least Goebbels does in his understanding. Of right. It. Um, it's he's a part of Germany and he has his place and you should love him for being in his place, right? Yeah. It it's a it's addressing the class struggle, basically saying there there isn't really a class struggle. It's more of a race struggle. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's the same shit, different day, but yeah. with different words is what right. I mean. Um, so number five, be proud of Germany. You have a right to take pride in a fatherland for which millions gave their lives. Hmm. Um, oh, did you which, skip number four? Did I? Oh, yeah, I did skip number four. Sorry. Um, four, demand only duties for yourself. Then Germany will also regain rights and privileges. Mm, okay. So there you go. Um, it's a, uh, well, I should say, it's, it basically could response to uh, res basically could mean like ask only for more responsibility right right ask only for more to do and then you will be worthy of your rights and privileges hmm. but not so much you will be worthy but you will earn them yeah right? so if you give enough to germany you'll have the right to whatever you know have a house or something i don't know hmm. um so yeah number five was be proud of germany because of the uh the uh war or whatever yeah um which is different. Uh, yeah. Like you said, there's a there's a land tie-in to the collective. Mm -hmm. Whereas Russia, it wasn't... In Soviet Russia, it wasn't so much, you know, Russia is our motherland. It, there was an element, but it wasn't as important as this Germany sounds like. Mm-hmm. Well, um... Yeah, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't so much nationalism in mm -hmm. uh, Russia as there was collectivism. Because, yeah. like... National socialists, for example, like they're in competition with other Nazis from other countries. So yeah. if you had a nationally socialistic country next to Germany, they would technically be in competition. But if you had a communist country right next to another one, then you're just part of the communist bloc, right? right. So they they unify, and and national socialism is interested in actually having borders between states, and they take care of themselves in their own little Marxist way, um, yeah. You know, but within their borders, it's not about getting other people to come in. Right? Yeah. Well, and and um, you see that with Nazi Germany is you had other fascist states like uh, Spain and Italy, and mm -hmm. they they worked together, but it wasn't as supportive as uh, as you would think. Almost like the, a lot of the Italians and Germans did not like each other, mm. uh, despite their similar government structures, because uh, there's that yeah. land tie-in. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and they all kind of expected each other to. Um, take care of their own, hmm. mm -hmm. right? So, like, you know, if the Germans decided that they were losing badly, they would abandon the Italians, yep. um, you know, and say, we've got to keep protect our national interests. We're getting out of here, right? Yeah, well, and it was, at least on the Eastern Front, it was usually the Italians and the Romanians and the Bulgarians who were sent in first, sent into the, uh, the worst parts of the fighting as cannon fodder, mm -hmm. basically. And yeah. it's because they were, although they were fascists, they were still lower on the totem pole than the Germans were. Right, right. It's, yeah. So, anyway, so number six, he who abuses, this is the Ten Commandments, by the mm -hmm. way, he who abuses Germany abuses you and your deceased, repay him with your fists. Wow. So, see how vague that is? Yeah, well, and it's interesting that he uses deceased. Like, there's that tie-in mm -hmm. again to your lineage, to your heritage. Like, every part of you is tied mm -hmm. in with Germany. Right, it's right. Powerful. You, you, are a, you are a German, and that's basically the most important thing that you are. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, if anyone so much as insults it, 
It's mm. your job to physically, you know, physically assault that person. Wow. Um, and that's what I hate about it. Um, is like he who abuses Germany. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Mm. It could mean anything, and that's why they, you know, they would. You know, it's it's like the mango thing with with Mao, right? Like, yeah. Hey, that's like a sweet potato. Okay, you're dead. Yeah. yeah. You know, like <laughs> well, it could be accidental, and again, it was often accidental. Yeah, and it reminds um, me so much of what you said earlier uh, when I said the the attack on art comes first, and you brought up language. Like, here's mm. that language that doesn't make sense anymore, and what mm -hmm. exactly does it mean? Well, they're controlling the language, and so they decide when you do or do not cross that line it's horrifying mm -hmm. hmm. yeah well it's in and again the language the language and language art well basically all all of the well they call them a humanities for a reason because they're sort of universal right, right. every human culture has something like language and art um that's why they're called humanities and so when they try to get rid of those first um well that's oh, obvious be because <laughs> it you know it turns you not not into a just a person it turns you into, you know, a, a, pawn. a German or a communist, you know, a national socialist, that yeah. sort of thing. It reduces you. Hmm. Um, so anyway, um, so number seven, uh, repay like with like and then some. If you are denied your just rights, remember, you can secure them again only through your own political movement. Hmm. Interesting. So here's an injunction to rise up if you feel like you've been infringed, yep. um, which sounds a little bit like... Um, well, how some people think of the Second Amendment. Oh, um, yeah. Like, if someone tries to take your rights away, it's your job to fight back, right? Yeah. Um, so make of that what you will. Um, yeah. And number eight, which is interesting, uh, do not be a hooligan anti-Semite. Hmm. But beware of the Berliner Tageblatt. Okay. Which is, uh, the Berliner Tageblatt was a liberal newspaper published in Berlin. Hmm. Um, it openly criticized the Nazi movement. Oh wow! Right, it, it wasn't a leftist paper; it was a liberal paper. Sure. Um, but it criticized the Nazi movement. It criticized communism, and it was, you know, thank God, never silenced even wow. throughout the worst years of the Reich. Huh. Yeah. So, for what that's worth, um, the Berliner Tagblatt sounds like a pretty good paper. Yeah, it does. <laughs> could, use, could use one of those today. <laughs> <laughs> but also, this interesting "do not be a hooligan anti-Semite." I don't get that one. Uh, that's probably yeah. that's probably guarded language mm. because. You know, at this time, you know, the Nazis weren't really... They hadn't started persecuting Jews yet, right? But right. there was probably word on the street is that the Nazis are all anti-Semitic, right? And so yeah. this looks like a hedge. This looks like if somebody picks this up who's not a Nazi, you know, we want them to know that we're not for persecuting uh, Jews. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so mm -hmm. number nine, live your life in such a way that one day you will not need to stand ashamed before a new Germany. Hmm. Um which I don't know what to make of that one, but anyway. Uh, number 10, have faith in the future. Only thus will you win it. And, you know, oh, the last two. That sounds very... Right? Yeah, that sounds very communist-ish. Like, everything's yeah. working towards the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the new the new state. And actually, when you look at communist and Nazi propaganda, um, they're always, like, these people looking forward. Right? You're right, yeah. Um, and one of my favorite things is... Uh, I discovered this in Chinese propaganda in particular um it looks like mormon paintings huh um they they're walk there's like these smiling happy people walking forward on a sunny day and they're holding out in front of them, and they're in uniform and they're holding out in front of them like a like a holy book mm -hmm. and that that's a that's a crossover with with 
with religion that I think we're going to definitely talk about with Bryce tonight. Yes, yes. Um, For those of you who don't know, we are going to be going on to Bryce's Patreon uh, Q&A for a guest appearance. Um, This will probably be up way after that, though, but you may be able to track it down after the fact. Uh, Anyway, so I read the whole book. Right. Uh, I read all of all of Nazi Sozi. Mm-hmm. Um, and the structure of the pamphlet is basically this. Uh, it headlines a topic such as youth and politics and then it has a bunch of meta quotes beneath. Uh, for example, under the category youth and politics, we have the following quote, uh, which is quote. Uh, and what is the political idea that you want to practice with your movement with greenhorns who have barely got a whiff of real life with riots and insurrections with street fighting and the intimidation of anyone who thinks differently than you with this unscrupulous fight against the state and its natural foundations Hmm. to which the national socialist responds yes indeed we want to practice these politics because no one else does neither the experienced mature leaders of the people who can't complain enough about us greenhorns today cough millennials cough oh, uh, nor yeah. the well-bred bourgeois fac- forces of education and the intelligentsia nor the timid sickly pale stay-at-home would-be politicians neither the state or those who make the politics of the state there you go tell me james what does that sound like um today yeah a little bit yeah. but also also, it sounds almost exactly like the crap that Mao was spewing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like oh, it's the intellig- it's the intel, uh, the intellects or what, what the intellectuals, right? But yep. here we have the intelligentsia, which is probably just you know different translation. Greenhorns is slang, right? Yeah. That's why I say millennials because millennial is slang. Yep. Um, it's it's a it's something to categorize young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you know there's all these things that come with it. So the, I don't know what greenhorns is translated from, but it's obviously a slang. Yeah. Um, and this whole phrase with greenhorns who have barely got a whiff of real life, and he says to this the Nazi says yes, um, a whiff of real life. I mean, I keep hearing, I keep hearing people complaining nowadays that millennials think they can change the world. Yeah. Um, and they they've never lived real life. Exactly. Yes. Right. So oh, this is an ex- sure. this is this is an exact this is a this is really this is like a real debate now. Yeah. Right. I've heard all this before, and then I'm going back and reading it even earlier. It's like history fucking repeats itself. If you don't know your history, you're going to repeat it. Like that's a guarantee. And if you know um, your history, you're gonna watch everyone else repeat it. Yeah, that's and that's kind of the horrifying part. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, uh. So yeah, uh, it turns out that socialism is pretty much the exact same thing as communist, uh, according to Goebbels at this point. At mm. least in practice, uh, the the principles are different, obviously. Um, yeah. But here, look at this. Here's another, to, to sort of push the case further in that direction, um, mm-hmm. here's another headline called The Class Struggle. Hmm. And I'm just going to, I took a picture of it because I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, so this is where Goebbels is trying to separate uh, National Socialism from, from Communism okay. and Marxism, right? So this is the dialogue, all right? And it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little bit confusing. Yeah, but this is this is the Nazi near the end of the book when somebody's, you know, finally conceding and, and probably becoming a Nazi. It's like a, it's like a recording of a conversion. Sure. So okay. the Nazi says, "That means you become a party supporting uh, the class struggle. You called yourself the Workers' Party. That was the first step. You called yourself a socialist. That was the second. Now you're about a middle class, one class state. That's the third and last step." Is there even anything left now to separate separate you from Marxism? This is a criticism from the non-Nazi. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, there's nothing more hypocritical than a well-fed citizen protesting against the working class idea of class struggle. Hmm. 
You made it through this winter all snug and comfortable. Your very person is provocative of class struggle. What gives you the right to puff yourself up all swelled with the pride of national responsibility against the struggling of the working class? For almost 60 years has the middle class state really been anything other than an organized one class state, which out of compelling historical necessity itself gave rise to the working class concept of class struggle. Didn't you pay the price of this one, state cl one class state on November 9th, 1918? And aren't you at this very moment busily exploiting the people's despair in the of the insanity of Marxism in order to reestablish the same old reactionary middle-class nonsense as before? Aren't you well-fed citizens ashamed to fight against the class struggle of the undernourished, hollow-cheeked, unemployed, hungry working class? Yes, we call ourselves the Workers' Party. That's the first step. The first step away from the middle-class state. We call ourselves the Workers' Party because we want to make work free. Because for us, productive work is the driving force of history. Because work means more to us than possessions, education, niveau, and a middle-class background do. That's why we call ourselves the Workers' Party. Hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all about, they're all about the workers. Yeah, interesting. So very similar to Marxism. Right? Yes, for sure. Not exactly the same thing, but very, very similar. Yeah. Right? It's it's almost like they both swallowed the same Marxist pill. Yeah. Uh, which is that you're being oppressed, and that was that was all it took. Yeah. Well, and I want to I want to say something here. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I'm going to take a drink. For sure. So well, so much in America, I hear this this kind of idea that you know politics is simplified to this left wing right wing thing in America, mm -hmm. as if you have two options: you're either a leftist or a rightist. And mm. if you're a leftist, the danger is becoming a communist. And if you're a rightist, the danger is becoming a Nazi. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I think politics in America is so much more complicated and cannot be simplified into a two-category structure. Fuck no. <laughs> um, it can't be. And secondly, from what I'm seeing, like, uh, classical conservatism or classical liberalism uh, this idea of freedom, you know, democracy, capitalism, that doesn't mm -hmm. line up with fascism, or, or Nazism, I should say. Like, people like to say that the Nazis were uh, right-wing extremists, and in some ways they were, but in a lot of ways they were completely the opposite. Like, they hated capitalism, they hated free speech, right. they right. hated free markets and the right to bear arms, and it's just interesting that... It, it, I, I don't know, like, they don't seem very right-wing to me in all ways. In some ways they do, like, maybe they're classical moral ideas of uh, homosexuality or, or things like that, but mm -hmm. it, it's just way more complicated than saying, you know, Republicans are Nazis. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, it's, it's, and it's way more communist, or communist. <laughs> <laughs> it's way, uh, way way more complicated than saying that that people on the left are communists yeah it doesn't work that way it's but i i, I from reading both sides of it because like i got the sense that okay i've done two communists now it's time to find out what the nazis were all about yeah um i didn't get the sense of that the communists were even left wing right yeah right i didn't and i didn't get the sense that the nazis were right wing yes i got the sense that they both had bad ideas and they were both and like I walked away from, which is why I had to go play Wolfenstein. <laughs> yeah, I needed to get rid of this evil. Right. Right. And what's funny is I'm currently playing through Singularity, a game in which you battle communist Russians. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, but anyway, it was like I, I just I've just come to the conclusion that they're just both like you could probably just say they're both really bad ideas and they're evil and both um, completely totalitarian. Yes, and that's the problem. It's not the politics of the thing. Right. 
because that's 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 the surface. That's not even the surface. That's the that's like the paint job, right? Right. Yeah. It's 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 like the paint job, and it's like if you said, yeah, well, it's it's political. It's like, nope, think again. It's yeah. something else. It's moral. Hmm. Right. And it's it's a it's literally a value structure because, you know, here this oh we value the people above above something else. And it's like, no, you what you really value is setting things right in whatever way you can, according to what you think the way it according to what you think the way it ought to be is. Right. So and that's what totalitarianism is. It's just, it's just like it's just like, hey, I've figured out th- I've I've figured everything out. Right, it's the most narcissistic piece of shit way to look at life. I mean, I figured everything out, and I could fix everything if you just gave me unlimited power. And somebody goes, "Sure," and you know that's what happens in cults and religions too. I guess to, to finish up with that thought, mm-hmm. um, I'm not. I, I was like, politics is just the paint job. Like I was saying, yes, it's yeah, not, yeah, you it's said not, that. It's it's not the it's not the uh, it's not the thing itself. And so, like, having looked into all this, I'm no expert. But I, I'm, you know, I can spot similarities between things, and the similarity between the similarities between both of these movements are not. Well, it's not like oh, they're similar politically. It's like that's so shallow. Yeah. It's not. It's not quite right. It's the similarities are moral. Mm-hmm. And 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 the morality of thinking that you've got it all figured out, and that if you had unlimited power, you could fix everything. Yeah. You know, of course that leads to things like genocide and mass starvation. Mm-hmm. You know, of course it leads to, leads to the censoring of language and the burning of art. Of course yep. it leads to, to to cultic behavior. And I think that's that's the point I was trying to make when we lost the connection, um, was that it looks like a religion. It, it almost yeah. always devolves into that, where you have these, these heads, right? So, like, I think about, we talked about David Koresh, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah very persuasive guy had to be um yeah at least on some level otherwise he wouldn't have people following but l ron hubbard's an even better example because (laughs) he has many many followers right and they think he's just great and they do the same thing the stalinists did they stand up and applaud his portrait like i don't (laughs) know but anyway so like i see these i think that's the reason i'm so interested in both cults and totalitarian states is because they're kind of the same thing yeah um well, and it's interesting that we're talking about this because when we get to Tim LaHaye's adult life, we'll kind of dive into uh, a, a structure that works to, in a, a similar way, evangelical Christianity in America. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that'll. it's just cool that these, these kind of go together in some ways. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying evangelicals are, are Nazis, but... No, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... But anyway, so, like, um, I, I came up with this thing, all right, mm-hmm. like... I was like, okay, like I had this theory. This is like a religion. Okay? Yeah. I, so I'm going to treat it like one because when I was reading Nazi Sozi, I was it felt like I was reading a fundamentalist religious tract. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like com- it's almost completely inaccessible um, and unrelatable to someone who's not familiar with the lingo of Marxism. Hmm. And it's like it's so close-minded and relentlessly assertive and so damn sure of itself that it's kind of bizarre. Yeah. Um, it, it's something like. It's, this is something that's distilled in solitude, hmm. right? It's something you sit in your closet and you ruminate on. Um, and you think about it so much that you just work yourself into a logical corner. And, you know, that's what we talked about with Marshall Applewhite. Yeah. He and, he and Nettles went off together and just decided he was Jesus. And there was no <laughs> one there to say, no, you're not. Yeah. Um, and it would have been worse. And it, it got worse. 
led to suicide when there were people going there they're going yes you are oh yeah right you just have to find those yuppies those people who say yup to everything mm-hmm. um you know well and that's what that's what she that's what i love so much about death of stalin was that <laughs> everyone around him was like everything's great about you stalin yeah. and then behind his back they're like how can we kill this guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway um so th- there's a reason it's structured. The Nazi Sozi is structured in a, a form of an imaginary conversation, mm-hmm. right? Because that's how a lot of Christian tracts are. And I've yeah. only been exposed to like Christian Mormon tracts, not too many others. Um, but that's what they are. And actually, I, I was exposed to a Scientolo- Scientology tract hmm. um, called "The Way to Happiness." It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's this. It's this imaginary conversation where somebody's saying like something selective and whatnot um and only feeding you selective things that support their narrative right right? um and it's it's sort of forcing you into this black and white thinking um that basically turns you into a fundamentalist Mm -hmm. um so well one of i was trying to figure out a way to not get horribly depressed about this yeah um but the great thing about it is that you the best defense you have against it is to laugh at it. Hmm. Yeah. Like the same way I laugh at really hardcore religion. It's it's it does nothing to them. In fact, it probably makes them dig in if you're laughing in their face. I don't think you should laugh in their face. I think right. you should have a conversation with them. Absolutely. Try to figure out what they yes. think. Yes. 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 And even better if you if the two of you can find something to laugh at together, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the better place to be because like you know, for example, like. I like to I like to make jo- make jokes with uh, fellow Christians about like communion, like oh, so you're a cannibal, <laughs> and if they're if they're good natured, they laugh at it because they know that I'm technically right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they also know that I you know I'm just I'm just fucking around basically. Yeah. Um, so like if you laugh at this thing, it has it has the it's like a weapon. It really has the ability to take away the fear and the harm in mm-hmm. it. Um, cause like I read, I, for a while I read Jack Chick tracts, mm-hmm. um, and those are scary when you read them because they're so freaking fundamentalist and, and fear mongering and hateful. Yeah. But if you look at them and you, and you laugh at them as a product of something, you know, as a product of a, of a really almost infected mind, um, one, after a while of laughing, you start feeling sorry for them. Yes. And, yeah. and, and you really do pity them and you wish there's something you could do for them. But yeah. like to preserve your own sanity, you have to laugh. Um, yeah. No, I I think like like you said, there there is a difference of laughing at something and laughing at, like as you say, laughing at uh, what people believe uh, in comparison to laughing at them. Because yeah. uh, I've seen a lot of things like in America, people will laugh and mock neo Nazis or they'll laugh and mock flat earthers, and all mm-hmm. it does is encourage those groups. Yeah, it uh, makes them more insular. Yeah, so I don't think hate and ridicule face to face is the best solution to these crazy evil groups. Like certainly not. Yeah. No, no. And maybe I misspoke when I said that laughing is the thing to do. But I, I mean, what I really mean is find some commonality. Yeah. Try to make some jokes. If they take it so seriously that they can't even joke about it, then there's really no hope in a lot of ways. Right. Um. You know, it's like. Well, some, some, I had a, I, for example, I was at a Christian summer camp when, when I was a teen yeah. and, uh, I had a guy get, I, I asked a guy, so are you, so are you a sports fan? And he goes, I don't like the word fan. <laughs> it's, it means fanatic. 
and the only thing I'm fanatic about is Jesus. Huh. That's what he said to me. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Um, because I was like, wow, you really don't know how to have fun. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what you're, you're just a mouthpiece for this ideology, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what you are. You've got to pick on me just because I asked you an innocent question. It's like, yeah. no, it's, a, it's like, like, okay. So when I look at something like Nazi Sozi, I see like a thoroughly arrogant and crushing dogmatic certainty yeah. that pretty much rivals Ken Ham's belief that the earth is 6,000 years old. Right. Right. It's like, it's not about evidence and it's not about facts. It's about whether or not you believe it. You will die on this hill. Yeah. This is the hill you're going to die on. Mm-hmm. And it's a lame hill to die on. Yeah. And it's even worse when you're asking millions of other people to die on it with you. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then they do. And then you have their blood on, on your hands as well as the people you killed. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. But anyway, um, like, this is what distilled propaganda looks like. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. Yeah. Um, and I want to put this to the test because I, I just think it's interesting. Um, I took the liberty of finding some comparative readings. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read some quotes from Nazi Sozi. Uh, and I'm going to compare them to religious tracts. Uh-huh. That won't make everyone happy. No. Um, but this shit shouldn't make anyone happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so we'll start with some basic assertions. Okay. And I say start with, this is about as far as I get, is just one thing, right? Sure. Um, so here's, here's something from an evangelical tract I found online. So okay. here's a Christian tract. All religions that profess to get to God other than through Jesus Christ give a false hope. Hmm. All right. So it's an, it's exclusionary. It's saying this is the only way. Absolutely. And I know it. Yep. I know it. Nazi Sozi. Liberalism will die so that socialism may live. Marxism will die so that nationalism may live. And then we will shape the new Germany. The nationalist socialist Third Reich. Mm-hmm. So it's not only just like whittling away whatever value other ideas might have. It's championing just one as yep. being the ultimate answer for everything. Yeah. Um, and that might actually be the core of all this. It's life is grayscale. There are good things and bad things. There's binary ones and zeros. But the extremists say it's all ones or yes. it's all zeros. Yeah, exactly. They've fallen off the platform, yep. right? And that reminded me while I was while I was reading about this, or not writing because we don't have a script. <laughs> there's a there's a stop motion animation I saw uh, called Balance, hmm. and it's it's a Russian production, uh, from what I can tell. I think it's a Russian production. But anyway, it's got all these. It's it's a uh, stop motion animation. Yeah. Um, it's got all these men standing on this platform above this ocean, and they're all equally distributed across this thing, so that they're all fishing over the side. Right. And one guy pulls up a box out of the ocean, and it's so heavy that all the other guys have to run to the other side of the platform to keep the thing from tipping. Hmm. Um, and the other thing is this, this box is, like, emanating music. Mm-hmm. Right? The long story uh, short, I guess, is that they start fighting over this box, and each one falls off the edge until there's only one left. Huh. And the only way he can keep the balance and keep himself from falling off the edge is by standing on the opposite side of the platform from the box. Hmm. Uh, which is telling. It yeah. seems that the moral of the story is that the only way you can maintain a balance and keep yourself from falling into the abyss is to distance yourself from the thing that caused the imbalance in the first place, no matter how attractive it is. Mm-hmm. So with something like Nazism or communism, it may be attractive at first, but man, metal with those things, bad shit happens. Yeah. But, wow, I like that. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a good short film. I think it's called Balance. Um, you should go watch it. It's really good. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that it came from Russia. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I know we went on forever about that, but I think it's important. It, so Absolutely. Yeah, so Goebbels published this pamphlet in 1926. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, the purpose of it was to distinguish National Socialism from Marxism. Right. And it was reactionary to Hitler's dislike for Strasser. Remember Strasser, the socialist who was opposed to Hitler. Yep. Um, 
and the true believing national socialists. Mm-hmm. So Strasser was probably closer to a socialist, and Hitler was more like a nationalist, right? yeah. um, who was interested in leveraging the power of national socialism to f- support more nationalism. But anyway, uh, after Hitler reamed Strasser's policies at this thing, um, because that's that's what he was doing, he was basically giving a speech about how Strasser had, didn't go far enough, if you remember. He was doing the mouth right, thing, yep. or the anti-mouth thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that he thought, like Hitler thought it would be better if they were allies, obviously, more so than enemies, just even, you know, because, you know, getting pissed off about these little things was, was against, was, was not helping anything, right? Yeah. Um, so he invited uh, Goebbels to Munich to talk, and remember, Goebbels is working under Strasser. Yeah. Um, so here, Hitler told him uh, that he wanted to put their differences behind them and move forward. And if you remember, Goebbels had stopped liking Hitler because um, he had said something about a conspiracy. Right. um, And he couldn't trust him anymore. But his dislike for him changed overnight. And he wrote in his diary, quote, I love him. He's thought of everything. Such a sparkling mind can be my leader. I bow to the greater one, the political genius. Whoa. Yeah. That's a 180. (laughs) How about that for a religious devotion? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, it's like... It's the same. I love Jesus. He's yeah. done everything for me. You know, such a sacrifice could be my God. I bow to the greater one, yeah. the Savior. Yes. <laughs> oh. That's the. It's the same thing. Yeah. And 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 that's fundamentalism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fundamentalism and extremism. It's they're synonymous in so many ways. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so Goebbels and Hitler's a friend. Hitler are friends now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hitler puts Goebbels on a lecture circuit, or a rally circuit, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, the two of them came up with this brilliant idea of filming their rallies, too, so their message could be spread around better. Anyway, around this time, Hitler was gaining p- political power, and he offered Goebbels the position of Gauleiter, which, if you remember, is basically a district commander in the Nazi right. party. Yep. And this position is not just any Gauleiter position. It's the Berlin Gauleiter position. Ooh. Uh, yeah, big. So uh, Goebbels also gains power over the local Sturm... Uh, I'm going to fuck this up, but Sturm of Teilung and the Schutzstaffel. So that's the SA and the SS. Right. Now, most people have heard of the SS, the Schutzstaffel. Yes. But a lot of people don't know much about the SA. Mm-hmm. So here's the summary. Uh, you've heard the term brown shirts. Yep. Uh, well, that's them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're basically the blue caps, uh, which I don't know if we talked about those in the Trotsky episode. Like a secret police, right? Right. A little bit like, a little bit like the Gestapo, but not exactly. Uh huh. Um, so anyway, Goebbels has complete control over the paramilitary groups. These paramilitary groups and answers only to Hitler, right? Right. So he goes from being a secretary, just a few years earlier, yes. to becoming like second only to Hitler, almost. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so uh, Goebbels gets to work in his new position, mm-hmm. uh, and he's not head of propaganda yet, but he is interested in getting uh, as many people as he can to join the Nazi Party because, uh. like, remember. Hitler is God to him right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he starts studying advertising and marketing, as well as psychology, in order to figure out how best to convince people to join up. Okay. Another thing that he did was that he fathered clickbait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm not actually kidding about that. Uh, he got the idea of putting up posters with both large and small type. The large type would be some kind of cryptic and vaguely controversial question, and the small type would be the actual message. Fascism gone wrong, gone sexual, (laughs) in the ghetto. That's what I'm imagining these YouTube videos to be. (laughs) Well, you're right. I remember there was a a Chesterton essay I read called, um, 
I can't remember what it was called, but he saw a piece of socialist propaganda in the streets of London, and it's the heading was, Should Shopkeepers Marry? <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> Who thinks about that? Yeah. You know, so you lean in, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then you read their little bit of propaganda or whatever, and, and that's it. But anyway, so uh, besides doing that, he starts speaking in front of a mirror, just like Hitler. Oh, yeah. Uh, and when I read this, I decided it was actually time to watch some videos of Goebbels speaking. Uh, so I'm on a federal watch list, is what I'm saying. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and the, the related videos now for me on YouTube are all like, <laughs> no. Hitler was right. Oh, no. <laughs> all kinds of shit like yeah. that. So, hey, that's what you expose yourself to when you want to look, you know, f the abyss in the face. Yes. <laughs> so I watched a, a speech Goebbels gave after the Germans lost the Battle of Stalingrad, just to see what this man talks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost exactly like Hitler and Mussolini. Wow. You've got these repetitive, robotic gestures, a lot of passion, some shouting, right? Yeah. Just what you'd expect, really. <laughs> just exactly what you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a powerful weapon, uh, and he uses this weapon of persuasion to incite... This is in the 20s, by the way. To incite street brawls, uh, protests, and the kind of things you see these, like, modern communist movements these protesters doing you know they, they just arrested a whole bunch of people in france for setting things on fire right which good you know that's that's <laughs> yes, illegal that's and vandalism. you should go to jail for that mm -hmm. uh vandalism and it's dangerous you could hurt somebody yeah um so anyway uh that's what he's doing he's inciting these little riots particularly on college campuses mm -hmm. um and what a surprise again, yeah well and <laughs> well, they go for the kids, man. They, yeah. That's why you got the Hitler Youth, right? Yes. Um, so anyway, anyway, uh, this gets the Nazis banned from Berlin. Mm, wow. um, inciting all these riots, which is a good thing. Uh, and this happens in 1927 because they're attacking, they're, they're causing too much trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, unsurprisingly, this actually made things worse. Mm. Um, young Nazis were attacking Jewish folks in the street because, you know, they're Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, got bad is what I'm saying. Yes. Um, so, Goebbels was actually also banned from speaking in Berlin for a few months, during which time he started up a propagandistic newspaper called Der Angriff, or The Attack. Hmm. Uh, it didn't get much circulation, fortunately, yeah. <laughs> because it was packed with all of the classic Nazi shit that is morally reprehensible. Okay. <laughs> um, Goebbels also spent a lot of time philandering, apparently, <laughs> oh. uh, but never because he never got into like a deep relationship uh, during this period because he thought, and probably rightly thought, that a serious relationship would interrupt the goings-on of his career. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so... He's career-centric. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the ban on the Nazis was uh, unfortunately lifted for the election season. Huh. But I guess in the interest of liberty, you can't just keep people from running. Yeah. Um, I don't know, which is, hey, that's the, that's the risk, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, they win about 12 seats in the Reichstag, which is nothing. Right. Um, Goebbels, however, did get a seat, uh, which is kind of strange, seeing as he was literally inciting violence <laughs> in his own city yeah. and was banned for it. Oh, well. So in 1930, there was an incident, and this is important in uh, Nazi Germany history. Okay. Um, there was a man named Horst Wessel, mm -hmm. and he was a person of the Nazi persuasion, <laughs> and he was murdered by some communists. Oh, God. Here yeah. we go. Well, the, story's, the story's much more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, but that's not what we're going to focus on here. So, point is, Horst Wessel, Horst Wessel, mm -hmm. shot, dead. Communists did it. Oh, right? no. Here we go. Okay. Goebbels used this murder as a tool to incite hatred against the communists yeah. within the Nazi movement, hmm. right? Turn the guy into a martyr. Yeah, and that is exactly. Not, that happens all the time. Yes. It happens all the time. Um, and, uh, like, Goebbels went and visited him while he was dying mm. and made up stories about how Vessel had, like, stayed starry-eyed and devoted to the cause and said, don't let my death stop the Nazi cause. <laughs> oh, no. That's what he said. Yeah. Even with his face shot up, he oh. was still... 
You know, that's what Goebbels said anyway. Yeah. Um, but Goebbels and Hermann Goering declared a period of mourning for this guy. Huh. Uh, they renamed the Nazi party anthem the Horst Vessel Lead. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that's just Horst Vessel song. Mm-hmm. Um, Vessel's funeral was filmed and distributed. And Nazis claimed that communists attacked the funeral, but that wasn't true. They didn't attack the funeral. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, which, that sounds familiar too. I hear that a lot yeah, these days. Yeah, for sure. People make up people protesting stuff you should never protest like oh my god he's you know they're they're so degenerate they're you know they're protesting a funeral yeah yeah (laughs) um but there's that and i think we should lighten up but oh no do you know what time it is no no it's time for the great depression (laughs) (laughs) so my love life (laughs) i was gonna say me last year oh well either Um, one they were correlated (laughs) <laughs> oh my god oh finally some humor to lighten things I know. up jesus uh so anyway it hit germany hard this great depression okay hit, yeah. hit germany hard yeah the so-called great depression <laughs> the way i said that sounded like yeah the alleged great <laughs> depression stay so anyway <laughs> i hope i hope i never hear anyone say that to me ever again but i think now all of our followers on twitter who listen to this show are going to be like tweeting at us stay woke aaron shit um so, anyway, so Hitler and Goebbels used this economic decline as some kind of proof that the current government was failing hard and that only the Nazis could save the country. And it worked! Because the Nazis took 107 seats in the Reichstag the next election. Wow, that's a jump by yeah. almost 100. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, that same year, 1930, Goebbels met his future wife, a woman named Magda Quant. Oh, he found that's a probably- woman. Yeah, they dated for about a year before getting married in 1931. But he cheated on her almost constantly. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But anyway, more elections were coming up. Mm. And, you know, Goebbels, being more interested in his career, decided to face this challenge by organizing rallies, parades, speeches for Hitler. And then in 1933, Hitler was appointed Reich Chancellor. This can't go wrong. No, this sounds great Um, to me. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, Goebbels organized a massive torchlight parade. Okay. On the 30th of January. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to underline that torchlight parade thing. Why? 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 Uh, it sounds like a fun uh, no, uh, no, festival. No reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, 60,000 people showed up oh my in SS and SA uniforms. That's horrifying. Um, and Hitler immediately started appointing people to his cabinet huh. um, as soon as he was made Reich Chancellor. But he forgot about Goebbels. Oh, no. So that made, that made Goebbels sad. Oh, uh, in 1933, the Reichstag caught on fire. Oh, dear. Yep. So, this, and remember, this is after the Nazis have political power. Right? Yeah. Uh, it was allegedly, but not all of it, right? Not mm-hmm. all of it. And it was allegedly the communists who did it. Of course. committed this arson, right? The, the fall guys are the communists. Yeah. And there is some evidence that it actually was them, but to me... It looks more like a false flag operation. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, in fact, lots of historians are... are now saying that it was definitely a false flag operation. Yes. Um, uh, we sh- go ahead. Uh, not a lot of people know what false flag operations are. Should we just oh, yeah, quickly yeah. define that? Yeah, quickly. Do you want to do it? Uh, sure. So false flag operations kind of... The, the term originates from the age of piracy, which is the best age. Uh, but it's... <laughs> When so say there's a little teeny pirate ship and it sees a Spanish galleon uh, on the horizon, and there's no way that this little pirate ship can take on such a huge uh, armed galleon, 
So what they do is they take down their pirate flag and they raise a Spanish flag. And so the big Spanish ship goes, oh, look, it's one of our friends. They're probably in uh, danger. We should go help them. And then as soon as the big Spanish galleon is next to the little pirate ship, the pirate ship tears down its Spanish flag and raises their pirate flag. They jump on the vessel and they steal all the Spanish stuff. So it's basically a lie. And what it means in, <laughs> in modern politics is, say, if a government attacks itself and then blames it on a different entity uh, to get its own people rallied up against said entity. That's kind of what a false flag operation is. So Thus the Bush did 9-11 meme. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> probably... That's kind of how... I'm not, I'm not saying that it was a false flag, but that's what people are calling it out as. That's how the term false flag became really popular in uh, modern society, is the whole truther oh, yeah. thing. But, oh. so, yeah, like a, a clear example of a false flag attack that did happen was when Stalin invaded Finland. Uh, basically, Stalin shelled his own soldiers on the Finnish border. It's called the shelling of Manila. And he killed his own guys and then blamed it on the Finns. And the Finns were like, uh, you're crazy, we didn't, didn't, we didn't do it. But Stalin used it as an excuse to invade Finland uh, in the Winter War. So it, they do happen, it's just hard to pinpoint them, uh, especially at the time they happen. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But, now, you know, years and years after, you know, the Nazis have some political power, but not all of it, then this fire happens, and then boom. Yeah. They have it all. Yeah. So basically what happened is uh, there was this legislation called the Reichstag uh, Fire Decree, mm. uh, which was literally meant to round, like it was passed and it, they literally rounded up all of the communists and had them arrested. Wow. And this is one of the things that made Hitler a dictator. It was basically countrywide martial law. Yeah. Um, after this, Goebbels was made head of the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda. jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um. So one of his earliest little escapades that Goebbels planned was a concentrated effort to convince the rest of the world that not only was National Socialism working super well, it actually had the political support of all of Germany, oh. which, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So there was a ceremony. There was a ceremony in 1933 called the Day of Potsdam, where leadership was officially passed from then President Hindenburg to Dat Boy Hitler. Oh dear. Um, yeah. So Hindenburg had been like nominally in charge for a while yeah. but now he's like okay hitler's in charge mm -hmm. and that's basically how hitler got it so um shortly after this monumental occasion goebbels composed hitler's decree calling for all nazis to boycott all jewish businesses so yeah it's beginning yeah. like the moment they get into power wow. they're like uh actually we are anti-semitic mm -hmm. <laughs> like i know what nazi sozi said but we actually are anti-semitic yeah uh so it's the first of may uh, to all you revolutionaries out there, uh, it was traditionally celebrated in Germany as a day devoted to workers' rights, hmm. right? Uh, so Goebbels changed it, so it was now a day celebrating the NSDAP. Oh, good. Yeah. So the next uh, the next day, all the trade offices were shut down by the SS and were replaced with the German Labor Front, mm -hmm. which was a massive organization basically meant to give the proletariat some defense against those greedy capitalists. Right. right? Remember, they're not capitalists. Yes. Right? They're, Okay, they're socialists. So the system worked really well, actually, according to German sources of the era. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we're not sure it worked, but mm. it, it seems to have. Uh, a little bit, anyway. Um, also, Hitler had promised there would be an affordable car available to German citizens. Um, wow, sounds like Henry Ford. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you want to know more about Hitler and Henry Ford, listen to our Henry Ford uh, episode. Uh, that one's paired with uh, Charles Gateau, right? Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, 
so anyway, he made this promise that he was going to provide his people with a affordable car. Mm-hmm. So he produced the Volkswagen, mm. um, or the Volkswagen, if you're an American. Yeah. Uh, which translates to the people's car, for those of you who don't know. Good. So the people's car. Yeah. Um, the people's car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Um, they had a radio called the people's radio, mm-hmm. which was affordable and everyone had. And uh-huh. we'll talk about that later. Um, and none of the workers... Um, uh, none of the workers who saw their pay cut to pay for production, like so, they had to see a, a cut in pay yeah. in order to pay for this thing to be, you know, built on a state level. Um, none of the people who got who had to go through the pay cut ever got a Volkswagen. Oh, <laughs> so there's that. Oh. <laughs> um, hmm. So shortly after the Nazis had started up the German labor front, uh, Goebbels organized the book burning, the first one. Uh, just like the one in Indiana Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I won't list all the authors uh, that saw their works burned, but here's a few. Okay. Walter Benjamin, Ernst Bloch, Bertolt Brecht, Max Broad, Otto Dix, Alfred Doblin, Albert Einstein, Friedrich Engels, Leon Fuchtwanger, Mary Luce Fleister, Len- Leonard Frank, Sigmund Freud, Iwan Gold, George Gross, Jaroslav Hasek, Werner Hegemann, Heinrich Hein, Magnus Hirschfeld, Odin von Horvath, Heinrich Edward Jacob, Franz Kafka, Georg Kaiser, Eric Kostner, Al- Alfred Kerr, Egon Kish, Siegfried Krakauer, Karl Kraus, Theodore Lessing, Alexander Lernet Helenia, Karl Liebknecht, uh, George Georg Lukacs, uh, Rosa Luxemburg, Heinrich Mann, Klaus Mann, Ludwig Marcus, Karl Marx, Robert Musil, Karl von Ossietzky, Irvin Piscator, Alfred Polgar, Eric Maria Remark, Ludwig Wren, Joachim Ringelnatz, Josef Roth, Nelly Sachs, Felix Sultan, Anne Seggers, Arthur Schnitzler, Karl Sternheim, Bertha von Sutter, Ernst Toller, Kurt Tuchalski, Jacob uh, Wasserman, uh, Frank Vedekind, Franz Werfel, Great uh, Weiskopf, Arnold Zweig, and Stefan Zweig. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, just a few more. <laughs> Henry Barbus, Andrew Guide, Victor Hugo, Romain Roland, John Dos Passos, Theo Dreiser, Ernest Hemingway, Helen Keller, Jack London, Upton Sinclair, Joseph Conrad, Aldous Huxley, D.H. Lawrence, H.G. Wells, James Joyce, Isaac Babel, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Ilya Ehrenberg, Maxim Gorky, Vladimir Lenin, Vla- Vladimir Mayakovsky, Vladimir Nabokov, Leo Tolstoy, and Leon Trotsky. What books did they have left? <laughs> Only ones that were in service to the state. Wow. Because the ideology is so fucking good, it has to purge anything that might slightly disagree with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so it's so strong. Oh. It's so strong. It can it can it can't doesn't it doesn't even have to stand up into the face of anybody that might disagree. Mm. You know, it's so good. Oh jeez. So anyway, um, hang on. I I need to real quick check something. Um, so why don't you tell us a story? So, uh, one day I was walking, <laughs> and this man handed me a pogo stick, and on the pogo stick uh, was this little plaque that said, I will grant you wishes three. And I was like, oh, mysterious pogo stick man, can I have these three wishes? And he said, yes, you can, but all you have to do is jump on the pogo stick 30 times for each wish. <laughs> so I did, and I wished that I could forever have unlimited honey. And it was granted to me. The workers' bumblebee union came, and can you hurry up? I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I'm done. <laughs> I just finished. All right, I just okay. finished. Had to, I had to send a text out. Okay. Okay. So, so back to it. All right. So after the, the book burnings go on throughout throughout the 
the Reich yeah. power, third, yeah. power of the Third Reich. But, so anyway, uh, Goebbels was, while he was doing all of this, mm-hmm. um, more and more laws were being passed that persecuted Jews. Not good. Uh, some of these laws included revoking uh, Jewish legal licenses and things like that. <laughs> Pretty much every single club, group, or organization was taken under state control, which is to say that their entire leadership was replaced with actual fucking Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new thing came out called, and this is the worst one yet, the Schrift. The Schrift <laughs> Leiter Gesetz, <laughs> otherwise known as the Editor's Law, which basically meant uh, that in order to get anything published, you had to meet certain racial criteria. Oh, Jesus. So silencing every mouth that you know you think is wrong automatically yeah. based on who they are, mm. um, which is, I mean, that's literally racism. I mean, yeah. that's what that <laughs> well, is. Well, yeah, yeah. So the law also required journalists to basically write nothing but Nazi propaganda. Mm. Um, so if something went wrong, it was like, praise the state! Thanks to Hitler, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, something go right, praise Hitler, he's the best, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if someone's gonna take praise Hitler out of context and get me pregated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a Nazi! Yes. Um, no, so like, this, this shows up in a lot of Orwell's writings as well, and the one example I can think of is 1984. Yes. Um, production comes in, like, vastly under what, for, of shoes or something that comes vastly under under uh under production right Mm -hmm. and so they say well it could have been worse like we had to fight off the bad guys while we were making these shoes but here they are and there may not be as many as we thought but there's still way more than there would have been if we hadn't have fought for it yeah so it's actually a moral victory for us so that's the thing about these narcissistic leaders like this they can't lose Mm. if if somebody says hey mr hitler we probably shouldn't invade russia (laughs) or we're losing on the russian front we should probably like make a deal with Britain or something. Yeah. He goes, no, I wasn't wrong. I was never wrong. And he he goes to the end with it. And that's that's really the... Ugh. That's what happens with narcissistic leaders. They end up killing themselves, which is, of course, what Hitler did. Yes. Um, but also that Marshall Applewhite did. Mm-hmm. That David Koresh did, probably. Well, did. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, Jim Jones did. They're dead right. They're dead. L. Ron Hubbard tried to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he tried to have him shocked to death. Yeah. You know, it's it's the same shit. Yeah. Um, it's the same shit. But anyway, um, it's 1934, and it's time for the Night of Long Knives. Oh, dear. Uh, if you remember, that's when Hitler sent out his SS watchdogs to eliminate anyone who opposed Hitler, even obliquely. Hmm. So they killed Gregor Strasser and the Strasserists. Oh. That's right. Yeah. Just like in communist Russia, there were little factions all over the place, like Leninists, Trotskyists, Stalinists, and all that bullshit. Yep. Uh, they also went and killed conservatives. Oh. Uh, okay. Yes. They directly targeted conservatives, and that's not even like, oh, 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 kill the Republican hillbillies. It's like, no, conservative at this point in German history meant that anyone who was not a Nazi, so Democrats, Catholics, communists, anyone right. who's a conservative, like, like, they would just throw that label at you. Like, Strasser, he's a Nazi, right? Mm-hmm. He's a conservative. Kill him. Yeah. Right? Uh, that reminds me of uh, Mao's anti-right movement. Yeah, yeah. So Hitler also used this opportunity to satisfy a personal vendetta by killing Gustav Ritter von Kahr, hmm. the man who had put down the beer hall putsch. Oh. Uh, those killed in the Night of the Long Knives were typically shot without arrest, sometimes in their beds. Oh, Jesus. But uh, Gustav Ritter von Kahr wasn't to have it so easy. Hmm. They dragged him out into the woods and they hacked him to death with pickaxes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Night of the Long Knives. Wow, yeah. that's, oh, that's yeah. how Trotsky died, too. By yeah. pickaxe. Uh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> God. Yeah. That's horrible. We should not be laughing at Welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. We took a kind of an unscheduled break there because we literally ran out of time. Yep. To record. So, uh... Because you wrote a new Bible. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, I wrote a brand new Bible. And I was meaning that uh, by by length, not material. Right. Length. Oh, yes, of course. It's as long yes. as the Bible this is. is it's not a, this is not a Bible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do not treat this as a Bible. <laughs> so, okay, when we left off, there was that thing called the Night of the Long Knives, right? Yes. Where they were killing off all the opposition to Hitler and whatnot, and we quit when they dragged a guy into the woods and hacked him to death with pickaxes. Right, I remember that, because we were like, oh, it's how Trotsky died. Yeah, yeah Trotsky? Yeah. <laughs> I said Trotsky. Trotsky. I thought you said Trotsky. I'm tired. Probably. I'm a little bit I, sleepy. <laughs> you can probably hear it in my voice, but yeah. Um, anyway, so when all the all of that happened, uh, basically everyone knew that Hitler was taking over. Like it was yeah. pretty much over at this point. Uh, and then conveniently, a few days after the Night of the Long Knives, uh, President von Hindenburg dies. Uh, but he was mm. basically a puppet anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, but then, so Hitler's like, hey, yeah, he, the Chancellor of Germany, I'm gonna take over, so now he's President and Chancellor. Um, which means he's got to give himself a new title. Right. Uh, yeah, Führer und Reichskanzler. Oh. So, yeah, and that, may, that means that our guy, Joseph Goebbels, is now second only to Hitler in the structure of power in Germany. So... Good. Make of that what you will. <laughs> not good. I don't know if good is the word I would have picked. Impressive, maybe? Not maybe even that. impressive. Uh, I mean, he was a secretary a few years earlier. That's true. And before that, a failed writer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's that. But anyway, Goebbels organizes his propaganda ministry into seven departments. So he's uh, he's Hitler's propaganda minister. Got it. Um, and now that he's finally basically got carte blanche because his buddy Hitler is in power... Mm. Uh, decides to start making some making some waves, so he's got his propaganda ministry in these seven departments: administration, mass rallies. <laughs> yeah, administration, and mass rallies. That's a department. Uh, public wow. health and youth, and race. Oh. Uh, radio. Mm. National and foreign press. Good. Uh, films and film censorship. Oh God. <laughs> I know. We're there again. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, art, music, and theater, and uh, which you know. So he can get his his shitty books and, and plays published that he couldn't get published before. Right. <laughs> uh, and finally, the last well, the last department available is protection against counter propaganda, both foreign and domestic. <laughs> oh, it, the irony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Goebbels was apparently a total bastard to all of his staff, <laughs> uh, and a surprising. lot of people. Yeah. No, really though, you look at him, yeah. right? So, a lot of people thought he would never be able to succeed Hitler because he was too much of an asshole. <laughs> right? He's yeah. too asshole-less to succeed even Hitler. <laughs> He's the true Nazi. He's even more Nazi than Hitler. Well, exactly. Uh, so, the other thing he did, and this is a really big simplification, I admit it, but essentially if you want to produce anything at all, like a book or a movie or a radio program, you had to be an absolute rabid Nazi. Mm. Uh, and you also had to prove your Aryan ancestry back to the year 1800. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, like, See, you, could, you couldn't speak. Yeah, go ahead. Well, that, that just makes me wonder, like, why is 800 the year they decided? Uh, why not 1799? Like, what's the big difference? What if I could trace um, it back to 1801? Would I be Aryan enough? Nope. Oh, shit. <laughs> No, you have to be able to prove it to be able to write anything. So if you can't prove it, you just don't write. Good. And and <laughs> and on top of that, proof is like pretty spurious. Like they what they accept as proof is like 
you know, whatever they want to accept oh, that day, whatever they're feeling like. So if they don't like you, they might be like, ah, you know, your your grandfather, you know, was best friends with a, you know, with a Jewish man or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you're guess you're not Aryan or oh, something. Geez. Like that kind of shit. Yeah. And that's a little bit of an. That's not exactly an exaggeration, but like, the shit that they would pick was like almost random. Right. It wasn't systematized hardly at all. It was just kind of like, hey, what's new today? So anyway, um, so yeah, they're throwing a metric fuck ton of shit into the fires of the sensor. Mm. Um, and intellectuals sensing what is coming start to get the fuck out of Germany. <laughs> so you know, Smart they move. saw the writing on the wall, I guess, with. Uh, with uh, Stalin or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, with the intellectuals or whatever. But anyway, so <clears throat> Goebbels was actually extremely interested in radio, hmm. uh, as it was basically the internet of the day. So he was a podcaster. Yes, he was a podcaster. <laughs> Got Ger- it. <laughs> are you saying Goebbels is a, is us, or we are Goebbels? I, I was saying Which we were is gerbils. <laughs> yeah, we're gerbils. We're gerbils with mics. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm so his podcast was probably We Talk About Aryan People. Yeah, um... <laughs> Shit. Yeah, this is not the comparison yeah. I want to make. <laughs> no! <laughs> okay. So anyway, he gets he gets really into podcasting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he takes over every radio station in Germany. Uh, and he produced a cheap radio called the uh, Volksempfanger, I think that's what it is. Which is, of course, the People's Receiver. Mm. Uh, Ten million sets were sold, and where they weren't sold, they were placed. Um, he also put loudspeakers everywhere, including factories and schools. Uh, factories and schools, by the way. So you're at work or you're at school trying to work along, and there's Nazi propaganda just blasting through these <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, with that, That's do horrible. you know what time it is, James? No! No, no, it's no. Time it for, can't be! It's time for... <laughs> It's time for World War Two. Ah! <laughs> <coughs> I couldn't okay. say that loud enough because I, my throat is as dry as the Sahara Desert. Ah, uh, well, Erwin Rommel would know a thing or two about that. Yes, he would. <clears throat> uh, Desert Fox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about him someday. Yeah, and speaking of World War Two, we're not going to talk about the war much yet. We're gonna, <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're gonna stay focused on Goebbels. Okay, mm-hmm. so in 1939, two days after Germany invaded Poland, Goebbels made it illegal to listen to any foreign radio stations under pain of death. Oh, actually, yeah, <laughs> you could be killed for tuning into a radio station that was not a Nazi station. Oh no. Yeah. So uh, here's a quote from Al. I think it's Albert Speer. Uh, Hitler's head architect, and uh, he later said of this move uh, that the that the move uh, quote made the complete use of all technical means for domination of its own country uh, through technical devices like the radio and loudspeaker. Eighty million people were deprived of independent thought. Hmm. That's wow. from the Nazi leadership. Yeah. Like this was a guy who was I can't remember if he was in the bunker or not, but he was he was like Up in there. Hitler's house the yeah. whole time. Right, he was designing the new the new Berlin. Yeah. Right? Um, this but is the guy who... Yeah, it's so ahead. blatant, like, just depriving them of independent thought. Those are his words. It's amazing yeah. how well calculated this whole strategy is. Yeah, and I couldn't tell if it was like a, like a, oh dear, like, maybe that was a mistake, or hell yeah, 80 million people deprived of independent thought. Either way, not good! No, exactly, yeah. No. yeah. So, uh, you know, Germany is now literally a political echo chamber. Oh, right? God, yeah. Um, so let's jump back to 1933. I know we went up to... Oh, 19- okay. Oh, Jesus, I hit the... Hangers. I'm recording in a closet ah, because shit. it's the quietest place in the house. So, <laughs> um, anyway, so we're going to go back to 1933. Um, 
so we can talk about another problem that Goebbels was tasked with solving. Mm -hmm. So, despite what you may think about Nazis, they actually hated religion. Really? Particularly Catholicism, interestingly enough. Hmm. Um, even though there's some... There's some evidence of some collusion with the Catholic Church. Uh, right. So well, I mean, Italy was their allies, so they kind of had exactly. to be somewhat they okay with Catholicism. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But still, the Reich, and I would say the Nazis, really didn't like Catholics much. And this is uh, expressed in 1933 when Hitler signs the Reichskonkordat, uh, which mm. was a treaty made with the Vatican that required the regime to allow Catholic institutions to remain Catholic and not be infected by Nazis like every other organization. So, like, that sounds like a good thing for the Catholics, right? Right, yeah. Um, and so they were like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have our private institutions, right? Our Catholic schools and things. And they won't be infected with Nazis at the top leadership, you know, at the top level. Yes. And what's interesting is that was happening to literally everything else. So the Catholic Church getting this, like, bypassed is like, hey, that's, that's a step, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, Hitler signed this agreement. Yes, but he had other plans for the Christians. Plans such as rounding them up and arresting them for made-up charges of smuggling or sexual offenses. Ugh. Yeah, so okay. they basically just, I mean, I won't say it was completely fake, but well, for the no. most part, they made up a whole bunch of crimes and things. Sure. Just to get, you know, Catholics or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Goebbels, of course, jumped up and publicized these shame trials. Shame, not sham. Ah. Uh, and made a case that all of Catholicism was corrupt. Huh. <laughs> so... <laughs> Pretty convenient. Yeah. Uh, so after this, it was pretty much easy for the Reich to pass legislation that required Catholic schools to stop teaching Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just yeah. I just gotta say there yeah. there is something in between Germany and the papacy. Like, I mean, a thousand years before this, they had the whole lay investiture con controversy between the Holy Roman Empire and the Pope, and then of course Martin Luther came along and. Protestantism came out of Germany in a lot of ways, and now there's this yeah. whole thing, and it's just interesting that Germany is, like, the country that stands up against Catholicism so much. Yeah, well, and it's it's even, like, to add to that, because I think that's a really good point, um, it seems like Germany is, like, the, uh, the center for revolutionary, like, explosions of thought. Like, mm. Marx and Engels were mm -hmm. from Germany, That's right? true, yeah. And Martin Luther, you know, like major upheavals of, of you know, empires and huge civilizations or whatever yeah. sort of begin there. Um, and they take root in particular, you know, usually in foreign markets before they land, they, they work there, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they've got a problem with Catholics uh, and they've got, got them to stop teaching Catholicism. <laughs> um, but it didn't stop with the Catholics either. Mm. Uh, in 1937, Goebbels expressed a wish to literally exterminate the entire Protestant church. Great. Uh, I ask, which one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's a joke. He wanted he wanted basically all Christians gone. Yes. Because he thought religion was, you know, bad. So, in response to this, Pope Pius XI smuggled a sermon into Germany to be read from every Catholic pulpit, basically decrying the Reich for persecuting Christians. Good. Yeah, which, you know... Say what you will about Catholicism, persecution is not cool! No, no. Um, so Goebbels responded to this by delivering a speech broadcast on the radio that declared the entire Catholic Church to be morally corrupt. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, not hyperbolic at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, say what you want about the Catholic Church. I mean, I've, I've seen, uh, I've read the books and everything. It's mm. pretty, mm, it's had some bad stuff. Oh, but yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, when Goebbels is saying it, you're like, hmm. So anyway, uh... It, after that, all Catholic schools, like, basically vanished in the space of two years. Wow. In Germany. 
You know, um, and so go, go ahead. ahead. I was good. No, you say something because the next point is different. Okay, well, go I was going to say, like, now I really want to cover Mussolini on this show because it sounds like he is in a pinch between uh, the papacy, because most of Italy was Catholic at this time, and his ally yeah. Hitler. Like, how did he balance that? Uh, I, I want to know more. I want to know more. I, I'd like to know more. You know, like, that's. Well, we'll cover Mussolini one of these days. We'll cover Mussolini. And I, I want to cover Franco, too, because nobody knows about oh, Franco. Oh, yeah, for but sure. Anyway. Um, so anyway, the, all these Catholic schools disappear. Mm -hmm. And get this, Hitler saw this as too extreme. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. So he ordered that the war on the church be dialed back a little bit. Mm. He was like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's like, you know you're extreme when Hitler tells you to chill the fuck out. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, if you're doing something, and Hitler shows up, and, hey, man, chill out. Yeah. It's like, whoa. <laughs> chill out, mein Herr. Oh, God. <laughs> What? It's nothing. I just wasn't expecting that. It wasn't. Yeah. Well, I wasn't expecting it either, and then it just kind of happened. Oh, so. just like the anyway. polls. Just like the polls. Well, they weren't expecting the Nazis. I'm sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Anyway. Uh. Anyway. So let's actually talk about World War Two now. Uh huh. And uh, we won't get too detailed because the episode is already way out of hand. So basically, <laughs> World War Two happened, ah. uh, and Goebbels used his propaganda machine to support whatever the fuck Hitler was doing. Hmm. Uh, when Hitler had a victory and conquered a city or a region or what have you, Goebbels would be right there with his loudspeakers and people's radios, ready to pump propaganda in the newly occupied territory. Wow! So like, you they get in, they you know destroy the the region's power structure, and then they replace it with this propagandistic machine. Yeah. Right? So, like, they can't wait to indoctrinate you, okay? So, right, so they're just pumping um, out, like, you know, Fallout 3 was better than Fallout New Vegas, and you're like, no, that's blatant right. propaganda, <laughs> and it's wrong. <laughs> that's clearly Nazi propaganda. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to point something interesting out here, uh, because I was watching some videos a while back, mm -hmm. and uh, it shows the power of propaganda. Um, well... Basically, it was, uh, people were interviewed, these, uh, civilians, I think, from... One of the occupied territories. I don't remember. But, okay. like, they got they got wind of this propaganda. Like, the Germans were coming and they were going to make everything great. Yeah. Right? And so when the Germans rolled into their city with tanks and things like that, they were cheering for them. Yeah. Oh, I've heard that, too. Yeah. And it's it's and there's it's a little more complicated than that. Oh, for it's sure. It's a little more complicated because, like, these were most of them were German-speaking people, right? Yes. And they wanted something like unity with, with Germany because they were... Yeah. What was the name of the land that they... Oh, shit, I don't remember. Was it the Sudetenland? Uh, possibly. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, How about we Google it so we don't sound ignorant? Yes. Uh, but you, you are right. Like, there were large populations of German-speaking sp people and culturally German people who are outside of Germany, whether in Austria or Poland or the Ukraine, and they saw the Nazis as, you know, like this unifying, liberating force. Um... And they were encouraged to move back to Germany, where most of them were really mistreated, by the way, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I found it. I was right. It is It is German-speaking areas, uh, particularly, well, in places that are now Poland. Yeah. So that explains, I guess, the Polish invasion, right? A little bit? Part of it, they sure. They wanted the German-speaking regions back. I don't know shit. So well, they also... Uh, Hitler also wanted the East for basically settling new Germans, basically making Germany itself larger. Um, oh, yeah. And you wanted the oil fields of the Caucasus. That's kind of why Stalingrad happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that little, actually. That little fiasco. <laughs> the, the little fiasco. 
Um, yeah, there's a good documentary on Netflix called World War II in Color. It covers that part of the war mm. pretty closely, which I really like, with, like, maps and giant arrows with swastikas on them, like, swinging down. Oh, I love the, those, yeah. It yeah. helps visualize <laughs> so much. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so we're in World War II or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, and Goebbels is doing propaganda. So he puts out a virtual army of these things called film vans, uh, which were just vans packed with propaganda and projectors ready to go and indoctrinated, newly assimilated Borgs. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> most of these films were meant to garner support for Hitler's anti-Semitic theories and whatnot, because, you know, the Jews are responsible for everything wrong with the planet, apparently. Uh -huh. uh, just like the bourgeoisie, obviously. Right. You know. Um, so let's talk about what Goebbels did to the Jews. Okay. Uh, because we got to talk about yeah. it. So first and foremost, he's the guy who invented the yellow star. Oh. That all the Jews were forced to wear. Oh, yeah. Um, uh -huh. That was his idea. Um, he was also responsible for the first major deportations of Jews from Berlin. Mm. Um, deportation meaning they were put on trains to far off lands and were shot the moment they arrived. Jesus. Um, so Goebbels was one of the few uh, Nazi top brass to publicly acknowledge the extermination of Jews in Germany. Hmm. Uh, he estimated that only 40% of the Jews in Germany could be put in work camp. The other 60% would have to go, Jesus. like, be killed. Um, he described this as a, quote, a judgment carried out on the Jews which is barbaric but thoroughly deserved. What, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I don't get that. No. It's like, you know, I, I, well, maybe, I, well, this is touchy. Yeah. It's just like... That's an entire group of people exactly. that you're collectivizing, and you're deciding they should be killed? Yeah. Put in work camps? It's like, it's really disgusting. Because, you know, like, oh, they deserve extermination because, you know, they had it coming, obviously, right? Right. Like, that's what they're saying. How deluded do you have to be to think that genocide, genocide even belongs on, on the table? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why would that even be an option? Like, how angry do you have to be at this, at this you know... Clearly, what the hell? Okay, sorry. <laughs> I lost my, my train of thought. Oh, okay. I lost my train of thought. But, uh, anyway, so, there's that. Yes. And at one point during the war, the Nazis start to run out of things. Mm. Like, everything. So Hitler comes up with this idea. He's like, hey man, how about instead of, like, instead of running out of things, we just produce worse things. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's like, let's water down the beer. Let's produce cheaper clothing that's, you know, gonna cause our people to freeze. Oh, right. uh, and he suggested making cigarettes even worse. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Hitler didn't smoke, so he didn't know how bad they were already. So yeah. Goebbels was like, you know, let's not make the cigarettes worse. It's gonna be bad for morale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but morale drops anyway, oh, a little bit. Uh, it drops even more when Hitler actually starts losing around 1942 in North Africa. And then in Stalingrad, yeah. Um, this presents Goebbels with the necessity uh, to solve the problem of lying to the people uh, of Germany about the actual state of the war. Mm. He has to, you know, the glorious right can't lose! Wow. You know, it's like, you know, Hitler's infallible, a little bit like Mao, yeah, right? It's, it's like, I've got to explain this to the people. What were you going to say? So, like, imagine being in, like, a little German village out in the countryside, and all the families are getting these letters from the Reich saying, oh, your, your son died valiantly on the Eastern Front. And yeah. then, like, the propaganda van coming in and being like, We are winning the war! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, okay. Yeah, My son is dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's... Uh, well, that's... Dark, The but... tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, anything... Uh, anyway, so, the Reich's losing. And what's funny is that Goebbels knew this. 
Like, he knew the truth about how things were going with the war. Yeah. He knew the German war machine was rusting in the storm. Mm. Uh, so he actually started appearing less and less as things got more and more dire. Ah, courageous. Uh, so he starts becoming more of a recluse. Like, oh shit, like, you know... I, you can't you can't keep up the act forever. Yeah. You know? And so when people start to figure you out, you start appearing a little less, mm. I would think. Um, so it's like, maybe it's because the lies he was telling them were becoming so obviously made up that he was embarrassed to spout them. Like, he, no matter how loud and, you know, hand-wavy he was. Yeah, well, that would make sense, um, because liars, I mean, the lies always catch up with you eventually, and if your job is to make giant lies, it's probably yes. gonna <laughs> catch up with you faster than usual. And in, and in even more dramatic terms. Yeah. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Let's carry on, then. Yes. Uh, so another thing that actually resulted from Germany's clear losing streak at this point was the idea of conscripting the elderly, women, and fucking children oh, to Jesus. fight for the Nazi cause, uh, which eventually happened when the Soviets hit Berlin, by the way. Mm. Uh, there's actually... I, I was looking through some photos. There's this photo of Goebbels shaking hands with a Hitler youth. Um, Hitler Jungen, that's what they call yeah, it. Jeez. Um, uh, he appears to be no older than, like, 14. Oh, my God. Uh, and in the background, there's all these elderly guys who look like they're kind of giddy to be so, to be in uniform, yeah. right? They, they're, like, smiling and shit. And Goebbels, like, the look in Goebbels' face is completely different. Yeah. Like, it makes me think that this is, he's being forced to come with the literal terms of these horrendous conscription policies. Oh, like, he's shaking hands with a child who's wearing a stall helm and a rifleman's bandolier. Mm. Like... I think it would take a lot to stare that kid in the face, knowing he was probably going to die in some frozen, charred field, yeah. carrying a broken 30-year-old rifle loaded with faulty rounds while amped up on amphetamines and Nazi lies. Right. Like, go look at the photo. It's like Goebbels Gerbil, is like, oh, shit. Like, they're real people. Yeah. You know? That's the that's the thing about these guys. I think is that they're just they're kind of removed from the people they they claim to be war fighting for. Oh, for sure. Right? Well, it's that old, yeah. It's that old saying that like the old men make the war and it's the young men who die. Like there's yes, this, there's this, yeah. this, uh, this distance or di this disconnect between the two groups. And yeah. yeah, it makes total sense. As awful as it is. Well, there's a couple things. Uh, well, I would just say there's one book that everybody should read, and it's called All Quiet on the Western. Oh Front. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a novel by Eric Remark, and he, it's about a German soldier. And one of the scenes is he goes on leave, I think after being wounded. This is World War One, um, though, right? This was World War yeah. One. He goes on he goes on leave, and he goes back to his little village. And everybody, life is carrying on as usual there. And he, like, that's a shock for him. But the other thing is that in the tavern, he goes to the bar. Mm -hmm. um, he goes to a bar, and he goes to a school. But at the bar, he sees a bunch of old men with a map, like, leaning over the table talking about what Germany can do to win the war. And he gets, like, really pissed off at them. Yeah. Because he's like, it's not working like that. You know, this isn't the Napoleonic theater. Right. Like, this is, this is trench warfare with machine guns and gas. It's yeah. different. Oh. Uh, and then the next scene is he goes, go ahead, sir. No, well, that reminds me of, oh, shit. Who was the Canadian World War One hero that we covered that you, you talked about? Uh, sir Arthur Curry. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Arthur Curry. With, he, he understood how war worked, and he had to, like, uh, talk to his superiors and be like, no, trench warfare doesn't work that way. You're yeah. so r far removed from reality. Yeah. Ugh. Well, it's... It's just, it's just the truth. Yeah. And, like... You know, even talking about this, we're even more removed from it than than those people were, mm -hmm. right? We're we're living, you know, eighty years after the fact, right? Yeah. Now. So it's like, you know, it's almost like nobody has a right to speak on it, but that's not true. I think everybody should be well, talking about exactly. it. Exactly. And yeah, this is kind of 
off topic, but kind of connected. I think this is why the Vietnam War was so demonized by the American public is that it was really like the first war where we had photographers and uh, video footage of what was going on. And people were Mm. seeing like, oh, whoa, we're doing that to other people. We're seeing dead American like 16 year old boys. Holy shit. This war is bad. And it's like, uh-huh. well, it's kind of all wars, if you think about it, but now you just well, get to see it in the face. Yeah, well, and it's it's a little bit more, uh, well, I think it's partially why people like, you know, prefer to think about the European theater in America than they do thinking about the Pacific theater. Right. Because in the Pacific theater, it looks like Vietnam because it's fucking hot and it's muddy and, the you know, there's inclement weather. In Europe, it's like, it's it's a little cold and there's a really cold winter, sure, but, like, everybody has their uniform on the right way. Um, they're not rolling up their sleeves, you know, they're not sweaty, mm. it's, they're not covered in mud, generally speaking, you know, they're not dying of malaria, right? It's kind of so a cleaner when you get those, battlefield. It's a cleaner battlefield. When you go and look at the Pacific Theater photos, like, it takes fucking work to get that to look not horrific, yeah. right? You have to point the camera in very specific directions. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's why the Pacific Theater, when you go look at those photos, they look almost no different from Vietnam. Mm. It's just because the c- conditions were different. Oh. Um, so, yeah, the prettified, you know, Battle of France or whatever, Normandy or, you know, that sort of thing. It's almost like, it, it just has a different vibe. It was like the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to demonize what happened at Normandy, of course, because, I mean, no, of course it, it was amazing and heroic what those guys did. But it's kind of like that, where it's become, Normandy Beach has become like that, uh, it's just so critical in American culture. It's like the perfect heroic sol- American soldier. That's what it is. It's Normandy Beach. Mm-hmm. And like, it's the uh, Great Crusade. Yeah. You know? And like everything American soldiers do any t- in any war is always Normandy Beach. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a. I mean, that's a tough cookie or tough nut to crack. You yeah. Know? I was gonna say tough cookie to crumble, but that's a tough nut to crack. The uh, either one. You know, the the reality of, the reality of it is, um. You know, war is really it's not, complicated. <laughs> war is complex as fuck. Yeah. And the morality of each battle, of each situation with each soldier, like, that shit adds up. Yeah. You know, and you know, and one story coming out about something you know, something terrible that happened. And I was actually happy when I watched Saving Private Ryan that they, I think they shot that Czech guy who was trying to surrender just out of mm, hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that was probably the closest thing to objectivity in that movie. Right. Um, but anyway, so... Like, yeah, well, like good we, rant. We were talking about uh, about the Hitler youth being recruited to fight and defend Berlin. Um, right, There's yep. a There's a part in... In Downfall, Der Untergang, which is it's a German mm. film about the end of the Third Reich. It's amazing. Go watch it. It will make you incredibly depressed. But they they portray it correctly. They're little girls with Stahlhelms trying to man artillery cannons to fight back oh, Russian Jesus. tanks. Yeah. yeah, like that. Those are real situations. So, I don't know. Uh, pretty dire. All right. And, um, and can I just say really quick, like how sure. cowardly these Nazi leaders had to be to. To know that they had failed in every way. I mean, here are the Russian uh, troops in Berlin, and you're making fucking, like, children fight for your your cause, and they mm. don't surrender. They don't deal with it. Well, what a bunch of cowards. <laughs> like, it, it just makes well, me so pissed. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there, Great. because Goebbels was in the bunker right. at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway... Goebbels pushes for these new conscripts. It's the Volkssturm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it's called. 
the people's storm. <laughs> uh, there are about a half million conscripts gathered in this new push. Oh. Uh, because remember, this is all about the livelihood of the people. Yeah. <laughs> which is why they're going to die in a fucking war. Right, for the greater yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, for the greater good. Um, at this point, though, Hitler took a different line and instead conscripted previously off-limits workers. Oh, so gosh. the workers' party yeah. is now conscripting the workers, yes. Um, this means that a lot of things got shut down, like restaurants and pubs and non-essential things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was around this time that Germany was shifting into gear for total war. Goebbels saw this as a good thing. In fact, he was leading the charge. He gave this speech at the Reich, at, at, I think it was the Reichstag, mm-hmm. about, like, we've got to go to total war. Everyone's a fighter now, you know? Yeah, and so it's total the war. people's army. Could you, could you define total war? real quick just uh why don't you do it you play a lot of total war. <laughs> well total I, I guess the idea of total war is just where every aspect of the life of a community revolves around war uh so if you're defending in a total war situation kind of like the nazis in this case yeah everyone is either on the the battlefield or directly contributing to the to the war effort and in a lot of cases, this involves also burning anything so that the enemy can't have it. So mm. the in the so when the enemy comes across uh, the community, there's just a bunch of charred fields and destroyed villages that you destroyed yourself, mm-hmm. or uh, it's just a lot of destruction, <laughs> basically. Right. Yeah. Right. So basically, there the whole all of Berlin is going into this total war mode. Good. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Again, Goebbels saw this as a good thing, and they were closing down restaurants, pubs, non-essentials, right? <laughs> yeah. And Goebbels was actually really mortified, like, when he learned that uh, Hermann Goering, one of the top brass, demanded that all but his personal favorite restaurants be shut down. <laughs> so Goering is making, like, shut down every restaurant except for that McDonald's <laughs> right there. Yes. Go there for my, yeah. for my apple pie in the afternoon. Um, and so Goebbels actually has a problem with this mm-hmm. um he's really pissed off with goring because he's like you know Ger- goebbels is a very committed idealogue yeah. right he's got he he believes very strongly in like whatever hitler says goes no exception so when he, this guy goes ah make an exception for me i'm goring right yeah <laughs> um so a little like trotsky he sees like cl- clear corruption and he gets a little upset mm-hmm. but there's not much he can do about it because it's 1943 and the war is basically over mm-hmm. Uh, And this is before D-Day, everyone, (laughs) Uh, just so you know. Uh, So no American involvement in Europe uh, is not... No, American involvement in Europe is not exactly what brings us down the Third Reich. Mm -hmm. Defeat is already imminent. Uh, So Goebbels goes to Hitler and tells him he thinks Germany ought to make peace with either the Soviets or the British because fighting them both looks like it's going to be literally suicide. Yes. And that's why I kind of thought, like, maybe there was a little bit of harsh realization going on in Goebbels in that photo with the Hitler Youth. Yeah, it kind of um, seems that because way. Because he's like, we gotta give up! Yeah. Like, we have to give up. We know we're, we're gone, or they're gonna crush us if we don't give up. Well, I mean, in, Hit- in this, yeah? at this point, like, um, yeah, Italy has pretty much fallen, Africa's been taken back, uh, the Soviets are just, you know, wiping out entire German divisions, uh, there's resistance movements everywhere. D-Day hasn't happened, but it's in it's in the makings um, at yep. this point. Like things are not looking good for the Germans at all. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, Goebbels makes a good point by saying, "Hey, let's quit now. Yeah, like <laughs> maybe we can preserve the right. Right, right. Maybe we can become a you know be, actually become you know not as grand as we wanted to be, but maybe we'll survive. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Hitler refuses. Yes. He says, we're going to carry on with the war. 
And after this, Goebbels' rhetoric becomes even darker, right? Yeah. He's, he describes this struggle against the hordes of Russia and the capitalists of the West as the last stand of a pure people against global corruption. <laughs> you know, it, he's like basically saying that the entirety of, of, of the dream of utopia rests on this final battle. Mm. And he basically turns the entire German uh, nation into a nation of martyrs. Right. Um, which is terribly, you know, narcissistic and hypocritical to say that you're fighting against the hordes of Russia, um, <laughs> against global corruption. Oh. You know, it's like, so it's like they felt like martyrs for the only true cause. Mm -hmm. And I will risk sounding like I'm sympathetic to say right up front that that is absolutely awful. Yeah. To think you're the last vestiges of goodness losing to utter evil and that the world will never recover because you failed to fight back the hordes. Ugh. Like, it was on you. Like, the reason the world will fail is because of this last stand not succeeding. Yes. So it's like, I can't even imagine, like, on the other side of that, to allow yourself to see yourself as so morally perfect that you do feel like that is totally also your, you know, you do feel like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, where you feel perfect and you're, like, you're the last angel to stand against the demons of hell. It's like, that's your mistake, too. It's like if you let yourself become so overtaken by your own sense of self-righteousness that you literally cannot see the horrific evil that you're doing, I just get the sense that there's, like, no hope for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, there was no hope for Goebbels anyway, and we'll learn about that when we come back to his end and death. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're done with him, so. All right. Uh, do, do you want to take a break? Yeah, I think we should, we should probably take a break. I gotta get more coffee and uh, swear a whole bunch of times. Ah. <sighs> And welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking at length about Joseph Goebbels' adult life. But now it's time to go back to Tim LaHaye, because, well... <laughs> who was he again? <laughs> who the fuck is Tim LaHaye? I forgot. This is going to be our longest episode by far. Yeah, I'm really considering dividing it into two parts, though. So we'll see. Maybe six parts. Uh, that, that might make some people unhappy, but... That's true. Um, so, please tell us, like... A little bit. Yeah. You better go over his entire childhood. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, when two people love each other... Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, James. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> All right. All right. So, let's talk about okay. Tim LaHaye. Hey, Tim LaHaye. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can we please talk about Tim LaHaye? Yep. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Okay. So, when we last left Tim LaHaye, which was forever ago... But in the future, compared to Goebbels, right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, forever actually, ago in the future, once But he wasn't, time. because he was born in the 20s, I think. Really? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Was he? I have to check now. Yeah, something like that. Yes. He died April really 27th, recently, 1926. Oh, perfect. Okay. Alright. So, he's so kind go of a ahead. Contemporary, a contemporary. Uh, anyway. Yeah, because he fought in World War II, remember? Uh, yeah, kind of. Did he? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, fuck. We're off to a great start here. Yes. It's a great start. Yes. I can't believe how good yes. this is. Okay. So his dad died when he was nine, right? Yeah. But he found hope okay. in the fact that he would see his dad again in heaven. Uh, and then he fought in World War II. But okay. okay, now we're all caught up because there wasn't much on his early life. So <laughs> yeah. Tim LaHaye's adult life. Okay. So, he is back home and he decides it's time to go learn some shit. 
awesome. So our boy Tim goes to college in the late 1940s. He's not going to learn anything there. <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, and and it oh, actually God. it actually gets far worse be, because... Uh, oh, oh what, no! What the, Aaron, what the... Do you know what no. time it is? No! It, it's no. it's no. time for no. Bob Jones University! Holy shit! Yes, oh, it God. is time. Okay, you gotta tell us about Bob Jones University, because... Yes. You and I know what that is. Yes, we do. And I'm not sure everyone else knows what Bob Jones University is. That is true. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so uh, we should really talk about Bob Jones University when we talk about Bob Jones, maybe in a future episode, but I'm going to use this opportunity about on Tim LaHaye's life to talk about Bob Jones University, because <laughs> we have to talk about it. <laughs> we have to talk about Bob Jones University. Yeah. Bob Jones. We Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> Okay. You know, I bet he had a nickname, Bones. Maybe he was Boner Champ. <laughs> well, it's... Okay, I'm so immature, but I was... So, I've been on Bob Jones' website, their university website, a lot this past week. And in mm -hmm. all, of, all of their sentences, they always say, BJ University. <laughs> oh my god! Why? I don't know! I'm like, come on! They can't not know! Exactly! They can't, they can't <laughs> not know! <laughs> I know! Blowjob University. Exactly. Sign me right up. <laughs> right. Well, okay. Well, there are no blowjobs at this university. Um, oh, really? Really? Yeah. So, okay. So, let's get into this. Uh, All right. Tell us about Blow Jones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Bob Jones University was begun in the year 1927 by a man named, you guessed it, Bob Jones. Uh, All right. And Bob Jones was a very conservative Christian who was worried that academia in America was becoming too secularized. Okay. Hold it. Yeah. I think you're allowed to worry about academia in America. That's for sure. Right. I don't know if it's the right approach to just worry about it becoming strictly secularized. And, and this right? is in the late 20s. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So what is this man to do? Why yes. begin one of the most fundamentalist extremist Christian universities in the United States, of course. Of course. Uh, so thus began Bob Jones University, which is in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh... <laughs> And like I wait, what? Oh no, I've never been there. I went to a different one. Oh, I shit. don't remember what the, the hell the other one was that I went to. It was out in uh, Ohio. Do you know what that is? Cedarville. Yeah, yeah, Cedarville. Yeah, uh, was it Cedarville? Uh, it's I out in it Ohio. Was. Yeah, yeah. That's another that was, that very conservative little... Christian school. Not as yes, maybe though. not as I was going to say not as conservative. You no, know, Bob Jones is like the uh, head honcho of conservative Christian colleges, and we'll get into the why. Head honcho. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The okay. head blowjobber. So Anyway. Oh my god. <laughs> Emphasis on head. Head. <laughs> yes. Varus. Varus. Uh, All right. Anyways. Okay, so, so let's move on. So he starts this university yeah. and, in uh, Greenville. This is Bob Jones, by the way. So Okay, right. And like many This is Bob Jones, not Tim LaHaye. Yeah, right, right, all right. Right, so, right, right. Okay. Bob Jones, like many good Christians at the time, uh, he had friends who were members of the Ku Klux Klan. He oh, accepted donations from the Klan. Did he? <laughs> yeah. He supported prohibition. Was opposed. Narc. <laughs> yeah. He was opposed to evolution, okay. uh, and he supported racial segregation so much that mm. he even went so far as to say that God Himself created segregation, and anybody opposed to segregation was really, in fact, opposed to God. Holy shit! Okay, here's the deal, though. Uh huh. I. I hate to say this, but I know people who say this. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Which does is... my microphone sound weird? Uh, All right. Okay. So, 
racial segregation, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After some technical difficulties, pardon us. Everybody. Yeah, so this seems like a great guy to start a university, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about yeah, Are the they scene. accredited? What? Are they accredited? I don't know. I'm going to Google I it. I think so. Accredited. Is Bob Jones accredited? Let's see. Bob Jones is accredited by the Southern Association of Colleges. Wow. Okay, they are. But recently, though. Mm-hmm. What? Like, today? What? <laughs> no way! What? <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Oh, no. No, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. They just don't know how to run a website. Oh, okay. Well, um, that's not surprising. Yeah, so uh, today, June 15th, uh, I don't know what year because they don't say, that it released full accreditation. Uh, it's the biggest milestone in Bob Jones University's 90-year history, says BJU President Steve Pettit. Oh, God, Steve Pettit at BJ University? Ah. <laughs> so we set out to obtain regional accredita- accreditation and strengthen our mission, and by God's grace, we've accomplished both. So does he just? Did they just give blowjobs out to get this? That's what I'm really <laughs> guessing. That's <laughs> just wrap your diploma right around your dick. I don't know. What? Have you oh, ever had a blowjob? <laughs> Never. <laughs> We're trying, we no, I went to Bob Jones University. <laughs> See, this is maybe Bob Jones was right. Look at us joking about such terrible things. I we know, need to just, go back to fundamental values like segregation. <laughs> Not really. No. 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 Okay. Okay. So okay, I'm going to find out what year. Okay. okay. It was last year. Wow. It was last year that they were actually accredited. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. That is. Wow. Okay. okay. Sorry. No, no. Carry on. The, so th- there's a lot more amazing to be done uh, by okay. Bob Jones. Well, pardon the vaping sounds, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to begin, Bob Jones U- University supports young earth creationism. Uh, okay. And I realize that not everybody listening will know exactly what that means, but basically people who believe in this believe that God created the Earth only a few thousand years ago, possibly as little as 6,000 years ago, and that evolution is completely false. So Well, that's good. It's great, yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, Bob Jones University actually states that evolution is, quote, at best an unsupportable and unworkable hypothesis. What? Yep. <laughs> that, that's the official statement as an unsupportable and unworkable hypothesis? Yes. Uh, this is a university that was just accredited last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All good. All I, good. <laughs> just real quick. Real, yeah, I'll, real go, quick. Ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, there's... Uh, I hate... <sighs> this makes me really mad. So, I went, to, I went to Baylor, right? Obviously. Yes. And when I was there, I took a neuroscience course. And it was awesome. I probably told this story. Uh-huh. But the professor got up front... And he had, he had a copy of uh, Origin of Species and a copy of the Bible, and he slams them together over his head, and he goes, did anybody see any sparks? <laughs> <laughs> Am I being struck by lightning? And, you know, the room was just silent. And he's like, okay, because we're going to talk about evolution because it's a good theory, and <laughs> yeah. we need to talk about what makes a good theory. Um, and, you know, when I went to university, I was, like, kind of on the fence about evolution because, again, the way I was raised... And we'll get like, into that, yeah. You know, you sneer away evolution mm. if you're one of those people mm-hmm. instead of actually looking at it and, like, you know, because there, there are good criticisms, obviously. That's the whole point of the scientific method is to criticize that theory, yes. right? Um, so, I guess I don't... I'm not... I would like to see Bob Jones University publish some stuff that's actually critical of evolution, but isn't just calling it unsupportable and unworkable, like, officially. So, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and... But, 
yes. I actually don't know this. I don't know if it's okay to believe in evolution while being at Bob's University. But if it's not okay, oh. I, I, I don't know, honestly. So I'm not going to say anything except that it should be okay to believe in evolution there as a Christian. Can you be an evolutionist at Bob Jones? Let's see. Googling it. Just has evolutionism. Oh, they got the uh, the word evolutionism. Oh. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we'll get more into that. Uh, okay. So sorry. We, we but, should carry on. Yeah, but uh, science aside, let's talk about race relations. Oh, fun. Yeah. So after all, the founder of the university, the original Bob Jones, supported segregation and accepted donations from the fucking KKK. Now, Aaron, okay. yeah. now, now, remember that Bob Jones University was begun in the year 1927, right? Right. 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 Well, right. well, there is some good news and there is some bad news. Uh, okay. The good news is that Bob Jones University, out of the generosity in their hearts, did allow Asians to enroll in the school. How very progressive. Yeah, it's pretty big of them. Uh, the bad news is that Africans and African Americans were not allowed to enroll at Bob Jones University... Oh my god, 1920s. Until fucking Jesus. 1971. What? That's almost 50 years of segregation. Jesus. Yeah, so, and that's not all. So if you're black, you can enroll, but only if you're married. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so, 19... Well, oh, uh, oh, 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 what if you're married to a white person? I don't know, it just said married, so... They probably wouldn't let you in. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, yeah. that's, but that's not true, I don't know. I'm Who speaking. knows? So, yeah, 1971, they're like, okay, fine, you can enroll if you're black, but only if you're married. Anyway, so finally the fucking IRS has to get involved because the university claimed tax exemption all these years. Uh-huh. Uh, but the IRS says that if you're tax exempt, then you can't practice racial segregation. <laughs> Oh my god. So finally, under a ton of pressure from the feds, Bob Jones U University finally allowed black students, married or unmarried, to enroll at the campus. Okay. But! Like, so they had. No! <laughs> yes, there's another button here! Oh god. Uh, the university okay. didn't stop its game here. Just to keep things in check, the university decided to make interracial dating and marriage against the rules! <laughs> Well, okay, 1971. When was the case with the married couple, the Supreme Court case of the married couple who were arrested for being interracially married? I, I don't know, but uh, I don't remember, we are going to get to a court case real soon. Oh, good. Yeah, at least. <laughs> so the IRS okay, comes go. back, and for several years, Bob Jones University and the federal government battled it out as to whether or not tax-exempt university could have racist Jim Crow rules. And the mm -hmm. case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> Unsurprising. Yeah, in 1983, the case... 1983? 83, yes! <laughs> oh my god! Yes! In 19- 1980- how embarrassing! Oh, and he, just, just wait. So, okay, 1983, okay. the case Bob Jones University versus United States took place, <laughs> and the United States won, thankfully. Uh, well, the United States always wins. That's true. <laughs> so, Bob Jones University had to decide whether or not to keep its racist rules or pay a million dollars in back taxes. Uh-huh. And it chose to pay a million dollars in back taxes. What? <laughs> and it wasn't until the year 2000, 2000 that Bob Jones University finally abolished its rules against interracial marriage and interracial dating. 2000? Yes, 18 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and we're laughing because mean... this is terrible, obviously. This, like, no, <laughs> like, that's, uh, it's terrible, like, and it's embarrassing for them, oh, like. I know, Oh, God, you go to Bob Jones University today, like, people are going to be pulling this shit out of their ass to, like, make fun of you for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. Like, 
I uh, see. I felt kind of funny about putting a Baptist university on my re- resume, though. I don't think Baylor qualifies as a Christian university sure. at all, at least not compared to this. Hmm. Um, but like, if I had Bob Jones University on my resume, yeah. Oh God. I think it would be virtually worthless, oh, I, and I, it might actually work against me unless I was like applying at like a alumni well, organization. Yeah, and that's the thing is we'll get into. Um, I'm not saying Bob Jones University is a cult. Of course not. But. <laughs> Uh, we'll get into how, like, yeah, graduates from this university only go deeper. Um, I, I don't think they have a choice, anyway. Exactly. Like, exactly yeah. what you said, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, so, well. on this race issue, good news, everybody. The university has apologized. Um, oh! Yeah, uh, in 2008... <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait till Barack was president yeah. before... <laughs> Yeah, this isn't... Holy Christ. This isn't 1808, or even 1908. This is 2008. (laughs) The university declared itself, quote, profoundly sorry uh, for having allowed institutional policies to remain in place that were racially hurtful. (laughs) Oh my God. And that the BG University administration is, quote... BG University? Yep. The administration is committed to maintaining on campus the racial and cultural diversity and harmony characteristic of the true Church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Uh, well, so, okay. So, good job, Bob. Newly committed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Bob, okay. BJ University, fighting racism one battle at a time. <laughs> They're definitely leading the charge. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Oh, okay. God. Wow. So, okay. we're not done with them yet. Hang on. <laughs> Buckle in. Wait, wait, wait. Remind me. What is Tim LaHaye involved? How is he involved in this? Uh, he got his undergrad degree at Bob Jones uh, in, okay. in, in the late 40s. And <laughs> okay. So, there's Tim LaHaye's not involved on this in this rant that much. I just want to I just want to talk no, about No, I encourage Jones. you to. This is fascinating. Well, and if you weren't if you weren't raised in like the very conservative Christian uh, circles, you you've probably never heard of Bob Jones. So, I it needs to get out there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And like I I I read books printed by Bob Jones University. Oh, same Press, here. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. as part of my curriculum. Oh, yeah. Like and I when I think about that, that's kind of ugh, that makes me feel gross. Well, just But I yeah. you know, it's, it's I really don't think like at least my parents I was homeschooled, so like my parents, I don't think they knew, like, this kind of history. Sure. Like, and who does? Like, uh, it's Bob Jones University Press. You're like, that's legit. Yeah. But, you know, who's going to go look into it? Right. You know? Well, and Unless you're like us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, hold on. We're going to get into uh, current policies of Bob Jones University, okay? Oh, no. Are you ready? Here we go. Yeah, go. Uh, well, first, a little more history. So, Bob Jones University has also uh, been heavily involved with politics over the last few decades, which is no surprise. Uh, and recently, actually, Bob Jones was even prominent in the 2016 presidential election. Republican mm. candidates Ben Carson and Ted Cruz held large campus rallies at Bob Jones, and the university <sighs> president Steve Pettit met with Republican candidates Marco Rubio, Rick Perry, Mike Huckabee, Jeb Bush, and Scott Walker, all on different occasions. Wow. Which, okay, it's not bad, I don't think it's bad that these candidates are have a presence on the university, right? Like, that's that's Mm-mm. good. Candidates should in, uh, be involved with universities. But like, oh yeah, they're Americans too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, this is the bottom line. They're Americans too, and if they're part of your constituency, you need to go and visit them. Yeah, of course. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, the problem is, it's only Republicans, which, uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, and, yeah. And uh, also, <laughs> the president of the campus is meeting with all these different people. Like, it's just a bit odd. Greasing some palms, are we? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. I don't know. So not a, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows uh, what the BJ University president was doing with? <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> with Ted Cruz. Oh no! Oh man! And his greedy oh, eyes. Jesus. <laughs> I should not be joking about no, that. No, no, we're oh, joking Christ. here, of course. Uh, oh, God, yeah, yeah, well, it is a joke. Yeah. Yes. Okay, <laughs> so what's not a joke is that you're probably starting to see that Bob Jones University supports a very fundamentalist and conservative form of American Christianity. Mm. And I know that I'm supposed to be talking about Tim LaHaye, but I think that covering Bob Jones University uh, will help illustrate the brand of Christianity that will become prominent in Tim LaHaye's later life. And like right, I said right. earlier, people just got to know how crazy and fucked up BJ University is. At least it's history. You right. know, the, the stuff that's still around is, is well, classic of conservative Christianity, fundamentalist Christianity. I don't even want to say conservative Christianity. Sure. Fundamentalist Christianity. Um, you know, evolution, uh, simple rejection. It's not even like denial, right? It's just like, we're not going to talk about that. It's, it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Satan I mean, and maybe they evolution. do. They probably do have a class where it's like you know evolutionary theory and maybe. You know, why you have to learn it to be a scientist and also it's bullshit, right? Because I was exposed. You and I were both exposed to that in high school. Oh yeah, which was here's evolutionary theory. By the way, it's bullshit. So don't bother memorizing any of this. Yes, we just got to cover our asses and say we talked about it. So anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so he goes to Bob Jones University like this, Tim LaHaye, and yeah. then, well, then what? Well, we're, we gotta, we're not on Tim LaHaye yet. We, <laughs> <laughs> there's way too much on Bob Jones University that I can't let pass up. So, oh, okay. so to this shed more great. light Go. on the BJ University, which is what I'm going to try and call it for the rest of this, uh, for the rest of this episode. Yeah. So let me share with you and the audience some glorious tidbits from the Bob Jones University student handbook. Oh, and I'll say that over the past week, I have read this handbook twice, and it is just so goddamn good. So I, <laughs> I, I encourage, I encourage everyone listening to to read it. Just Google it. There's a PDF. Uh, it, it, let's let's just get into it. Okay. Uh, so the handbook begins with some opening letters from various faculty, as well as a brief history of the school, which of course leaves out any mention of the blatant racism. Right. <laughs> In fact, the history includes almost step-by-step -step records of when the various buildings of the university were built, but no <laughs> racism! Oh no! <laughs> You know, it would mean something though if they said, you know, we've had a background in this, but we're we're we've changed and we're oh yeah rising up. And I'm sure all this. I'm okay. You tell me, mm -hmm. how old is this handbook? Would you guess? Oh, just a couple of years. Is it most. so? Is it full of like night like uh, carefully diversified photos and things like it that? It didn't have any photos of, of students. None at all. Okay, see. what about the website? Uh, yes, yeah, and they take pride. Okay. They're like, yes, we have students from all fifty states and over fifty countries. Oh, wow. And you're like, yeah, you're just a United Nations in South Carolina, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. So, okay. also in the handbook, so no racism, but uh, they do uh, they do mention how they were able to attain tax exemption in recent years. Oh, right. Which is interesting. They say attain instead of regain. Oh. Because you bastards had this before and only lost it because you didn't let black people study at your university. <laughs> God. But they're like, oh, we got it. No, you got it hey. back. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay, moving on. Mm -hmm. So then there's some more boring stuff, and then, uh, oh, we get to this section called Respect for Authority. That's actually what it's called. Yes. Uh, now, okay. I've heard some criticism of Bob of BJ University that the campus is uh -huh. either a police state or a cult. Okay. I think it's both. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I don't. But of course not. Those, no, it's. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not either. Okay. No. 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 It's. It's neither. It's neither. Definitely yes. not. Yes. Okay. okay. So we'll, we'll get into some of the more tyrannical rules in a bit. But anyway, they have a section on how good Christians obey authority and requires that the student accept quote the student covenant and indicating his or her intent to contribute to an edifying environment with a cooperative spirit. A cooperative spirit. Yeah. So it's like 1984. <laughs> Okay, classic. Yeah, yeah. All right, so go on, go on. What else? So, what else do you have to do? Uh, or next, not do? of course, uh, are the normal Christian university rules of no sex before marriage, no drugs, no drinking on campus or off campus. And mm -hmm. I'll give that to them. That's pretty normal for Christian colleges. Uh, that is pretty damn normal. Because you went to yeah. Baylor, and they I'm assuming Baylor had those same rules. They had the same rules, but they weren't strictly enforced. Sure. They were more like... Uh, <laughs> They were more like guidelines than actual rules. <laughs> exactly. Hold on. Uh, there was plenty of drinking going on there. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Right. Uh, you know. oh, well. Anyway. Uh, okay, so... Where was I? Uh, sorry, there was, there was a person outside my window who was... What the uh, fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, whatever. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so... Chapel! Well, and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, next comes chapel, which is not church, mind you, okay, right? Right. Chapel and church not. are different. So, chapel is a campus-wide worship service that takes place <laughs> every day, Monday through Thursday, is mandatory... Oh, and each student has an assigned seat. Oh, my God. Oh, and no electronics are allowed unless you're using them to take notes. Oh, and you can't oh. bring drinks in open containers. Oh, and you can't bring a guest to sit with you, but only if it's... You, you can bring a guest to sit with you, but only if it's pre-approved. Oh, oh. And then there are a bunch of uh, very tight regulations as to how you can be excused from chapel, but it's very hard to get that. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. As for church, and this is different than chapel, church, you're expected okay. to go uh, every Sunday morning, but only if the church has been chosen as a part of a pre-approved list of good churches that BJ oh University has approved of. Really? Yeah. Oh, and you're expected to be involved in the church's ministry. Oh, and you have to attend uh, church some t other time in the week, too. So at least two what? services a week. Yeah, they said, like, either Saturday night or Sunday night or Wednesday night as well. Which, like, what? when do you have time to study if you have chapel four times and church two times a week? Anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. and there are also two weekly discipleship group meetings in each of the residence halls that all students must attend. Two a week. Jesus, that's a lot of sitting, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yes. Yeah. I wonder if there's an well, obesity okay, problem to... on campus. <laughs> when I went to Cedarville... Mm -hmm. And I, and I say I visited Cedarville because I think my we were just in the area and my mom was like, you need to go to Cedarville. And I was like, ah, I don't uh, like that idea. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they had a, from what I can remember, they had a, like, a sheet that you had to fill out and you had to, like, get confirmation that you actually went to church mm, um, from somebody who worked at the church. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure, I wonder if Bob Jones has the same kind of thing. Oh, it does. And we'll get into it. Yeah. We're, okay. We're, there's still a lot more we got to cover on this. Okay. Uh, let's DJ. So, All right. okay. Oh, there's also this whole creepy section about how if you help with child ministry, you have to be super careful that you don't do anything with a child. Which, which is like, great, thanks for putting that in the student handbook. That's... Uh, Sweet I Jesus. mean, I'm glad it's... Uh, I'm glad we're making, you know, statements on this, but, like, of course! Yes! <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also, right. every spring and summer, every student has to write a paper to check up on their spiritual growth and then get this paper approved by various superiors, such as a pastor or church mentor. What the Jesus? Which smells like a cult to me! Let me... Oh, God... <laughs> Uh, but let, All right. Uh, let's let's talk about academic life. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell yeah. us about academic life. Okay. James. So there's this glorious <laughs> statement that I found that I have to read. 
Okay. Okay, go. Appropriate discourse in a reasoned fashion is part of the education process, and strong opinions informed by fact, logic, spiritual maturity, and biblical insight are valued. At the same time, <laughs> disagreement over ideas and other academic issues can occur. Oh, which can? Like, I sure hope they can. Isn't that the whole goddamn point of a university? Well, this looks like it's paying lip service to like people who, oh, Bob Jones, you know, they, they don't, they, they teach creationism and they don't allow uh, allow anything like evolution uh, onto the campus, so they don't have a dialogue, yeah. right? Well, that's a legitimate criticism, right? And I and this looks like it's just saying, hey, look, it was it was look in the look in the handbook, we said you know discourse is important. It, it can <laughs> happen. It can. Who knows occur. if it will? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. We're not Carry done on. yet. Hang on. Great. Buckle up. I want more. Okay. Give me more. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then there's this whole thing about plagiarism and lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty normal. Uh, mm -hmm. Then there are like three pages detailing that students can never skip classes unless for very specific academic or health-related issues. Uh, oh my god. But you cannot skip a class if you want to sleep in or even if you want to use that time to study for a different class. So like, very... Uh, militaristic about that. Right, right. Well, it's like, I didn't skip class at all. I think I missed, like, two classes my entire time at Baylor. Oh, really? Um, I was just one of those nerds who was like, I don't want to miss a single class. Yeah. Um, and I never slept through class. I almost did one time, but then I just jumped out of bed and ran to class. Right. Um, and, uh, but that was that was because I chose to, not because I was being forced to by policy. Because well, exactly. I know some students there who function better by skipping some classes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, not all of them were me. Well, and uh, I went to a pretty conservative Christian Christian school too. I went to Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois, and like I, they allowed you to miss a certain number of classes, and you didn't have to give any reason why. You just didn't have to show up. So yeah, I slept through a couple yeah. of classes, and which seems fair to me. Like yeah, you can't miss all the classes, but you can well, miss. Well, you're some. a damn adult. Yeah, and you're paying to be there. It's not like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole lot more about different, somewhat normal school policies, like, like I said, but the thing about BJ University is it puts heavy emphasis on, like, if anything is out of the normal, uh, notify your superiors immediately. Really? Yes. They want you to be a tattletale? Basically, yeah, or, or... That's horrifying! Well, or even if it's just, like, your own life, like, something comes up... Um, say there's a medical emergency and you have to miss class, like, the first people besides the paramedics you have to let know is BJ University. <laughs> oh it's just weird. Okay. Uh, so there are also, uh, there's a whole bunch of mandatory events that all students must attend, including yeah. chapel, opening week uh -huh. student seminars, society oh. induction meetings, and weekly oh. society meetings. Cult. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, as well as class and student body meetings, living gallery events, Bible conferences, all concert, opera, and drama programs, which... All of them? Yeah, which seems just like artificial crowd-filling to me. Um, wow. As well as presidential leadership series and commencement activities. These are all required, okay? Uh. So you can't miss those unless you're excused and you, you have the okay from your superiors. Okay. Okay. Anything... So we're going to talk about Tim LaHaye now, right? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Because there's more I want to say about Bob Jones University. <laughs> it, the truth has got to get out there. Okay. Okay. My question. My question is: Are these rules? Did these rules all like? Were they there at the beginning? Um, a lot of them. I'm sure, they added some were, later. Some of them were obviously added. I'm sure, just as you know, technology okay. changes. So this is technically history. History, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
right, this, this is going to drive having me insane. Fun at the expense of <laughs> I, I'm slowly losing my insanity while I'm reading this. So by the end, you're of this, losing your insanity. That's a good thing. Well, and my sanity. I'm losing both. Now it's just an <laughs> empty void of nothingness. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Okay, okay. So tell us about some more things. Okay. Go so ahead. here are some rules in the student handbook. Okay. Oh great. Quote. On and off campus, physical contact between unmarried men and women is not allowed. Any physical contact. Right. So you can't hold your girlfriend's hand. Even if you go home for a break. Yep. Off campus. Yep. With your girlfriend, yep. you can't hold her hand. Nope. Okay, that's just rule number... So, <laughs> there's more. Okay, men cannot have facial hair unless they are an upper-class man and are given the privilege. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So if you're a sophomore, you can't have a beard. <laughs> you can't have a beard. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Brigham Young wouldn't even be allowed here. No. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, students may congregate together between dawn and 10.20 p.m. Sunday through Thursday in any of the approved areas. And then there's a map of the campus with the approved areas highlighted. <laughs> so they're only allowed to gather in certain places. Yeah, at certain times. No later than 10.20 p.m. Uh, okay. Oh, but okay. Friday and Saturday you can stay up with the group until 10.50 p.m. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. 10.50? That's almost 11 o'clock. <laughs> That's a wild night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Unmarried men and women cannot be alone together, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Uh, uh, they can basically okay. never be alone uh, because they have to, quote, guard their testimonies. <laughs> guard their testicles. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, Campus-wide curfew, yes, there's a curfew, is 10.25 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 10.55 Friday through Saturday. Oh, and then there's a chart for what events require you to have a special pass, which includes such things as missing a required activity or curfew, staying off campus overnight, or hanging what? out with your fiancé. Hanging out with your fiancé? You need a pass. <laughs> it's like East you Berlin. You're like, you're 20 years old, you've been going there for two years, you still have to get written yes. You have to get a permission slip. Yes, okay, and if you hang out with your fiancé and you get the permission slip, you have to stay in a public place where people can see you. Oh. Yeah. Uh, good news is that oh. the good news is that you can go to somebody's house off campus, but only if there's an adult who who lives there who's 20, 21 years old or older, or a Bob Jones grad. What? So just weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> then there are a whole bunch more details about certain rules regarding curfew and stuff. Blah blah blah. Oh, and if you go to any art festival or concert off campus, the event has to be approved of by the dean's office. Which I'm assuming that even if you wanted to go see like Switchfoot or something, it would not be approved. Oh, not it. How dare you even say that? <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get to music, my friend. Okay. Oh uh, God. But until then. <laughs> So, uh, students are encouraged to not do any extracurricular activities on Sunday except for church. Uh, Boring! Students are not allowed to visit any restaurants that even somewhat resemble a bar or a tavern. So you can't go to Chili's or Applebee's or... I guess not, Anything no. like that? Yeah. yeah, those... Wow. Okay. Uh, students cannot go shopping for any adult gifts or party items. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Party items? Party items. <laughs> so you can't buy balloons. Like, you can't... <laughs> Yeah, okay. But let's oh, let's God. talk about this music thing. You brought up I love some how adult gifts and party items are paired uh, together. Right. Like they're the same thing. <laughs> right. What, do they even know what an adult <laughs> gift is? Are they like thinking of like like a 
you know, like a tax receipt or <laughs> <laughs> copy of like, you know, a game that's rated teen. I don't I know. Don't know. I, I just pictured the dean's office fearing like some kid's going to come back with a shopping cart full of pinatas, balloons, and dildos. And they're like, oh, <laughs> we can't have that. No. Yeah. No, okay. Can't do that. No. Okay. Uh, so okay. let's talk about music, right? Tell us about music, James. So there are several paragraphs in this section that talk about how a good Christian should only use music to glorify God, blah, blah, blah. But here's okay. the music that a student is not allowed to listen to, either out loud, alone, on or off campus. So at home, okay. this is still regulated. Okay. Okay, so, music you can't listen to. Quote, okay. Any music which, in whole or in part, derives from the following broadly defined genres or their subgenre. Rock, pop, country, jazz, electronic, techno, rap, hip-hop, or a fusion of any of these genres. Holy shit. So, basically All every- All music. <laughs> Unless it's classical, oh, I guess? You, or I was going to say country, but no, you, there are countries on the list. Bad, yeah. uh, also, any music in which Christian lyrics or biblical texts are set to music which is in part or whole derived from any of these genres or subgenres. Wow. So you literally can't listen to some dude reading the Bible to a beat. <laughs> you can't listen to any, uh... You can't listen to hardly any Christian artist then, because they almost all have right. Oh yeah, you know, so you, scripture in their music. Yeah, so you brought up Switchfoot earlier. That's a wow. that's a no no. So wow. what's oh, interesting oh about this is it's not lyrics. Like my school said, like you know, no music with bad lyrics or whatever. Which okay, fine, whatever. Right. But this sure. is the lyrics don't matter. It's all about the beat, which they believe that types of music with no lyrics are inherently evil, which is just crazy. Um. Probably, okay, so probably because they can make you feel things. They can make you feel emotions, yeah. right? Um, uh, you know, like anything with a strong beat can get your your, you know, your blood pumping. You can oh, yeah. start, you know, tapping you know, well, your toe on the ground or whatever. And what's also yeah. interesting, and um, uh, I was reading an article on this, is uh, in America, a lot of our modern music, uh, even as old as the 50s, it, it derives from the music... Um, basically sung by African-Americans um, while they were oh, slaves. Yeah. And then, because it, it had that, I, I don't know musical terms, but basically a lot of her modern music comes out of this African-American tradition. Uh, That's actually very true. Yeah, yeah. and so um, um, this article was saying that a lot of conservative white Christian groups uh, say this music is evil uh, because they're either racist and they don't want black culture influencing them, or they believe it goes back to like African paganism or something. Either way, really? it's e either way, it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I don't I don't see somebody overtly saying that. Right, but there's I, a I reason see that, behind it. Exactly, yeah. there's a reason hiding there. Yeah. Um, so like, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying everybody's a secret racist. No, I no, don't want to no. say that. Um, though neurologically speaking, everybody is a secret racist. Um, At least a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we're all tribal in our. Well, the, you know, your brain organizes things into stereotypes because it's useful and it's it's it's, it's expedient. Yeah. It's not fair, but your brain does it in order to actually process. You know, because the entire the world is full of so much information, your brain consolidates things. I mean, it's why, like in art class, we learned about a symbol system. A professor said, "Draw an acorn," and we all drew the same acorn. Mm. Hmm. And sh then she pulls out a real acorn, and it looks nothing like that. And she says, this is an acorn. Your brain operates on a symbol system. Right. And you have to learn to combat that. You have to learn to see the world as it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so that, hmm. you know, that was essentially obliquely related to stereotyping. Yeah. It was, you automatically stereotype. Um, 
no one's you know you don't have to be ashamed of it but recognize it and control it for god's yes. sake yes yes you know, that that was the message there which i really liked well yeah. and brain or- taught me to be a better artist yeah 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 and yeah brain organization uh, can be great and it can be terrible it's just a way of monitoring information i, I guess well it's like you know it's like pff, natural selection that's the most unfair fucking thing on the planet yes. you know you're not right yeah you die <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know but it works right yeah um, so it's like, you know, it may not be fair, but that's the way the world works, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so carry on. Okay, Sorry. so so that's those are the rules regarding music. But let's talk about okay. movies and TV shows. So, okay, uh, there there is no movies or TV shows basically. So students are not allowed to watch movies, TV shows, or even movie trailers on campus at all. Uh, what? Unless for a specific school event. Holy God. Yes, but don't worry. If you go home, you are allowed to watch movies. Oh, what a relief. As long as these movies do not have a rating higher than PG. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so you can't watch Lord of the Rings or Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I can't even watch Passion of the Christ. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh and at God. school, you can't have any posters or action figures or pamphlets or whatever promoting a movie with a rating higher than PG-13. What the fuck? Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, wow. As far as video okay. games go, uh, quotes... They allow them? Uh, I guess. Um, okay. Students are not to play video games rated above E10, or games that contain graphic blood or gore, sensual or demonic themes, violent first-person <laughs> shooting, suggestive dress, bad language, or rock music. <laughs> that that kind of covers everything. It does. Like, okay. Um, so I was thinking, okay, so that, what are some games that are rated E that people would play today that are actually, you know, good? You got, okay, Lego games, right? Probably. But those have rock, and and those have what, those are promoting yeah, what about like the Mario movies games? that are PG-13. Uh, the Mario games? Uh, those have rock. Oh, well, and um, demonic themes, because Mario, uh, Italian, Italian Catholics, Catholic, demonic. <laughs> so we can't do that. You're telling me Mario's a Catholic? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, well, okay, so suggestive dress. That would get almost all of the Mario games out. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, then there's this whole section on the internet, and of course the internet is heavily monitored, blah blah blah. Oh shit. Well, let's talk about the dress code. Well, oh, wait, so they? I, I'm assuming they have like heavy filters on the internet. Yep. Oh. Yeah, okay. So might as well tell you a story about Baylor. Oh, sure. Um, so... I figured out that you could, you could go to uh, almost any site you wanted to that obviously you know wasn't porn, right? Yeah. But one time I googled Ernst Jünger, who wrote Storm of Steel, oh, which yeah. is a classic, and it said I was searching for adult content, <laughs> <laughs> and I was flagged, and I was like, oh shit, they're gonna bust down my door, and they didn't because they don't give a shit, right? But, um, you know, it was really funny that Ernst Jünger is somehow pornographic. I'm like, I don't want to think about no. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, so at uh, BJ University, it's very monitored. <laughs> and we'll get into this later, but the fact, like, the the head honchos of BJ, the best BJers, they can check your email, they can check your computer, they can check your phone, they can check Jesus. your room at any time for any reason. Wow. It's like the NSA on Christian steroids. <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay. okay so, so tell us about the dress Yeah, we gotta code, get through James. this. Uh, I, I'm going on and on about Bob Jones University because I have to. It's just crazy. Okay, so... Well, I'm giving you a little freedom here. I think you should definitely tell us about... about thank this. you for giving me freedom. 
Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm giving you freedom, unlike Bob Jones University. Exactly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let's talk about the dress code. So, okay. there are five pages, well, I won't, which I won't be able to cover enough, so just please go read it yourself already. Uh, but here are some highlights. No torn or dirty clothing, no skinny jeans, no articles of clothing that contradict Christian values. <laughs> and from, oh, from Monday through Friday until 5 p.m., men must wear collared shirts, dress pants, and shoes. No hats, no flip-flops, no boots, no sweatshirts, blah, blah, blah. No boots? Nope. <laughs> Texas wouldn't like that. No, this is South Carolina. Uh, yeah. After 5 p.m. on weeknights, you can wear the more relaxed wardrobe of collared shirts or jeans, but still no flip-flops, no sandals, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. Uh, men can at no time wear necklaces, earrings, or bracelets, or have tattoos. So you won't be admitted if you have a tattoo. Uh, I don't know about admittance, but you can't. Okay. Well, pro you can't pro I one. guess so. You probably can. But I cannot imagine yeah. any kid going to BJ University has a tattoo. <laughs> well... <laughs> like, these are probably some of the most sheltered children in the country. That's... And we'll look into that. Yeah. Okay. But mm, as okay. for men's hair, yes, there are codes for hair. Uh, the color must be a natural color. Hair must okay. not cover the ears. The hair okay. cannot come lower than one finger width above the eyebrows. The oh style must be neat and orderly. Sideburns cannot be lower than the opening of the ear. Oh! And students must, must shave every morning unless they have upperclassmen privileges for facial hair. Uh, oh but beards can no, cannot be beyond half an inch in length. You know what? Okay. That's so lame. Yeah, and you know what this just reminded me of? This is going to be a far-fetched analogy. And Do of it. course I am not comparing BJ University with Nazism, okay? <laughs> of course not. You would never, never no, do that. Of no, of course not. Um, no. The BJ people are good Americans. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> so this is completely off topic and in no way related. But okay. remember how Joseph Goebbels and the Nazis would have like medical qualifications for what made a true Aryan? Like, they yeah. would measure your nose and your, your eye, or and basically your whole oh, face, with, yeah. and they had all these strict rules about, you know, how you can look and how you have to maintain your face and stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool! Not, <laughs> yeah, not related, no. just not at all. Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, let's talk about the women. Uh, back okay. to BJ University. All right. So everything has to be modest and appropriate. No skinny pants or leggings. No, skirts and dresses must touch the knee at all times. No cleavage. Oh uh, necklines can be no longer than four fingers width below the collarbone. No back of any shirt should be lower than a normal bra. Sleeveless and strapless tops must be covered by a jacket or a blouse. Shorts oh. can only be worn in the residence halls. Uh, flannel pants are not allowed outside of the dorms either. And oh. it's just these rules are so weird. Uh, and during the normal uh, dawn to five p.m. Monday through Friday schedule, girls must wear a skirt and blouse or dress, which is interesting. Uh, okay. No, no women's suits. It has to be a dress or a skirt and blouse. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, that makes sense. Though. I guess uh, casual attire. Well, to that, for, to that not, uh, casual attire for those wild hours after five p.m. can include oh, skirts. Shit pants, jeans, or capri pants. Girls can wear flip-flops, but remember, guys can't. Okay, oh, and so wait. they get a privilege that the guys don't. Uh, wow! Yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, and wait, shorts actually can't be worn in the dorms either, so forget the shorts, what? ladies. Uh, you can't wear those. What? Uh, I don't know. What? It seems like it contradicts itself, but who knows. 
A little bit, uh, yeah. As for jewelry, girls can wear earrings, but no other piercings are appropriate. I okay. don't know why. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, tattoos are a no. Makeup must Obviously. be moderate. And hairstyles must be cut in a feminine style. Ah. So no shaved hairstyles. Okay. Also no dyeing your hair. Uh, well then there are some more rules and stuff, and there are some more weird rules, like, uh, like, cars have the right-of-way, not pedestrians. <laughs> <laughs> some sidewalks oh. are gender-specific. You can bring oh, a- What? Yeah, uh, you can bring a gun to campus, but it has to stay with campus public safety. What the hell? Students can marry other students, but they have to be at least 20 years old and have to get married either during winter or summer break, not during the school semesters. Why? Uh, no talking with your roommates after midnight. It's lights out. Uh, there are room checks every week. And then there's this whole discipline system which gives, uh, which hands out demerits for varying crimes. So, what the hell? So if you're late to a required activity, you could get 15 demerits. If you're absent from chapel, sorry, that's 25 demerits. If you drink a beer, you could be suspended. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Does that include like ginger beer? I I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Non-alcoholic. Uh, beer? No. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, and if you create any form of artwork to even show at an event off campus, the art has to be approved of on campus. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. And then there's an entire an entire appendix on various views that the school shares. So, number one, the school stands against abortion. No big surprise. Uh, number two, the school is against all forms of homosexuality. Again, not a surprise at this point. And then, of course, there's more information on what a good Christian should not watch or read or interact with. Basically, anything with sex, homosexuality, swearing, occultism, or my personal favorite, uh, false philo philosophical or religious assumptions, the most dangerous yet the most overlooked of all objectionable elements. There you go. Nope. That's the book burning. Yeah. That's, exactly. that's book burning. Yes. It's the same thing. Ugh. It's, it's like, ideological germophobia. Yeah. You can't... Like, your, your idea is so good that it doesn't even need to fight the others. It's already won. Yes. No, 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 no. If your idea is really good, it'll stand up to all of exactly, them. Exactly, right? yeah. And you shouldn't be afraid to, to, to pit your idea against another one and see if it comes out. Yes. Right? Yes. So, that's really that's really sad to me because they're... Because if you don't have exposure to that, you're, those guys are going to come out naive as hell. And if they don't stay, you know, in the flock mm. of Bob Jones University, there's a good chance that they will go completely the other direction. Oh, absolutely. Once they have a taste of real freedom. Yeah, well, and um, okay. I'm just going to say really quickly is, like like Aaron said earlier, both of us grew up in these these very conservative evangelical uh, circles. Not nearly as uh, as conservative as Bob Jones, but no, a lot of these not at all. A, a lot of these rules were, were similar to my upbringing, at least. Um, but... Really? Some of them, yeah. But uh, the interesting thing about seeing these, these kids grow up um, who were who are raised in circles like Bob Jones is I, I see either two things happen when they hit the real world, either they, they kind of implode into their Christian fanaticism and they become even more extremist and more fanatical, which is terrible. Or they, uh, they're overwhelmed by whatever is in the outside world and they abandon their faith they abandon all sorts of reason. They just fall into depression and uh, cynicism and narcissism or whatever. And a lot of times they they're never they can never be saved from that. So it's like these two yeah. extremes that are equally dangerous. And I see so many of these kids 
grow up with no idea what the real world holds, so they're not ready for it. Well, that's like Lost Boy. Uh, that's a great book that's oh, yeah. written by... Uh, I forget. Let me, let me Google it just so I can at least give the guy credit. Yeah. Um, because he was in the FLDS, and oh, they had right, these really right. strict rules. Um, and uh, when he got out, he and, his, he and his brothers all struggled with drug addiction. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, let's, i got to find this. Let's see. Lost, lost Boy. Well, yeah, if you... If you have all these strict rules uh, on people, like, they're either going to become more fascist or they're going to break all of the rules completely and be better off, or be not better off because of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that, like, pornography use in America is four times higher in Protestant men than in Mm non-Protestant men. Like, they're raised with such a skewed vision of sexuality that, you know, they dive into this equally terrible idea of like pornography and you see this again and again and again with with sex with drugs with Mm -hmm. politics whatever it is it's it's just dangerous well the name of the guy who wrote lost boy um the true man the true story of one man's exile from a polygamous cult Mm. uh was written by brent jeffs and uh maya sislavitz um i think she helped him write it but it's his story Mm -hmm. um it's an amazing book. If you decide to read it, uh, well, it's it's all about this exact kind of thing. Just this oppressive, um, growing up oppressed. Yeah. Like, it's it, for real. Actually oppressed. And uh, I was going to say, uh, Brent Jeffs is a, man, it took a lot of courage to write that book. Oh, I'll tell sure. you what. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, when we talk about Bob Jones, like, um, men and women can't talk together or, or walk together on the same sidewalk or they can't hold hands even if they're you know getting married or whatever mm-hmm. um, you know that that's a that's a that's a bad road and when you see that typically what you also find is some really freaky shit going on in the background oh oh and there are yeah I, I was going through some forums of uh, graduates from Bob Jones and unfortunately there are so many women who say they were uh, har- sexually harassed and it it makes sense in that environment. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, harass, but it's like if you, because you're 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 as you're as you're as innocent as as a as a sheep. Yes. When you go into some place like that, and somebody said, you know, it's just it's really a lot like um, the book Betrayal: Crisis in the Catholic Church, yep. on which the movie Spotlight was based on. You know, if you're in this like celibate, completely sex-free mm. environment where you're not allowed to talk about it or even discuss it, and it's held up as this like this an idol it's treated like an like a god something you can't even discuss right um people are going to just give in to their nature yep um and they're going to do it in inappropriate ways because they don't know what the appropriate ways are right for sure so but anyway i i think we should stop on yeah that that, that about wraps (laughs) it up for bob jones university of course uh, i don't want to say anything bad about the university it's not a cult it's not a police state it's perfect in every (laughs) way blah 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 blah. okay so (laughs) okay okay okay. so we were talking about tim lahey about an hour ago (laughs) (laughs) so remember that bob jones university is not a dead person it is a very much alive christian university Okay. Uh, so why do we spend all this time on it? Well, I answer that yeah, question. <laughs> uh, basically, this is Tim LaHaye. Uh, he went here. He got his undergrad degree right. here. Um, and for those of you who didn't grow up in our circles, this is kind of a good introduction to Christian evangelical uh, evangelicalism or Protestant fundamentalism or whatever the fuck you want to call it. 
I don't even know if it's fair to like call it evangelicalism because I know right. I know a lot of evangelicals are, who are very moderate. Oh, for sure. Um, which is funny. So I would just I would just use the word fundamentalism and leave it. You know, because it's Extremism. it's not even like <laughs> extremism. It's not even like well. It, not not all uh, fundamental Christians are like this. In fact, probably most of them are not. Uh, right. It's just, yeah, uh, that's just it's a dangerous extreme that's still around today. Uh, I'd yep. say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, basically, what they believe is that America must be reclaimed for Christ by Christians right. who live pure lives, and that the Bible is one hundred percent true. Right. right, and literally true. Not even 100% like philosophically or metaphorically true. It it matters that it literally happened the way the Bible Yes, says. exactly. Okay. Um, um, so, so, and we kind of uh, talked about our upbringing with this. Yeah. Anyway, so back to our boy who I'm sure you've all forgotten about by now, Timothy LaHaye. Do you remember him? Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to Bob Jones University and gets his Bachelor of Arts in 1950. And at okay. least you can kind of picture what sort of bullshit he was growing up with and being taught which is promising. Yep. <laughs> uh, Not the word I would have picked, but there you go. All right. Yeah. Uh, he did meet his wife here at Bob Jones. Her name was Beverly LaHaye after she married him, obviously. Uh, and they did okay. get married. Uh, and then Tim received a Doctor of Ministry degree from Western Seminary, as well as a Doctor of Literature from, Liber- from Liberty University. Well, which yeah. seems like he was just given them. Kind of like an really? honorary. Yeah. Uh, that's what really? it seems like. I don't. Why? I don't know for sure. Um, because in the few different websites that I, I was looking at his biography, it kept on saying it, he received them, and it didn't mention that he he went here and studied here. Why would he be honorarily given these degrees, though? Well, he was pastoring during this entire time, which I'll oh get to. yeah. And, okay, uh, was he writing anything? Probably. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> maybe not yet. But I'm not trying to rake the coals of you know with this but i'm interested because um well you know if he actually is a doctor i mean is he listed as dr lahey i don't think so but let me let me doctor. let's do it yeah doctor. Doctor i Tim don't LaHaye. see anything it's not listed as doctor no. so it it sounds like it they were honorary well and i and i looked at them and they're not they're uh oh whoops where did my it's not a it's not called a doctorate of ministry or a uh, a doctorate of literature. It's just called a doctor of <laughs> literature, which okay. like they change the word slightly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See. See. Here's the. Here's the. Uh, it's doctor of ministry is D min. Uh, doctor of letters is D lit. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's not a PhD. No. Okay. So it's not a doctorate of philosophy. Okay. Yeah. And it, so we know they're honor. They're basically honorary. Yes. Which. Uh, or, Maybe they're just not. They're just not PhDs. That's that's the bottom right. line. They're not PhDs. Yeah. Okay. Got uh, it. And quick note here: this is not necessarily about Tim LaHaye, but a lot of Christian universities have this great habit of handing out honorary doctorates, uh, like it's Halloween, and the kids <laughs> come to the door, like, <laughs> and they don't mean anything in a lot of cases, other than like, oh, this guy is smart and he's a Christian. Let's give him six doctorate degrees. There was some controversy recently about Ravi Zacharias. Oh yeah. Like, I think he was listing himself as Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Yeah. And he didn't have a doctorate. Yep. He had just had these doctors. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Um, I know there was... So there's a YouTube channel, and it's... I can't remember the title exactly, but it's like the Friendly Banjo Atheist, or Banjo Playing Atheist, or something like that. And he did this <laughs> comprehensive uh, back study into Ravi Zacharias's life. Really interesting stuff. I encourage you to go watch those videos. 
Mm. Uh, you can find him. Yeah. Anyway, wow. okay. we haven't talked at all about Tim Lai. We don't. We don't even mean to be bashing Christians. By oh the way. no! That's just, no, no, no! No, you go look at it. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we should definitely say that because um, most of the vast majority of my friends and family, in fact, all of my family members are are Christians, and I don't have a problem with that because not. I mean, they're not extremists, right? No, yeah. they're not this. No. They have a faith and they take it seriously exactly. and it's good for them. Yeah. So, it's, but it's not What scares me is this extre- this Christian extremism in America. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to draw attention to. Not American Christianity. I mean, I have so much respect for so many Christians and churches here. So, yeah. yeah. Good disclaimer. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, need need to make that disclaimer because uh, well, I think I think they're they're um I think the good Christians will understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, really, I think they, I think they will. They'll be like, "Yeah, that's a legit criticism," and no, I don't agree with those people. You know, it's yeah, like, you know, these are fringe, these are fringe groups. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, a quick word about Liberty University. This is another Christian okay. university that is very conservative, uh, and you can okay. find plenty of stuff on them on uh, on the internet. <laughs> but honestly, even Liberty University doesn't hold a candle to Bob Jones University. So that's all I'm going to say about them. But look them up if you're interested. <laughs> okay. Okay, and while Tim Tim LaHaye was expanding his list of degrees, he decided to do what any Christian man should do. Ah, become a soldier. No. Become a businessman. Not exactly. Deny the moon landing? No, he became a pastor. Oh, God. Okay, Uh, well, that's fine. So, (laughs) yeah. Uh, so Tim was a pastor in the town of Pumpkin Town, South Carolina, uh, and then awesome. he and his wife moved to Minneapolis and served a congregation there. And then in 1956, okay. they moved once again to San Diego, California, and he became pastor of the Scott Memorial Baptist Church. And he was okay. pastor here for about 25 years. Well, he's dedicated at least. Yeah. So we have this guy, right? He has several. Chris- Who is Scott Memorial, though? I don't know. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> so it's just a Scott memorial, memorial to Baptist all men named Scott. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Okay, so we have this guy, Tim LaHaye. He has several okay. Christian-y degrees, was raised sure. uh, as a very conservative and fundamental Christian, and now has a nice pastoring job. But does he stop here? Oh, no, oh. he doesn't. I didn't get the sense that he would. Uh, Tim LaHaye yeah. is going places, folks. Uh, All where right. is he going? <laughs> Basically fucking everywhere. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the dates of these various events might be kind of out of order, but the easiest way to okay. get just to just get through these is just to list them. Okay. All right. So, uh, LaHaye became heavily involved in politics. He totally supported the American right, so basically republicanism. Uh, right. And Tim believed that good American Christians just had to vote Republican. I've heard that one before. Oh, yeah. Uh, in 1979, yeah. Tim encouraged Jerry Falwell to found what was called the Moral Majority, which was basically a Christian Republican organization that fought for things like Christian prayer in public schools, traditional family values, and having an orgasm at the mere mention of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Tim LaHaye's wife, Beverly, also got involved with political movements. In 1979, she organized and began Concerned Women for America, which was basically oh. a Christian movement to directly counter the feminist movement of the time. Yeah, okay, I get the sense. Uh-huh. Well, that's a topic I really have no reason to be... <laughs> I don't know anything about Concerned Women for America, but I get the sense that it's a bit regressive from what I've heard. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, okay. uh, I didn't Sorry. look much into it, but it's all for traditional values when okay. revolving around women. Yeah. 
Anyway, okay. uh, so in 1981, Tim helped found the Can- Council for National Policy, which is a think tank which is basically like a Republican Illuminati. <laughs> uh, membership is Great. only available through invitation, and it, it has been described as the most powerful conservative organization in America you've never heard of. Uh, oh my god, that's... <laughs> yeah. I wonder. Hmm. And it includes a few hundred of the richest and most powerful conservatives who meet secretly three times a year to plan out, plan out the long-term strategies for American conservatism. Cool! It's like a boring version of the Bohemian Grove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, uh, Tim LaHaye also founded the American Coalition for Traditional Values, which is an organization based in Washington, D.C. that represents the missions of, oh, about 43,000 American Christian congregations and follows the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that the Lord has given us a rule book to live by the Bible. That's a quote. Yes. Uh, oh, wow. And a commitment to, quote, living as far as it is possible by the moral precepts taught by Jesus Christ and by the whole counsel of God as revealed in the Bible, end quote. So they really like the Bible, yep. Zachary yep. Kelly. Yep, Ronald Reagan oh. and the Bible. All you need mm. for a good time. <laughs> My favorite breakfast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> some Bible flakes and some Ronald Reagan milk. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Tim... Ronald Reagan's basically a brand muffin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Alright, carry on. I've, I've lost my sanity. Anyway, so... T- Tim also co-founded the Pre-Tribulation Research Center, which is dedicated to supporting and fighting for a dispensationalist pre-tribulation of the Book of Revelation in the Bible, and we'll... Wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hold... I gotta ask, what does that mean? Well, we'll get into that later. Uh, I, okay. I guess I could kind of cover it now. Is So the book of Revelation in the Christian Bible is all about the end times, the apocalypse, blah, blah, blah. And there are so many different ways of interpreting this, uh, this book. So there's yes. different Christian schools of thought, and they all disagree with one another on how the world will end. So Tim LaHaye has picked like these two specific ways he thinks the world is going to end, and now he has a research center that supports his views. A research center that does what exactly? Uh, provides evidence to support these very specific views of how the world will end. His understanding of prophecy, or yes, basically. What? What the hell? Oh, uh, we'll get into prophecy in a little bit. Pre-tribulation research center. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um. C- carry on. Sorry. Oh, so pre-tribulation basically means that uh, when the apocalypse happens. All the Christ- all the true Christians in the world will be sucked up by a giant vacuum into heaven uh, before anything really <laughs> bad happens on Earth. <laughs> sucked up by a giant vacuum? Exactly, yeah, it's in the Bible. Oh, it's a great way of putting it, I just, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we haven't even touched what Tim LaHaye is best known for yet. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, okay. Well, let's get in there. Yeah, yeah. So, what else did he do? Uh, in 1971, Tim founded the Christian Heritage College, which is now known as San Diego Christian College. Tim also okay. helped establish the Institute for Creation Research, which is a research station that okay. believes evolution is stupid and that the Earth is only a few thousand years old. <laughs> Classic. No, I'm laughing at how you said that. Evolution is stupid. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, okay. See, I want to look at this. Okay. Hold on. Institute for Creation Research. I'm sorry, everybody. I am going to do this. Uh, we know this is long, but there's just so much good discussion. I know. There's so much to I want to cover. 
Okay, Institute, who we are, the Institute for Creation Research. They have a logo that looks like it was designed in 1993. Um, there's a picture of a very old man. Mm. <laughs> Scowling. Uh, research. ICR conducts laboratory, field, theoretical, and library research on projects that seek to understand the science of origins and history, Earth history. They've studied all these places. Let's see. They use radioscopes uh, and the age of the Earth. Um, Flood-activated sedimentation, so they're studying the flood. Okay, so basically what they start with is a, it seems like a literary understanding right. of, uh, of the of the biblical account of like a worldwide flood of creation itself being literal and it's so they're starting with confirmation bias yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you start no no you start with a hypothesis and then you put it to a test you don't start with a statement and then try to find things that support it that's like anti-scientific method <laughs> that's a logical yeah uh yeah okay sorry that's Okay, well, okay. fun. Yeah, carry on. Okay, so Tim also was a mover and a shaker during various presidential elections. No yeah, shit. Yeah, he supported <laughs> Ronald Reagan, of course. No way! <laughs> and he was co-chairman of Jack Kemp's 1988 presidential bid until Tim was kicked off the team because of his hatred for Roman Catholicism. Oh, God. Which we'll get to. Um, so Tim Tim LaHaye uh -huh. was kicked off of a Republican ticket. Yes. Is that right? Well, he, he was supporting... Um, uh, Jack right, Kemp. he was supporting he wasn't running for Jack Kemp. Kemp. But they got rid of him because he was anti-Roman anti Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Tim also supported George W. Bush in 2000, and he endorsed Mike Huckabee in 2007, which wow. is great. That doesn't surprise me, no, though, it doesn't. I remember Mike. I remember when Mike Huckabee was... Uh, yeah, was running and everything, and I was like, okay, that I know where he, I know who his his uh, voter base is going to be. Yeah, exactly, these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So go on. Uh, now we're going to pause here because clearly this guy okay. has uh, he has a huge hold on and knowledge of Christian fundamentalists in America, right? Right. Uh, I mean, how else could he do all this? Also, yeah, this, for real. He, this guy has to be loaded. I mean, because he started <laughs> yeah. so many different organizations, right? And like research centers right. and stuff. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's raking in the donations. Yeah. So it's finally time to get to uh, what Tim LaHaye is best known for. And you know what? Hmm. I want to take a quick break. Okay, so we'll be right back yeah. with uh, we'll be Tim LaHaye's big thing. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not talking about BJ University. <laughs> and we are back. Did we talk about dead people? And when we left off, we were talking about Tim LaHaye and his crazy, crazy life. Uh, and now we're going to be talking about the thing that made him most famous. Yes! Yes, and I'm also going to be eating a sandwich while we do this. That is so disgusting. <laughs> hey, we've been recording for like... Two hours at this point. <laughs> I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we should keep going. Okay. All right. Take it away, James. So, uh, Tim LaHaye earned most. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Tim LaHaye earned most of his fame and money from writing books, and he wrote over 85 books. Uh, really? Yeah. A lot of. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna be silent so people can listen to you for a second. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay so a lot of these books are like christian self-help books uh, but his most okay. famous books are what the world knows as the left behind books oh no uh, nicholas cage better watch out. yeah right okay so real quick do you do you have any experience with the uh the left behind books growing up any of that uh i didn't read the well i wasn't allowed to read them really Okay. Yeah, they were too scary, too serious. Ah, we'll get into that. Um, yeah. I wasn't even allowed to read the child's, the teen version. Mm. Wow. Um, but I did watch 
almost all of the movies with you. Yes, <laughs> we uh, in the last year we we watched most of the movies. Uh, Drunk. They're great. <laughs> yeah, they are amazing. Especially, especially the uh, the Nicolas Cage one, which <sighs> I don't know how that got made. I... It's so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So my parents read Left Behind, and it impacted them quite a bit. So we'll talk about mm-hmm. the uh, the impact on the Christian world. Anyway, so uh, so the Left Behind series includes over a dozen adult novel. Well, not adult novels, but novels for adults. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, 40 children's novels that are all linked together by the event of the end-of-the-world Christian style. Right. <laughs> uh, now, it should be... Well, well go ahead. I, I just want to say, like, every church I attended growing up had these books in the basement. Oh, yeah. Or in the... Yeah. Yeah, they were just there. Yep. And they were pretty... You know, they, they have these very scary covers, mm-hmm. and, you know, they would be off to the side, and you would just assume that the grown-ups read them. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. But carry on. Uh, so it should be noted that although the Left Behind series was Tim LaHaye's brainchild, a writer named Jerry B. Jenkins actually did the writing from Tim's notes. Uh, but Tim still invented these damn things. Oh my god. Yeah. So anyway, the series begins with all the Christians on the Earth being magically sucked up to heaven in a giant vacuum, like I said, leaving all <laughs> the non-Christians down on shitty Earth with their shitty lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and things go to hell, oh, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, like the Christians vanish, and so you know you've got like, well, there are the are obvious immediate effects, like cars are flying off the freeway with no drivers, and yes, you know, I wonder what happened to their pets, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the world just it immediately collapses into like complete. Little did we know that Christians were holding us all together. <laughs> anyway. You, you, what do you mean? Are, are they not? For God's sake. What are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Okay, so the bo- the books, they, they follow various characters living in this sin-infested world. Um, <laughs> the, the leftovers. The human leftovers, basically. The ones who are left behind! Uh, shit, who's... I, f- I forgot to mention the main character's name. What is it? Buck, Buck. Williams? Buck Williams. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, the names are all like that. It's like Patty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you some. They're like they're like 1950s, you know, <laughs> nuclear America. Yeah. Names. It's ridiculous. So, so here, here are a few names: Rayford okay. Steele, Cameron Buck Williams, Chloe <laughs> Steele, uh, David Has- Hasid, Amanda White, <laughs> Mac McCullum. <laughs> All right, whatever. Okay. Um, that's hilarious. Yeah, uh, so the the world's going to hell, because uh, Christians are no longer here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to make matters worse, this Russian guy named Nikolai Carpathia, <laughs> who is the Antichrist, by the way. Oh, Carpathia is such a Russian name. Right, like the Carpathian Mountains, you know? Yeah. Uh, he begins organizing the world and the this evil world government known as the Global Community. Uh, oh yeah. God! Then, as some people begin realizing that this is all happening because Christianity is true, some of them become Christians, <laughs> and the story follows their fight for survival. Uh, and there are also angels and demons and spiritual warfare. And then Jesus comes back, and the good guys win. And that's all I'm going to say about the books because I've not, I've never read them actually. And oh? there's like 57 of them. <laughs> we should do a podcast where we read them. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was gonna say. Oh uh, no. 
<laughs> you, I can't even believe you didn't mention the fire-breathing Jews. Oh my god, I forgot about the fire-breathing Jews. Why don't you tell the audience about the fire-breathing Jews? Uh, well, that was... Are those in the books? I'm sure they are in the books. Yeah. Yes, they're in the books, because they're in the Bible. Right. They're definitely in the oh, books. Oh, okay. Um, well, I just remember so like the in the Bible, Yeah. In the Bible, in, in Revelation, there's this mention of some fire-breathing Jews who come back and, like, speak truth onto the world, or something like that. Uh-huh. And, uh... It's obviously metaphorical. Yes. Right? Right. It's obviously metaphorical. But the goddamn movies actually have these, like, <laughs> right, old guys with beards Jewish and guys. garb. Yeah, the garb from, like, you know, Jesus era. Robes. And, and they literally breathe fire. Right? And don't they, like, <laughs> yeah. they burn up a bunch of UN soldiers? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, GC, Global oh, Community right, right, Soldiers, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. which is, you know, not the UN. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, not at all. That's what their motto is, GC, not the UN. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, so, right. like, go go read the books or see the movie. We highly encourage you to see the movies. I recommend grab a couple beers, grab a couple friends, watch the movies. You will not be bored. Also, but don't start, yeah. don't start with the first one. It's the worst <laughs> yeah. one. Well, well, that's the thing is when we, when you and I watched them, we watched them in reverse order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't know why we did it, but it made it so much better. Yeah. yeah, it actually made it tolerable. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the legacy of these books real quick. So, the, the right. books were a huge hit among conservative American Protestant Christians, and as of 2016, more than 65 million copies of these books have been sold. Jesus uh, Christ. Of course, not everybody liked the books. The Left Behind series mm. attacks pretty much all forms of liberal politics, uh, and they attack Jews. And Catholics Jews? and the Pope, and uh, it also pissed off a lot of Protestants too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting because I grew up, like I said, my my parents and uh, my family basically viewed the Left Behind books like they were straight out of the Bible, and oh. they were meant to be read like with the Bible. But as soon as I got to Christian college, most of the people there believed the Left Behind series were completely heretical. Which yes. <laughs> well, yeah, and. Pretty much most Christian intellectuals view the Left Behind series like that, I, I think. They roll their yeah. eyes. It's dumb. So like I said no. before, like the, the Christian beliefs on the apocalypse include many, many different schools of thought, all of which think the others are wrong, and none of these schools can be concluded on once and for all from the Bible because it's there's just not enough information. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's about it on the series. Um, okay. I mean, the Left Behind series has had a huge, long-lasting uh, impact on American Christianity. That's true. There are uh, tons of Left Behind books, some movies, even a video game. Uh, yes. And also graphic novels. Great stuff. Yeah. yeah. The video game is is you you well, it's violent. <laughs> Let's put it. That oh way. yeah. It's violent. Well, actually violent. And uh, there was a lot of criticism about the Left Behind books, basically like. It, they're so violent, and, you know, entire cities get blown to bits, and people are dying mm -hmm. in nasty ways. And someone even said, like, uh, Tom, one of Tom Clancy's books doesn't have as much violence as a single chapter in the Left Behind books. Oh, yeah. So there's a well, lot of criticism for that. It's, it's a little like the Book of Mormon. Basically, everyone on the planet gets wiped out at one point. Yeah. Well, just before Jesus comes back. And let's <laughs> let's write about it in detail, because who doesn't like blood and gore? Ugh. Yeah. Okay. So, before we finish with Tim LaHaye's life, let me just mention a few more books that he's written that are not novels. Uh, okay. He wrote the book. 
Raising Sexually Pure Kids, How to Prepare Your Children for the Act of Marriage. The Act of Marriage? That sounds like the Act of Murder. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Sexually pure kids. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's sexually a repressed like kids, more like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also the book "What Love Making Means to a Woman," uh, and its other uh, counterpart, "What Love Making Means to a Man." I'm gonna guess that he wrote these with like his wife or something. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I bet so. Yeah, because uh, that's a pretty popular thing when you're when you're doing stuff that's like you know, between the sexes or whatever sure. than religious writing is to, like, get your wife to vouch for you so nobody can say... You're a man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also wrote the book Sex Education is for the Family, which, mm. uh, it's just a funny title to me. Like, the idea... Uh, the idea itself, uh, whatever, but I just like that title. <laughs> <laughs> How could you not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also okay. there's also the book The Essential Guide to Bible Prophecy: Thirteen Keys to Understanding the End Times. Good. Okay. Good. Uh, he also wrote the book Hitler, God, and the Bible, with our friend Ray Comfort. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Ray Comfort. if you don't know, if you don't know who Ray Comfort is, go onto YouTube, type in Ray Comfort Banana. Yes. And that's all. <laughs> Hilarious. Yes. Hilarious. Christian or non-Christian, it's funny because it's just. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I like how Hitler got in the Bible, like, with Ray Comfort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, he, also wrote, Any more? he also wrote the book, The Battle for Public Schools. Uh, also, the book, okay. Are We Living in the End Times? Uh, also, the book, uh, These Will Not Be Left Behind Incredible Stories of Lives Transformed After Reading the Left Behind Novels. Mm. Uh, also, the. What? Yeah. He, wait, he wrote, like. Yes. Wow. Yes, so people who read his uh, fictional Left Behind series and then were became Christians, he wrote a book about them, which just seems really arrogant to me, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to say that because I don't want to get sued. <laughs> what is that voice? I don't know. I like that. I, dude, I'm so like... <laughs> insane right now this this episode is so long and i've been talking I so know, much about jesus stuff <laughs> yeah well chase. also nazis and we'll nazis. split this up into two episodes this is we'll this yeah. is gonna have to be two episodes okay oh and then he also okay. wrote the book jesus is coming soon a kid's guide to bible prophecy and the end times which um hitler's youth wait what, what? who said that wait what who said what? That? <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, gotta get the kids. Gotta get them young. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll be like, hey, this is bullshit. Yep. You know? yep, yep, yep. Okay, so uh, I think we'll finish this section. Uh, one more thing. Tim LaHaye also wrote a book entitled The Unhappy Gays. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Gay as in homosexuals. Just, just blatant, okay? Uh, and the entire book, which I found and read part of, for you bastards, <laughs> is an attack on homosexuality and explanations as to how it works, which oh, is no. written by a straight guy, of course. <laughs> oh, And no. I picked out a few top quotes um, from Tim LaHaye's book. Shh. Okay, hold on. Uh -huh. All right, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm going Go. to use an evil voice for this. Uh, not saying Tim LaHaye is evil, by the way. Uh, no, of course not, not at all. The homosexual world and the straight world are polar opposites. Until you have seen two men dancing together, or two lesbians openly kissing each other on the mouth, 
Two men affectionately embracing, or a man dressed up like a woman, including false eyelashes and lipstick, you aren't prepared to believe that the homosexual world is a different life than anything you are familiar with. Such sights usually turn straights off so quickly that they look no further. Wow. Oh, we got more. Wait. We got more. What were you going to say? When was this written? Um, I'm going to look. Unhappy gays in 1978. Jesus, I didn't think it'd be that late. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, we okay. got more though. All right. The same is true of a lesbian. You cannot tell by mannerisms or appearances whether she is sexually a man or a woman. <laughs> Homosexuals themselves can tell if a person wants to be provocative. They have a hidden language and means of communication unknown by straights. Uh, so they have this secret language, like Morse code or something. <laughs> Just like, I'm gay. Well, <laughs> I don't know, man. I can't do this anymore. You're doing okay, fine. Okay, You're okay. Doing we got fine. One, one more. Um, I can't believe that. I know. In 1978. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. So, okay. Here's, oh, okay. Go, wait, go ahead. So keep going. Okay. I, I want more. <laughs> Most homosexuals seem to fall into one of two categories. Either they are militant and angry, or they are tense and unrelaxed in social situations. I'm sure he's had plenty of experience <laughs> with them to know that they literally fall into two all categories. All of them, Aaron. All of them. All of them. Yeah, well, actually, he says most, but anyway. Uh, okay. And then he goes on to say, I will leave it to the reader to determine what percent of homosexuals enjoy the love and full acceptance of both parents. Would it be 15 to 20 percent? Certainly not more. Well, that's not even a statistic. Okay. That's like yeah, so a made-up statistic and then a defense of the making up of the statistic. Yes. So what he's saying here wow. is at least 80 percent of homosexuals have parents who don't love them. <laughs> oh. And then he, he has, yeah, how do you, how do you measure this? <laughs> I just, ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, okay. I'm at a loss. Uh, we got uh, All right. one more thing. One more straight quote. Um, All right. The best way to, straight, quote, sorry, go ahead. Straight quote. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The best way to stamp out homosexuality in this country is for parents to get back to the business of making parenthood their priority. Oh, so he's saying okay. shitty parents make homosexuals? <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, oh, and then there's a mathematical equation to decide how gay you are? <laughs> and here it is. <laughs> oh my God. You add melancholy oh. temperament with permissive childhood training, and then you add insecurity about sexual identity, and then you add childhood sexual experiences, and then you add early interest in sex, uh, plus youthful masturbation, and then you'll oh. know if you're gay. <laughs> it's just, it's as easy as one, two, three. Exactly. Which, how do you put numeric values to those things? I don't know. Wow. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Let me look at yeah. that. Permissive childhood training. Sure. Melancholy temperament. Okay. I, melancholy temperament. That's me. Okay. Permissive childhood training. I don't know what that means. I don't know either. Oh, but you probably Insecurity about sexual it, compared to Tim Lay's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's true. Insecurity about sexual identity. Mm. Hmm. 
I don't. I couldn't say. Uh, childhood sexual experiences. No early interest in sex. Yet, maybe I don't know. Well, what's, what's early? early? Yeah. Who knows? And then you'll know if you're gay. Um, wow. Okay. So, because that's that. The real problem here is that these is that parents will read this. Oh, that's the and thing. they'll start applying this to their kids, and then they'll start wondering, and then they might ask them or imply that they are. Well, cause... and you know, you do want to know something terrible. Um, mm. I this isn't the first time I encountered this book. Um, I I won't say who, but one of my <laughs> immediate family members read this book. Uh, Okay, it was my dad. My dad read this book when he was uh, <laughs> applying to work at a, a Christian school, and I remember him explaining this to me when I was young. And even when I was young, I knew, like, this is this is bad logic. Like, first of all, yeah. it's wrong. But, of course, I didn't know that at the time. I was just like, how did he get here? <laughs> yeah. So, it, it's terrifying that these, these ideas, I mean, we laugh at them and we mock them, but so many people, it's just, it's obvious truth to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's a legitimate problem when you're reading a book like this and you're trying to apply it to real life. It's almost the same. It, maybe it is the same problem as reading Revelation. Mm, yeah. And writing a book about it or reading Left Behind and applying it to real life. You know, you can become very scared, I think. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people who think we're living in the end times. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying, that, I'm not even saying they're wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's just, it runs their like, lives in so many ways. Yeah, it, it does. It really, really does. Yeah. Okay, well, back to uh, the unhappy gays. Okay. Uh, first time I've ever said that, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, okay, so there's also a section that says that homosexuals became homosexuals because they saw their parents having sex and that this oh. forever scared them away from heterosexuality. That's insane. Also, if you masturbate, you're probably gay. Oh, and then there's another equation for deciding if you're gay. Uh, another one? Another one. Um, I don't have it with me. Um... Also, homosexuals are also angry. Also, homosexuals recruit straights into their gay ranks in order to survive as a species? <laughs> like some hive mind from Star Trek. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, my God. The book also, wow. Yeah, the book also calls homosexuals such things as militant, vile, deceitful, selfish, poor in health, and sure of an early death. <sighs> yeah. So that's about it um, on that. Tim LaHaye also believed that the Illuminati were in control of the Earth and that they were also working hand-in-hand with groups like the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the National Organization for Women, the United Nations, the American Civil Liberties Union, the Democratic Party, uh, Harvard and Yale, and 2,000 other colleges and universities in order to, quote, turn America into an amoral humanist country ripe for merger into a one-world socialist state. That would destroy every vestige of Christianity. Well, well, he's not wrong. I, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That, that the Illum- I was saying the Illuminati do control all oh, of this right. as a joke. Yeah. That's not true. But what were you saying? Uh, I was saying, like, I mean, Christianity has come under attack by not, not most of these, but a lot of these things. And that's, yeah, that's the well, danger to it is a lot of their platforms... Uh, are based on some sort of truth like mm. like they'll it, it's dangerous because they'll say like oh Christ, uh, america isn't as christian as it used to be and you're like yeah that's that's objectively true and then they say like so we should you know not allow homosexual marriage and you're like wait yeah. wait uh how did we get there yeah i agree with your yeah, step it's... one but i don't agree with your step two it's just uh, yeah they're great leaps in the logic yeah you know yeah. um 
But yeah, that's that's so interesting because I'm 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 familiar with that view that the Illuminati is using these organizations sure. and the Democratic Party and Harvard and Yale. Um, those are that is not news to me. No. Like it, it doesn't even it does not even shock me because, you know, I I understand that was that's what I experienced. I experienced people who really believe that. Yeah, and I still do. Oh, I, for I sure. still do. Yeah. Um, um, that's pretty much it on Tim LaHaye. Uh, he also hated Roman Catholicism and supported pamphlets that stated that the Pope was the head priest of Satan. Uh, what, probably Jack Chick tracts. Uh, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. They have they have uh, they have pictures of the Pope as as Satan, good, which is interesting. Good. But anyway, that's where well, we're pretty. We're gonna leave yeah. it there because that's that's about it. Um, well, I like that because that was a nice balance for Goebbels because he's such. He's so dark and and um, it's hard to make fun of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Goebbels, we should move over to his end and death. Yes. Uh, and finish this thing up because we're so close. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So when we left Joseph Goebbels, he knew the war was over, uh, and he couldn't hide it anymore. Remember the the youth, the Volkssturm has just been, you know, put uh, brought up and and made into a little fighting force of children and old people mm-hmm. and um, they're defending Berlin because the Soviets are rolling right. in and you know Joseph Goebbels knows that the war is over yes. and you know it's not quite there yet but it's to the point where he's he's stopped spouting his propaganda okay. um, quite so much like he's hiding like I said he was withdrawing right, right yeah. he was appearing less and less because he knew he couldn't lie mm. to everyone all the time it was catching up with yeah. him um, it's like reality was coming for mm. him. The utopian dream of the National Socialists was turning into a nightmare. And I wrote, the gods were descending on Nazi Germany. It's which, kind of a neat image. That's a phrase, yeah. that's a phrase I stole from, uh, from That Hideous Strength, which is a book about a totalitarian state. Mm. Um, and the gods descend on that state, and it basically wipes itself yeah. out. Um, so anyway, so Goebbels and his whole family were holed up in this bunker in Berlin uh, with Hitler and pretty much all the other uh, Nazi heads of state. Uh, and a lot of these Nazis wanted to send Hitler to Bavaria to reorganize. Mm-hmm. Um, but Goebbels, because he was a true believer, was convinced that the Nazi leadership needed to stay in Berlin and fight to the last man in a heroic final stand against the evil hordes of corruption. Hmm. Right? Because they think, like like we mentioned before, they think that um, they're like the last vestige of, of, of good. good standing up against like it's, capitalists. It's ministereth. <laughs> yeah, that's what they yeah. think. They really think that. Um. But yeah, so he said, you know, we should stay and fight, mm-hmm. but however, Goebbels said it was, you know, he said one more time, we I, we gotta stand down to the Russians or the British. We have to choose, like, which one we're gonna surrender to. Yeah. Um, and this is with our Russian artillery flattening Berlin. Wow. Right? And Soviets are at the city's edge, even in the city. Yeah. Um, you know, the line has completely broken for the Germans. The Soviets are, are in Berlin. It's over, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Goebbels is saying we're either gonna we're either gonna fight to the last man or we're gonna surrender and save our skins and maybe just just maybe maintain something after defeat. Mm. And Hitler says no. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so yeah, <sighs> as we know, Hitler said we will we will um, fight them to the end. We're just gonna. Well, he didn't even. But he he didn't even say That's that. True, he yeah. didn't do that. Yeah. Anyway, so Goebbels and his wife Magda uh, discussed how they would conduct themselves when the Russians finally found Hitler's mm. lair and decided that they would commit suicide rather than be tried for war crimes and probably executed in humiliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a vain attempt to save his legacy, Goebbels burned all his private papers and letters on the 18th of April, 1945. 
so Goebbels, Hitler, and the Nazi top brass go and hide in the Führer bunker, which was situated under the Reich Chancellery Gardens in the center of Berlin. Mm. Uh, here he sees, you know, Goebbels is watching this madness. Everyone's drunk and falling apart and, you know, losing it because they're about to be captured by Russians, right. which you don't want to be captured by Russians, no. right? <laughs> um, so it's basically driving everyone crazy. So that's why Hitler marries Eva, Eva Braun or whatever. Mm. Um, he, so he watches that happen. He watches his beloved Fuhrer write his last will and testament. Then he sees him vanish into his private quarters and hears a gunshot. Mm. Um, and Goebbels was ordered to leave Berlin. Um, and the, and, uh, he refused on principle because if Berlin fell, he ideologically believed that he must fall as well. Uh, a right? captain goes down with the ship. Captain goes down with the yeah. ship. He actually said something like mm. that. So... Anyway, Goebbels attempted to negotiate a ceasefire with the Russians to buy time. So he, you know, this was after Hitler was dead. He was like, hey, let's hang on. Yeah. You know, some things have changed. Let's talk. But the Russians were like, no. <laughs> right. They're in Berlin. Why <laughs> would like, they? Fuck you. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you could have surrendered a little earlier, but, you know, you made us lose a few thousand more men. You mm. know, that sort of thing. Mm. We crushed you. Like, the war was clearly over at Stalingrad. That sort yeah. of thing. But the invasion didn't even slow down. In fact, it kind of sped mm. up. They were in Berlin fighting, or should I say massacring, the poorly equipped children and the elderly of the Volkssturm. Oh, God. Right. Yeah. And that is that is Hitler's fault. Yes. Right? That is that is Hitler's fault that those people were there fighting. Yes, absolutely. Um, at, at the same time, there were also purges going on between the true believers and the people who were realizing that Nazism was, like, literally falling apart and you couldn't ignore mm -hmm. it. And they were hanging dissenters from lampposts and things while the Russians were invading. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so down in Berlin's concrete basement, uh, Goebbels and his wife have decided to do the worst thing you can imagine. They start injecting their children with morphine to knock them unconscious. And then Magda Goebbels kills each of her six children with cyanide capsules while they're asleep. Wow. And this is in downfall, this scene. And it's, it's Yeah, this horrifying. scene's in downfall. Um, and the, the horrible thing about it is that you look at it and you're like, wow, this woman was cold as hell to have to kill her children. Yeah. But if you think about it, it was probably a mercy. Oh, it was absolutely a mercy. Well, and yeah. one thing that is always forgotten about, um, it's been covered up quite a bit, is kind of what the Russians did to the lands they reconquered. So Germany, Poland, places like that. I want to say it's estimated that two million Polish and German women were mutilated, gang-raped, and k tortured and killed by the Russian troops. And mm -hmm. I shouldn't even say women. It was it was girls, like young girls. Because the, the Russians at this point, it was they had suffered so much. Like, they, they'd become animals. So, of course, they're, it, it was just horrifying. Um, yeah. So if I was uh, Goebbels' wife, I would have done the same thing. Like, you're saving them the mercy of being tortured and raped and killed by the Russian troops. And... Yeah, but I mean, and the the thing is, she still holds the responsibility for it because absolutely, yeah, <laughs> she went she went along with it. Of you course, know? yeah. Like, and she was she was actually given the option to fly out, hmm. um, a couple of times, um, and she essentially deferred. She was like, "No, well, let's wait a little longer." Yeah, and then until it was too late, and then it was like, "Well, fuck, lady, you just killed your kids." Uh, well, done. yeah, that's that's um, bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's that's a nightmare, and that's. That's why Downfall is such a good movie. It really captures that feeling of a complete apocalypse. Like, everything is falling And claustrophobia, apart. too. And claustrophobia, yeah. So anyway, uh, so after doing this, Goebbels and his wife leave the bunker, and they commit suicide in the garden of the Reich Chancellery. Mm. And there are a few accounts of exactly how they killed themselves. Um, so the movie may not be exactly accurate with that, because mm -hmm. there is an account that Goebbels shot his wife, and then shot himself. Mm. 
Others say they took cyanide and then allowed a German soldier to shoot them uh, to speed their deaths. Either way, there was a guy named Schwagerman who was put in charge of making sure that they were actually dead. So after hearing the gunshots, he comes out of the bunker and riddles Goebbels' and his wife's body with bullets. Wow. Uh, soldiers then attempted to burn the bodies, but it didn't work so well. They were only partially burned. I'm not exactly sure what happened to the bodies after that. Actually, nobody is mm. exactly sure. Um, I guess those those two had it, always assumed they would be buried with Hitler, especially after what happened, but it doesn't look like that's the case. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, as far as legacies go, it's uh, almost impossible to estimate the damage this one short disabled man did. <laughs> um, his actions and ideology caused so much destruction that it boggles the mm -hmm. mind. Um, and, and reading about it is is terrible. Like, and I feel like everyone should. Oh yeah. Um, because you know you need to know mm. where humanity can go and you know i was researching this i felt sick many times yeah. um and what's terrible is like i pretty much glossed over the holocaust because goebbels while he supported it was not exactly the chief engineer sure. I mean, he was involved but it wasn't like you know that was his thing because mm -hmm. um and it, well I, this last part i just kind of i kind of want to leave out um mm -hmm. but the reality is i, I just God, it's so heavy. Yeah. And it's it's so much to carry all at once. Um and when you're reading about it, it really boils down to like basically one thing and it's this unabashed and ju self-justified hatred for a for a group of people. Yep. Um and you blame them for everything. And so you feel like they're subhuman and so you do whatever you want, whatever you think is right and you're brutal as hell. Mm -hmm. Um and that ends in genocide. Yeah. And so it's like it's either racist or it's classist or whatever with the communists and whatnot, yeah. but it ends in genocide. And, you know, Jesus, think about that for a while and try not to get too depressed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, the the reason, like, we... Because, we, let's be honest, talking about Joseph Goebbels was not, like, it wasn't that fun. Uh, we, no. uh, it wasn't able, we weren't able to joke about it or whatnot, but it uh -uh. has to be out there. People have to know about Nazism, uh -huh. and about Mao, and about Stalin, because, yeah, they have their differences, but in the end, they are, uh, they're mass murderers and evil, and, like, we have to understand how they got into the positions they did, how people supported them, uh, so we can better guard ourselves. Yeah, well, there's, the, the, the thing about it is, when you read the stories, you can spot red flags that they all have in common. Right, yeah. You know, you can you can spot what's coming. You know, it's something like a religion. They have their pamphlets. They're you know causing unrest. They're targeting the youth. Yep. Um, you know, they're they're starting organizations all over the place. They're radical. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're bullying people, or you know, they're they're burning shops or boycotting shops or you know attacking people in the streets or you know that sort of thing. I mean, it's like that's where it starts. Yeah. And if you let that win even a little bit, man, it goes. Jesus, you don't want to go there. No. no. <laughs> it's so, so... It's a mudslide. Like, a couple steps yeah. and you're gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah. But anyway, we should get to Tim LaHaye's ending. Yes, death. we should. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, Tim LaHaye, he actually died really recently, uh, on July 25th, 2016, in San Diego after suffering a stroke. He was 90 years old. His wife, Beverly, is still alive, along with four children, uh, nine grandchildren, and 16 great-grandchildren. Okay. Uh, and Tim LaHaye is best known for the Left Behind series, obviously. Uh, yeah, we kind of talked right. about the legacy already. But uh, I, I just want to say, because he does have immediate family out there, like, 
No disrespect to the- I, if it came across as a disrespect to him, well, I, I didn't mean that. I, I guess we kind of wanted to focus more on Christian extremism, like in Bob Jones and yeah. things like that. Like, uh, Well, I don't think you said anything that he didn't say himself. Exactly, yeah, like... So it's like, you know, and I'm sure he would, st I get the sense that he would stand by the things he said. Yeah, well, that's you know? so, what it sounds like, so... And that means, that means he's open to criticism. Yeah. And, you know, hey, if you're gonna just read his stuff and you're gonna criticize it or laugh at it or whatever, um, well, you know, that's, that's, that's being a commentator, you know? That just happens. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't, it's not like we dragged him through the mud. No. We just... Because, yeah. Whatever, yeah. Anyway, it's not like we brigaded his family on Twitter no, or something. No, you know? like, no. <laughs> yeah. So there's yes, that. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm not Chris, well, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I am dead tired. Say, what do you say we head back to the surface? Let's do it. James, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm going to write a book about Great. how the Nazis will cause the end of the world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's good material. Yeah. Uh, will? I, yeah, what are you going to do? Maybe. Oh my god, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> mm. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, sounds good. I'm going to take a nap uh, and a you know, well, yeah. I'm, a, I'm yeah. actually replaying Bioshock, the the first one, so I'll probably do a little bit of that. Great game, really? great game. Oh yeah, oh yeah, good game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's about time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast.com. Uh, podcast. <laughs> we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. Yes. My God, we'll read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron, a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, uh, as much as it costs to buy a song on iTunes like a pleb from 2006, helps tremendously. If you are short of cash and you also want to help us out, just by you can help us out by just telling the people about the show. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at WTADP Podcast. That's WTADP Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a tweet, say hi. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of a wildebeest burning down a church play you out. <laughs> I was born in Hungary, but now I am an American citizen. And I have seen what this kind of talk can do. I saw it in Berlin. What were you doing there? I was a professor at the university. I heard the same words we have heard today. But I was a fool then. I thought Nazis were crazy people, stupid fanatics. But unfortunately, it was not so. You see, they knew that they were not strong enough to conquer a unified country. So they split Germany into small groups. They used prejudice as a practical weapon to cripple the nation. We must never let ourselves be divided by race or color or religion. Because in this country we all belong to minority groups. Your right to belong to these minorities is a precious thing. You have a right to be what you are and say what you think. Because here we have personal freedom. We have liberty. And these are not just fancy words. This is a practical and priceless way of living. But we must work at it. We must guard everyone's liberty, or we can lose our own. If we allow any minority to lose its freedom by persecution or by prejudice, 
We are threatening our own freedom. And this is not simply an idea. This is good, hard common sense. You see, here in America, it's not a question whether we tolerate minorities. America is minorities. And that means you and me. So let's not be suckers. We must not allow the freedom or dignity of any man to be threatened by any act or word. Let's be selfish about it. Let's forget about we and they. Let's think about us. 